Thursday, April the 14th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. So we have uh, wanted to make sure we stayed on a pretty good schedule for you this week. So I've got on this episode all the racing for Friday and Saturday and the wrestling this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. And we've also got an episode of the old wrestling rewatch. For tomorrow, I'm going to have a special edition that's basketball playoffs preview Eric is going to join me a little after I'm recording this on Thursday. In the evening, we're going to go through all the playoff series. And then on Friday, Dave Handelin is going to join me again to preview the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies series. He was uh, there for the big win the other day for the Timberwolves. So we'll get to talk all about that game and we'll preview that. So we'll have two episodes coming for you this week. On this one, you'll get Friday Keeneland, Friday Santa Anita best bets. A look at a stakes race from Saturday at Oaklawn. We'll go Saturday Keeneland best bets, Saturday Santa Anita best bets this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We'll hit on SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, and Rampage stuff going on. And then we finish up with the old wrestling rewatch. We go to Starcade. Starcade, the first ever Starcade flair for the gold. And Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join me. So NBA stuff will be on the next episode, if you want to get a big preview of everything going on in the NBA playoffs, just look on the next episode that comes out on Friday. This episode is presented by Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. Right now, there's so much happening there. Better Than Vegas is a website, and if you follow them on social media, they are a place that provides free analysis to help you with your gambling. Everything's free. Don't have to sign up for anything. All you have to do is follow along and watch. If you want to go create an account at Better Than Vegas, you can post some of your plays. And if you do, each week, they will be graded. Whoever wins, wins the weekly showdown, gets 250 bucks for nothing. Doesn't cost you a cent. But if you just want to hang out and watch, every Monday and every Thursday, we have Mohawk Mania, where we preview the early pick five from Mohawk. Every Monday through Friday now, every day, There's a baseball show in the morning at noon Eastern time. Monday and Thursdays are more long form. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday are quick hitter shows just to give out a couple plays and some DFS thoughts for the day. On Monday through Friday for the NBA playoffs, we will have NBA shows at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Previews every day for whatever games are happening. On the weekends, those preview shows will be at noon Eastern time, previewing the Saturday and the Sunday games. Whew! So much happening at better than dot vegas right now we're going to get into the horse racing portion of this episode Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. 
tap the calendar icon on the top left, it opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets, get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf past performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. So you want to head on over to drf.com, get the daily racing form, past performances, and then you dive into the Stable Duel schedule. Like this week on Friday over at Keeneland, you've got a big $40 game, $4,000 in the prize pool. It only costs you 40 bucks to enter these Stable Duel games. If you ever have any questions, what I'm talking about with Stable Duel, it's like a, a DFS format. If you've ever played Daily Fantasy where you have to build a lineup based on a salary cap, well, that's what Stable Duel is. And so what that means is you can't just pick the chalk in every race. It, it's difficult. You have to have some races where you're really picking long shots and thinking outside the box and You get points anytime your horse finishes in the top five positions, so you don't have to win every single race. You can still have horses finish in the top and run well. Give it a try. StableDuel.com, and then you can download the app. The app is free to download. They have free games, like on Friday. There's a Keeneland free ride. There's also that big $40 game that I was talking about, 4000 in prizes, a $10 feeder game that gets you into some of the contests for Saturday. The top three finishers get automatically entered into a Saturday game. You get the $2 winner-take-all game. Golfstream, Laurel, and Santa Anita all have different contest options for you on Friday. How about Saturday? Keeneland's got the $60 big game, $12,000 in prizes. Then they have a $10 game with $1,500 in prizes. Laurel Park has a, a stakes card. So they've got a big game, a $75 game at Laurel, $3,500 in cash prizes. Laurel, Keeneland, Woodbine opens up. 
And then Hawthorne also has a game on Sunday. Woodbine, Gulfstream, Santa Anita, Golden Gate, and Hawthorne all with stable dual contest. Get those entries in and play, race, win. And uh, we are going to head on over to start talking some racing. We're going to start talking some Friday and Saturday. But we want to let you know we're going to be talking about Louisiana Downs racing every day that they race here on That's What G Said. We'll have pick four analysis. I'm going to dive into the pick four sequence. It's a 15% Take out pick four. It's on the last four races every single day over at Louisiana Downs. Their meet begins May the 7th. It runs through September the 27th. They will have first post, I believe, at 3.05 local time. And it looks like most days there will be seven races carded. We'll have a pick five on the last five. We'll have a pick four on the last four. I'm going to dive into that pick four because it's a nice low takeout, 15% pick four. They have 17% takeout in the win, place, and show. So those will be a lot of the wagers that I'll be diving into when we're talking Louisiana Downs. Trifecta wagering offered on every race with five or more. Superfecta wagering offered on every race with six or more. Pick four on the last four daily. Pick five on the last five daily. Pick six jackpot on the last six daily. Super high five uh, wagering on the last race with seven or more betting interest. They've got 10 cent supers, 50 cent tries, 50 cent pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, super high fives, and then a buck on the other wagers that live racing begins at Louisiana Downs. There's a lot of big energy. They're making major improvements. They're talking about bringing the Super Derby back, and we will have coverage for you. Best bets and horses to play each and every day that they race beginning Saturday, May the 7th. So their schedule will be... Starting Saturday, May the 7th, they run Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So they will run four days a week consistently through the end of September, all of May, June, July, August, and September. You've got Louisiana Downs action right here on That's What G Said Podcast. Right now, you're going to get some Keeneland action on That's What G Said Podcast. Get those past performances out. We're going to take a look at Keeneland for Friday. I've got some best plays for you. Don't forget about our Friday live stream every Friday morning. It's this weekend in Stable Duel. So we do talk about you know how to build your Stable Duel lineups, but we give out horses for Friday and for Saturday for multiple racetracks, and we only give out big prices. So we really want to try to help you make some money. These are the type of horses who you throw in a pick four or pick five, and they could really help you out. Let's see if we can uh, make, a mo- make some money on Friday at Keeneland. I'm going to head to race number two for my first play at Keeneland. It's a maiden special eight, $100,000 mile and 16th on the turf course there. The three personal best went seven and a half on, on the turf at Gulfstream in the debut for Suge McGahee. The dam of this runner, War Flag, is a grade one winner going long on the turf, so she has a nice pedigree. Now let's look at her race. She settled... About ninth, she was about six lengths off the pace, and she got floated wide. Then she moved inside a bit. She was in between horses. She was traveling well. She was kind of searching for room, but there was none. And she really, really flew late when she got some space with a massive gallop out. And the top two runners in that race, the horses who finished first and second, they were basically one-two all the way around the, the racetrack. There was no passing going on. The number three personal best is eight to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around five to one. We'll make a win wager there. Personal best. These are the type of horses we're going to be giving out on those stable dual live streams. Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Barry Spears, Matt DeSantis, and myself each and every week. Let's move to the fifth race at Keeneland 
on Friday. We've got a first-level allowance race. They're going to go a mile and an eighth on the turf course here. Phillies and Mares, four-year-olds and upward. I'm going towards the outside one more time. We're going back to Shug McGahee. I'm going to Talking Book. She may need a little bit of help up front. That's my main concern with her in this spot because I don't know how quick they're going to be going early on. She doesn't have a lot of early speed, so she won't be forwardly placed. She needs a little help in that department. But I think she's going to run well. She's a five-year-old mare with just five career starts, so she's obviously had some physical issues, right? And she's going to be making now her second start back off of a long, long layoff. She didn't race from April all the way until April of 2021, all the way until February of 2022. And then after that race, which was a good effort, she had had six weeks off now, so not worried about a bounce or anything like that. She was sort of towards the back in that race on February the 26th. She was six or seven, you know, sixth, seventh, maybe six off. And she was in the two path. She ended up splitting horses and she moved to the inside. It was a pretty solid third chasing a lone speed winner that won that race by four to quarter lengths. I think if you put a line through the race going a mile and a half, all of a sudden this form looks even better. She's proven at a mile and an eighth. Give me the eight. Talking book. 12 to 1 on the morning line. If we can get anything around six, we'd make a win wager here. Make sure to use that one in all of your exotics. Let's get to race number six at Keeneland. Optional 80, non-3, going a mile and a 16th on the main track here. I'm looking towards the 5, Farmington Road. So Farmington Road is now going to go third start off of a couple-month break. And two starts back, tried going really long on the turf. He just doesn't seem that he—he's got a race or two on the grass that's not bad, but he just doesn't seem that good on the turf overall, honestly. I just think he's much better on the dirt. So— he used to be a stone-cold, deep, deep closer. And then last time out, he sort of flashed speed in a race that was pretty quick. It was sort of surprising. He was drawn down towards the inside, and he just went on with it. And I'm looking back at that November 26th Churchill race, going a mile and three sixteenths. The optional 62 non-two. Something like that would stack up really well in here. Now he'll be making his third start of the form cycle. We know he can pass horses, and... He's recently shown a little bit more tactical speed. I think the five is interesting in here. Farmington Road, he's 8-1 to one on the morning line. <clears throat> I'm going to throw him into all exotics. I'll make a win wager on him if he's anywhere in the 5-1 to one range. Okay, this next horse is going to be a big price, but I wanted to mention her at least because I do think she could at, at the very least hit the board and might be a fun horse to throw into some sort of a pick three or, or pick four if you're playing any sort of Maltese. The seven, Lost My Sock. Her debut win at Aqueduct was good. She was 50-1 to that day, and the race came back live. And she was off for a few months. She came back at Tampa on February the 23rd. It's kind of crowded early in that race. She was inside. She was towards the rear, and she angled off, and she closed well. I thought it was not a bad effort from Lost My Sock. She's 30-1 to on the morning line. Throw her at least underneath in some of your exotics there. As we move along to race number 8, the number 11, Liberty MD. This is an optional 62, non-2, going 7 furlongs on the main track. I like this one quite a bit here, this 5-year-old mare. Another one who's you know probably had some physical issues. She's making just her 5th career start. Last time out, she ran into Kamari. Kamari's a grade 1 winner. We just saw Kamari finish 3rd in the grade 1 Madison over the weekend. And Liberty MD was racing for the first time since July. That was on March the 3rd. So she had a gap from July the 25th, 2001 to March the 3rd of 2022. 
kind of got squeezed back at the start of her last race too. It was a small field. She was last. She's about five lengths off. She spotted the other four at least three lengths. She moved right up onto even terms with Kamari. She made a big middle move, an early wide move, and it looked like she was going to go on with it, but Kamari was just sort of sitting chilly, and she was no match for the winner that day. But that's a grade one winner, a very talented winner. And for Liberty MD, that was the first start in a while, and with missing the break and coming from the back of it and having to make a middle move like that, she definitely... You know, was not the beneficiary of trips in here. It was a fine second that day. She needed the race, put a line through the two-back race going a mile and an eighth. Let's just say that was too far for her. The seven furlong should work out perfectly. She broke her maiden at seven. Then she won in her second start going a mile. And she ran pretty well at six and a half furlong. She's got more tactical speed and positional speed than she showed last out because of that poor early start. Talking about the number 11 Liberty MD, she's 12 to 1 on the morning line. We'll make sure to use her in all exotics. Where are they going to get to? Race number 9. The number 1 in love was in your Breeders' Cup mile. Last we saw her on November the 6th, and she was only 11 to 1 that day. She ran a little bit better than it looks. She was in some early traffic trouble. She settled 8th or ninth inside. There just wasn't a whole lot of passing going on. She angled out, and she was riding a big clump of horses that were all trying to close but really couldn't. She didn't earn a bad number or figure that day. She was not disgraced in any way, shape, or form. I think she'll be able to to save some ground in here. There's a little bit more pace. She saves all the ground. She works out a trip. She likes Keeneland, and she's 10-1 to 1 on the morning line. The number one in love. Grade one winner looking for another grade one here in the Maker's Mark Mile. So that is Keeneland for Friday. Lots of prices on tap for me Friday at Keeneland, let's head on over to Santa Anita for Friday. Let's run through the early pick five at Santa Anita on Friday, April the 15th. We are beginning in race number one. We've got Calbred, Maiden, Special Weight, Phillies, two-year-olds, first-time starters, all firsters here. I'm going to end up using three horses. I thought the three smoking Amelia wasn't bad in the work I saw on XBTV. was asked for a little bit of speed out of the gate. I thought it was a pretty decent start. Five winning siblings. The dam won the first two starts. She was a grade three winner who won nine times and earned 249000 Smoking Amelia is 10 to 1 on the morning line. I'm going to use her along with Tom's Regret, who is apparently very quick. Dam was a, a maiden special weight winner at Santa Anita. The lone sibling was 0 for 4, but did have three third place finishes. The barn, 2 for 32 with firsters. That's the Parabon barn who has Smoking Amelia and Tom's Regret. I'm using both of them along with the Rain Song. couple wins for the dam towards the outside and some solid works to discuss. So I'm going to be 3, 5, and 6 in race number 1. As we move along to race number 2, I'm going to single this horse in the early pick 5, the 1, Travel Smart. It looks like the 1 and the 2 will take a good amount of the money. I prefer Travel Smart. On March the 12th, was a step slow, and then got squeezed back, was last with about 8 or 9 off, angled out widest of all, and really got going late. They're going to add the blinkers on to get her a little bit closer and a little bit more focus. Juan Hernandez jumps aboard, who's been riding very, very well. You go back to January the 30th when she finished behind Lucky Girl. That's the same horse who Virulente finished behind. And Travel Smart ran into some traffic inside early and got stuck at the back behind horses, so she had an excuse that day. She'll be making the third start of her form cycle. The number one, Travel Smart, will be my early single there in the pick five at Santa Anita in race number two. 
We move on to the third race, Calbred Maiden Specials, Phillies and Mares, three-year-olds and up five and a half furlongs on the dirt course here. The five-square knot was in tight right away, was in between, got shuffled back, was about seven lengths off and moved five wide into the turn. They've got a couple siblings that went one on the dirt, so the, the transition from the turf to the dirt shouldn't be a problem for this five-year-old mare who had a lot of lightly raced five-year-olds today, huh? So another one, you know, who I made the note of, five years old, she's probably had some issues, and you'd imagine a couple races she'll get a lot out of. The eight horse is the one I think I'm probably the most intrigued by, though. I'll use five and eight both in the early pick five. Tracy D. Vincenzo settled sixth, was about, you know, three deep outside, sixth of eight there, about five or six lengths off, and then moved well outside up for second. It wasn't really like a winning-type effort, but they chased a one-to-five favorite that went wire-to-wire, and that winner, Marie, came back to win next out. They were a big-time class dropper. They won a $25,000 claiming race next time out by four. So a sharp horse who was dropping in class and, and then went out on to win next time out. They were coming off a long layoff, too, was Marie. Uh, Tracy DiVincenzo making the first start that day. 8-5 in race number three. Moving along to the fourth race. I'm going to shift towards the inside in here. I'm going I'm to play against Brocade because I think Chloe's girl, second time out of the box, can take a little more out of that. She was leading, and she really kept trying hard. She sort of backed up. And then she came on again. It looked like she didn't really like being down towards the inside, which may not benefit her again being down towards the inside. But the barn is really good second time out. 28 for the last 120. And a $2.97 ROI. So if you're just blindly betting 2 bucks, you're making a bunch of money every time Michael McCarthy has a second time starter. And that's in the last five years. And so I think Brocade may try to be forwardly placed and push Chloe's girl. And if those two end up showing some speed, I could even see bicameral with the inside draw trying to get aggressive because the best effort in the career came first time out when being close up and finishing second and then ran into Grace Adler when third in the Del Mar debutante. You can make legitimate excuses for her two races in 20, um, her two most recent races for bicameral. You don't want to take too short of a price on her, but I would not be shocked to see her show up with a much better effort and get asked for some speed down on the inside. And if for some reason the one, the two, and Brocade all decide to go, Angel of Freedom probably gets the trip. If you toss the turf race, she could end up getting a setup, and she's run into a lot of sharp horses in her career. 2-1-3 in race number four at Santa Anita. We move to the fifth race. I'm going to use the three and the four. I'll make the one floral essence prove it on the dirt. I think La Pulsinella is no doubt the horse to beat. You can take a look at the last few races. She ran into Park Avenue, who was super impressive in that race. Park Avenue was scratched out of a race this weekend, but that's a legitimate stakes-quality horse. Bye-bye Birdie in razor-sharp form. One next time out. Midnight Jamboree came back to beat La Pulsinella after that third-place effort. So I just think it's a good spot for La Pulsinella, who will sit close. Zara is not a win machine by any means, but she did get the job done last time out, and she probably gets a really nice setup in here. If you figure maybe Floral Essence will be forwardly placed from the inside, Flat Out Joy should be close. La Pulsinella wants to be close up. Morning Addiction has speed, as does Starship Defiant. You've got Zara as like the real true closer in here. So I'll end up using three and four. That'll be a pick five that looks something like this. Race number one, three, five, six with the one, with the five, eight, with the one, two, three, with the three, four. 
So we'll just be 3 times 2 is 6 times 3 is 18. 2 is 36. It's very affordable. Just an $18 early pick 5 there for me. But as we move on to race number 6 on Friday, it's a maiden 50 claimer. Calbred for 3-year-olds and up going a mile. I thought the 4 Big Wild West will stretch out and try the dirt for the first time. So it's got squeezed back at the start and just never really had a shot. And might be one that's fine going longer when a lot of these in here are not. Come back with a couple decent five straight works at Santa Anita over the dirt course. I think the four is worth some inclusion in your late exotics. Big Wild West, who is 10 to 1 on the morning line. We're looking for around six to make a wager there. And then in the seventh race, there are two horses who I'd want to use if I was playing any sort of late exotics in this race. The six horse, well, I guess there are three. The six girl ranger is the horse who I would maybe want to bet moved in between horses, was in tight, was bumped around, waited, angled around. It was a good second. Now you'll go second start off the short break. And that was against open company. Now you move back in with Calbreds. Funny feline looks like the speed. Trainer Brian Cordner said she's a space cadet, but she should be able to go longer. And then exactly Wendy, she moved inside. She was fifth to six. She was about four lengths off, and she got pushed back a bit on the inside. She got shut off. She angled out late. Now she's going to add the blinkers. You've got a new jock. I think they'll be a little bit more aggressive there. I would use the, I'd use exactly Wendy and Girl Ranger and all exotics and Funny Feline in most spots along with them. That's on Friday. Over at Santa Anita, April the 15th. Good luck on Friday as we shift on over and start talking a little Saturday. We'll take a look at a, a stakes race at Oaklawn first. So in race number 11 at Oaklawn on Saturday, April the 16th, it's the grade 3 count fleet. We're going to see the return of Jackie's Warrior, who was awesome last year when they turned him back to sprint. They tried him going a little bit longer to see if he was a horse that could stretch out. Not what he wanted to do. One of the best sprinters last year. Didn't have the best of races in the Breeders' Cup, but a really good year leading up to that. Some of the better, most exciting races of the year were races that Jackie's Warrior was in. I think it's a good spot to try to play against him, though. You never know when a horse is off like that, especially when they're coming off of a race that wasn't that good. And he's going to be a very short price. Bob's Edge is also going to be a short price. The three, let's get lucky. If he is around five or six to one, he might be worth a few bucks on the win end. He's never been worse than third. In it feels like six and a half and seven and probably a little bit farther than what he wants to do. I think this is a good trip. It's a good spot for him. He might get overlooked because he's a cowbred, but he's faced some pretty good horses like Brickyard Ride, who's a grade two winner and very, very fast. He was not too far behind him. Principe Carlo, who he defeated, was second in the San Carlos behind Cezanne next out. So let's get lucky, or I guess not next out, but not far after that one. Let's get lucky, speed, but can sit just off. So if Empire of Gold and Jackie's Warrior end up just going at it, maybe let's get lucky gets the jump in here, and he can at least keep them within striking range. The number three, let's get lucky, 6-1 to one on the morning line in the count fleet, the grade three count fleet on Saturday over at Oaklawn Park. Jackie's Warrior had an awesome year, makes the return to the races on Saturday. Let's get over to Keeneland. Got a couple plays for Keeneland for Saturday. I did like Friday a little bit better than Saturday. But for Saturday, let's look at the past performances for April the 16th. We will dive into race number two. I thought the... So we've got a maiden special weight going a mile on the turf course here for maiden three-year-olds. The three airspeed velocity 
was a step slow but was asked right after and then got up, was within a couple lengths, was moved to the inside and at the top of the stretch. And it wasn't a bad effort. Now the blinkers go, this horse finished fifth. And the race came back extremely live, right? There were three next out winners. Big Invasion, the winner, came back to win. Next time out, the uh, one of stakes next out. The second place finisher captured the time, came back to win a maiden special next out. The seventh place finisher won a maiden 30 next time out. Airspeed Velocity has three nice turf works and will stretch out now. The dam won the first, first couple starts, was also a turf winner, a stakes winner on the turf, and has... Produced a couple turf winning sibs There's a lot of turf pedigree here for Airspeed Velocity Who's going to stretch out With the blinkers on Legitimate trouble in that race Comes out of a good race Just didn't get a great trip Is a first time gelding Adds the blinkers Good pedigree Working on the turf Live race Lots of things to like About Airspeed Velocity At 8-1 to Let's move to the 4th race I'm looking at the 4th uh, race It's a maiden special weight 6 furlongs on the dirt there is so much speed in here. I'm just trying to find a horse who can pass some. And this bomb, the judge and jury, the number 12, might be one. So, most recently, he's been on the synthetic in his last couple. Two back, he was second. Three starts back, he she, he showed some speed going long and faded. The race that I'm the most intrigued by is his debut at Keeneland, October the 8th. And it was a dirt sprint, just like this. And he finished fourth in a field of nine, and the race was not bad. It was his best race he's ever run, sprinting on the dirt. Three next out winners, four. He was behind three next out winners. There were four total next out winners in that race. The winner, Katie's brother, won a stakes next out, trademark. The runner-up came back to win a maiden special weight, then a first-level allowance, then tried the Sam F. Davis, Tampa Bay Derby, and the Bluegrass. Was fifth in both the Tampa Bay Derby and the Bluegrass. The eighth-place finisher that day was Un. Oho, who won next out and was the Rebel winner. Third place finisher, B. Sud, won next out. Really loaded race. The judge and the jury might be able to just sit towards the outside and pick up some pieces and at a big, big price. I think you might want to use this horse in your early pick fives at least underneath. The number 12, the judge and the jury getting back to a dirt sprint, which is something he did well. Look at that most recent work at Keeneland. Maybe he just likes it at Keeneland and he's perked back up there. Let's get to the seventh race. Looking at the number nine, Basquiat. I think you ain't want to go six nine in here. It's an optional sixty two non two. The six injunction. Second start off the bench. Gets away from Speaker's Corner and Fearless. Speaker's Corner, one of the better horses in training right now. And injunction is really quick. But towards the outside, Basquiat. I really liked what I saw from him when he came into the Lisa Lewis barn on February the nineteenth and ran for the first time for her. He was in some traffic. He was just a couple lengths off. He was in Kind of a big crowd He was three deep and in between It was a packed second flight of horses He held his position really well It was incredibly impressive that he didn't get shuffled He got an opening And he moved through very nicely He was a winner that day Now he goes second start off the long layoff He's had plenty of time to recover That race was on February the 19th So almost two months And dive back into his dirt form overall So he wins first time he's on the dirt Then he, in his second start he finishes behind Tap It to Win. That's a graded stakes winner who's grade one placed. Mystic Guide was second in there. That's a grade one winner. Third place finisher, Country Grammar, is a multiple grade one winner. He was fourth behind those three. Then in his next start, he runs into 
Happy Saver, that's going a mile and an eighth, so we could probably put a line through it for that, and Happy Saver is a grade one winner. They flip him over to the turf. He doesn't run poorly behind next out winning proven strategies, next out winning ever dangerous. Then on November the uh, 27th, he probably has a physical issue because then he's sent to the bench for a while. Shows back up in May at Churchill Downs off of like a six-month layoff, finishes fifth, but then he's gone until February of 2022, so he had some physical issues. He has the right to really improve off of that effort and to really step forward. The number nine, Boskiot, 12 to 1 on the morning line. If we get anything over five, I'm going to make a win wager there. Let's move to race number nine. It's the grade three Lexington with some Kentucky Derby points on the line. I have them stacked seven major general blinkers on. There is not a lot of speed in here. I think they're going to send hard. I'm going to use the eight Strava all over in exotics. This horse has a big shot at a big price. The blinkers go on. Third start off the layoff. He has done nothing wrong in his career. He was behind Arkansas Derby winner Cyberknife last time out. He broke, you know, he broke through the gate and then he started pretty well from the outside from post 10 and he settled fifth about four off, two deep. He ended up moving up. He was about three lengths off. He moved right into contention, about two off at one point. He just couldn't get the Cyberknife. Now he adds the blinks for the third start of his form cycle. Strava will be in all exotics for me. I'll be using the 8 and the 7 along with the very logical number 2 in due time who I do think is the horse they'll all have to beat and I will include the 10 dash attack in most exotics there. I think dash attack has a big shot. Call Me Midnight will probably be in at least some underneath spots for me but uh, I'm more on the 7, 8, 2 here as sort of my top tier and then 10, 11 below them. Race number 9 at Keeneland. Let's close out the Saturday Keeneland card with race number 11. So you have the return of Highly Motivated, who I'm a big fan of. This is a multiple, I guess, multiple graded stakes placed runner and a stakes winner who was in the Kentucky Derby last year. Remember that really good effort when he was second in the bluegrass behind essential quality? So Highly Motivated, likely, I think he probably needs a race and he'll get some support because of the name and people remember him Escape Route's going to take some money Soup and Sandwich is going to take some money I'm looking at Chocolate Bar who I think may go a little under the radar Look at this guy's dirt form It's really good He was behind Prevalence who came right back to win next out Two back he was behind Collaborate And when Collaborate throws in a big effort He's really really capable of big efforts And the Dirt race prior to that was behind Let Me Know and Shoplifted Both who were like stakes caliber And Legitimate horses Chocolate bar Third start of the form cycle Key off that dirt form I think he'll be a nice price Right in that 5 or 6 to 1 range The number 11 Chocolate bar So that's Keeneland For Saturday April the 16th Let's finish up the racing With Santa Anita For Saturday Don't forget about those Santa Anita Pick'em contest On Saturday Pick'em.SantaAnita.com They're free to enter They ask you 12 Question their props that you have to answer That are involving the horse racing card For Santa Anita for Saturday and for Sunday And then there'll also be questions that are Going to be involving the NBA playoff games The betting lines there, the over-unders Stuff about, you know, team Three-pointers, team scores Leading scores, all sorts of different stuff Free to enter, it's a fun way to get Some extra action each and every Saturday and Sunday 500 bucks to the winner Let's get to Santa Anita for Saturday, April the 16th Mile and an eighth, Calbreds, three-year-olds and up in race number one. I like 
Mogulon Rim, who is going to make a, a return off of a little bit of a layoff. Hasn't raced since September the 6th, but this barn is very capable with uh, this type of a layoff. And they're going to be moving from Open Company against Stakes Runners back into Calbred Company. They faced Calbred's first time out and ran really well, finishing third with legitimate trouble that day. Put up to third via DQ. They thought enough of that race to try against Stakes Company. Only 9-1 to one in that Stakes field. Ran behind a horse named McKinnon, who finished third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Won the Zuma Beach after this race before the Breeders' Cup. And then was second in the El Camino Real Derby so far this year. Mughal and Rim is going to get Lasix for the first time. And in that race, she settled towards the inside. It's kind of behind the leader and just backed up. Was in a little bit too tough that day. Now you're back in with Calbreds. You're fresh. You're going to save all the ground. There is not a lot of speed in here. I think this one will be forwardly placed and sitting in the top flight. The number one, Mogollon and Rim, 6-1 to one on the morning line. Anything over four will make a win wager there. In race number two, just a horse to mention, McLaren Vale is going to take a lot of money. Elector is going to take a lot of money. I kind of like Bruto a little bit. Second off the, uh, the short break. Sitting a nice trip, gets away from escape route. You see Ginobili a couple starts back, flight line. This guy's run into some really, really nice ones. Maybe Bruto has a shot there. And in the third, the number th- three, a thousand dreams, second start off the long, long layoff. I think this is another one who can take a big step forward, one that you may want to use in some of your early exotics. The fifth race, I'm a big fan of this one. The number five, Echo Smith. So if you're looking at the three-horse Barsabas, they both raced against each other on February the 19th. And on that day, Echo Smith was about a length behind Barsabas, and Echo Smith had legitimate trouble. He had a good start. He settled third inside. He was hard. He, he wanted to go. They had to kind of wrangle him back. And he was traveling well, but he got he had nowhere to go. And by the time he got room, he was a little bit flat. The winner was a wire-to-wire winner that day, Sumter, on the front end. And the difference between finishing third and sixth was like a length, maybe a length and a quarter. So it it looks like he was beaten a lot more and didn't run all that well. I thought it was a fine effort. Then March the 18th, he got absolutely destroyed in the early stages of the race. If you watch the head-on, he's just bounced back and forth, pinball, ding, 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 all over. Zero chance, put a line right through that race. This guy's had legitimate trouble. Now, three times in a row, he's due for a little bit of luck in here. Just playing that game, he was right behind Barsabas. He's 5-2, to two, Echo Smith's 15-1. to one. Let's go Echo Smith, 15-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around 8, we'll make a win wager there. Let's move to race 7. 25 starter allowance, a mile and an eighth on the turf course. Let's go to the outside with the 8 Frontier Market. So last out, they tried to tuck in on March the 19th, but we're still like 3 deep in 6th and then 7th and... When trying to get more towards the inside, they got caught in between horses and ended up in a bad spot, buried inside, nowhere to go. And then after all that trouble, when they didn't really have a shot, they just wrapped up on him late. Now you're going to go third start off the long layoff. If this nine-year-old's got anything left, I think he should show it here at a decent price. Make sure he's at least six to one or so. But the eight frontier market is going to be in a lot of my late exotics. He's eight to one on the morning line. In the ninth race, I really wanted to uh, throw in the one Henley's Joy. I'll probably use him in in some multis, but I can't really endorse him as like a major win candidate because he has not won in forever. Tenth race, the number 11, Breakfast Ride. This is how we'll finish things up. Maiden Special Weights here. 
This horse is going to get Lasix for the first time And he's got a steady tab You look at the races he comes out of last year He was behind some nice horses Corniche and Durante I know some of those That two year old form doesn't always Prove to be moving forward But if you look at the races I mean the workouts on XBTV This horse seems to have some ability in the mornings Toss the race going long on the turf Steady tab Lasix Ability in the mornings Exit some live spots Breakfast ride 8-1 to one on the morning line I'm using all over the place I'll make a win wager If he's anything around 5 That is Saturday Over at Santa Anita Don't forget about those Santa Anita Pick'em contest And we make the transition on over And start talking some wrestling Right now Chad Cooper This week in wrestling We recap everything going on on Smackdown Then we bounce over to Monday Night Raw We talk some NXT And we finish up with AEW uh, Speaking about the uh, bump in the ratings on Rampage And their Wednesday Night Dynamite shows Chad Cooper, Koopaloop Talking this week in wrestling Here it is folks Fight of the night And trying to claim that belt once and for all It's this week's wrestling recap Alright, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper! After a couple crazy weeks uh, built and centered around WrestleMania, kind of settle back in to our normal schedule on this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper here on that's what he said podcast Koopa loop we uh yeah we're coming off of the heels of WrestleMania and now you know we're, we're gonna settle in we're gonna have our WrestleMania backlash pay-per-view coming up it sort of feels like in a couple spots and I think up, up top with the with the WWE that they don't exactly really know where they're going here from here and uh <laughs> It was like, okay, we're going to have Roman win um, But who's going to be next for him? Um, and maybe it sort of feels like They got the guy who they're picking out down the line Because Cody is someone who keeps mentioning He wants to go after the title And, you know, I guess we can just Kind of talk about him at the beginning And we'll jump into SmackDown What have been your early thoughts on Cody Rhodes Through a few weeks in, back in the WWE? I, I've been pleasantly surprised The pop Ew. is still there yeah. Um, well, I think know, they booked him. They've booked him well, and the stuff that yes. he said, it's all been good promos. It's made sense. Nothing's feel. It hasn't felt forced or anything. It it feels sure. pretty genuine. It does, and you know, hey, look, it's easier to get that pop at WrestleMania, uh, especially if you're making a returning debut and you're coming back. Uh, I thought the following night was one hell of a promo. Um, this week on Raw uh, with Miz TV, you know, that can kind of get a little corny and kind of blow up. I thought the Miz did a fantastic job. Yeah. I thought their match uh, was really, really good. I agree. It was I very good. Yeah, I think they're telling the story to get Cody there. I just, I'm right, you know, you, you said the, the correct word. We, we were in an interesting crazy time over the last three or four weeks to get to WrestleMania. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going on and not going on. The rumor is there's a little COVID bug going around. There's a flu bug going around with a lot of WWE superstars. Uh, You know, we were supposed to see Rey Mysterio this week. He wasn't even talked about. 
Uh, we were supposed to get a couple of more debuts. Uh, they weren't there. Um, you know, is Roman hurt? Is Brock hurt? Um, I was, you know, I was a little disappointed. The ending of Monday Night Raw last week after Mania, when Roman said, "You've got to tune in to SmackDown, and we'll tell you what's gonna ha- what what's next up." And then Friday night to end SmackDown, we get a well. Roman wants to unify the tag team titles now, which that's fine. I just thought it was a little let down because I want to know what's happening with Roman Reigns next. I don't really know if they know yet. I don't know if they're going to give him a little time off from the ring. He may be beat up. Uh, but, you know, with this backlash coming up, wouldn't you think that, uh, you know, his titles would be on the line against, you know, a placeholder in there? Or, or yeah, it looks like Nakamura, maybe, and we'll get That's there. That's what it looks like. That's in what a... it looks like. So we'll uh, we'll go through SmackDown. We'll jump into Raw. We'll hit some NXT, and then we'll finish up with things going on on AEW. And we can tell on Dynamite and actually on Rampage, they're really trying to pump up Rampage as those numbers have been struggling. So they're scheduling lots of big matches, and that they actually got um, a, a pretty good number last week. And just sort of having a show that had. Brian Danielson and John Moxley both wrestling on it. So we'll have a lot to talk about in the AEW portion at the end. But we start last week on uh, SmackDown from April the 8th. Xavier Woods got the win over Butch. Ah, don't like this. You know, he already get a beat <laughs> in a roll up. Gunther shows up, though, and he is, uh, gets a squash win over Joe Alonzo. <laughs> we had uh, Drew so McIntyre. Joe Alonzo from. From social media, he, hating on women that he's having to wrestle. He that was his gimmick for a while. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years. <laughs> the Drew McIntyre, maybe a direction they're going to be going. He defeats Sami Zayn uh, via countout, and then Liv Morgan gets a win over Sasha. Those are just the matches on the show, but a lot of other things happened. We actually kicked off with Ronda talking with Kayla Braxton. Kayla, okay, Kayla. Yeah, you know. okay, Kayla. <laughs> Kayla getting whipped by uh, Kayla's Woo! great on social media. She said she always wanted to get whipped by by the Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley uh, whip that they had for uh, their WrestleMania gear. So she had a fun little uh, gif on line, sister. No, social media. I know. I was gonna say all of us, all of us, like uh, nerdy, dorky, uh, skeezy guys who watch them are thinking the same thing, right? Get in line. Get in line behind get all of us. Poor Rhonda, we you know we've discussed this many times. She's just not good on the mic when she has to talk, like cut a promo. The the like her timing, her cadence, it's all just sort of off. You know, it's weird because I felt like it took her a little while to learn, and and I felt like towards the end of her first run, she was actually improved. But then you go away from a while and you come back and you have to cut these promos or you have to memorize lines in the middle of a ring in front of a bunch of people. Some of them don't really like you all that much. You're probably better off as a heel. And so it just – I think this batch will be good again. I did, I wasn't it's down on their match at WrestleMania as many as some. I thought the match was fine. Just the ending was sort of weird and the result was sort of weird to bring back Ronda and have her lose. But they have now – Said they're gonna. Uh, she challenged Charlotte to an I quit match, and uh, Charlotte kind of laughs and she says, "Quitting isn't in her DNA, but winning is." And Charlotte kind of talks some shit to her. Said the baddest woman on the planet is a myth because Rhonda can't win anymore. Rhonda says she was gonna snap 
Flair's arm backwards and uh, she drops the mic. So when she gets more aggressive like that and she just has a purpose and she says, I'm going to kick your ass or I'm going to break your arm or I'm going to do this, that's fine. It's when she has to try to say or do too much. It's it just never comes off like a baby face. No. And, and, you know, during our WrestleMania, you know, previews and our recaps, you know, there were rumors that she was upset that she was not headlining. Then there was the rumor that she was supposed to be on Raw the week of, right, the go-home show. She wasn't there. So we thought, okay, maybe there's some truth to this. She's. Uh, I was surprised that she opened SmackDown. I, I thought – I didn't think we'd see her for for a while. I, I was surprised I at opening this. I just – I'm with you. And she came I out smiling, it, it which just, I hated, right? Yeah, I, I do too. I hate it with Bianca. I hate it with Ronda. You lose. You sort of got cheated. Why do you walk out kind of smiling? Right, be mad. That's more realistic. It's funny because you can you can sort of see in her head that she doesn't know what she's it, she's not exactly sure what she's supposed to do. Right, right. Because she keeps she'll smile and then she'll come out sometimes and she'll be she'll go too smiley. She happy. turns it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, that's not we don't that's not what we ever wanted from Rhonda. And you can tell that's probably something she's getting from Vince. Like big smiles, Rhonda. Big smile, you know, it's probably right. a directive that comes like he would tell Finn Balor or some of them, right? Big smile. And it just doesn't fit with her. She's if she's gonna be a baby face, she's gotta be the badass baby face. I don't like her selling a whole lot either. That's just sort of what makes it hard for her to be a baby face because it it doesn't really work all that well. And then you had this weird segment later in the night when she's with Adam Pierce, right? And she goes, I want my answer. And then he says, well, maybe we'll get an answer tomorrow or whatever. I just thought it was weird. What's tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, which is Saturday. And do you see Charlotte losing the title at Backlash? I mean, I don't. I I was I was 100 percent. She was going to win it. She was going to lose it at Mania. So now I don't. So why would I? It it doesn't feel like Ronda. I quit. It's an I quit, which is basically a submission. You hope they don't go wonky, and if Ronda loses, you don't want her to go where she's passed out and you can't say anything. You get somebody's gonna have to say I quit. The one and that I Ronda- I loved, which was the one back in the day when The Rock got the Mick Foley uh, recording. Yeah, and he had it played fantastic. on the yeah. loudspeaker, <laughs> where it's like I quit, I quit, I quit. He's like screaming it, and Mick's like that, didn't say great. anything. I was like, that was great because you you think. The problem with an I quit match is Do you want Charlotte saying I quit The face of your freaking Women's division like Why would you want her to say those words ever Why would you even put her in a spot To say those words have it be a no DQ Falls count anywhere Last woman standing match or something Like that right that's but Even a submission match Because Ronda's got the submissions And she's got the submissions that's fine Why do you want her to say I quit you better Have a good plan for this yeah, because I don't want either one of them. Saying Why? It. I Why? I don't, I'm not Me neither. Big, I'm not a big Charlotte fan, but I don't want her saying it. Um, Rhonda doesn't need to be saying it. So hopefully, you know, it, look, if you want a walkie finish like that, that's fantastic. That would be fun. That's, I would love that. Really if Charlotte does something like that, that just really pisses off Rhonda and, and yeah, makes her snap. And you could do the trilogy at, at SummerSlam and be done with it. But if one of these ladies say I quit. Uh, it's going to be hard to give this any more president. I, I would think Rhonda would, if she 
I quits it. She's got to go away. I, I thought she was going away the, the way things went down after Mania. She didn't. Props to her, you know, putting it on. Look, it's still intrigued there with Ronda and Charlotte. I hate to say it, but there is. I, You know, there's not a whole lot of matches that they've announced for Backlash. Because like you said, I don't think they know really a whole lot what they're doing. Well, I'm, I think we're going to get Cody and Seth. It looks we'll like get Cody and Seth a rematch. Backlashes are, are a lot of rematches, and I can tell you this: you know, when we get to Raw, I, I don't see Finn Balor being the U.S. champion anymore after next week. So no, we'll probably have a rematch of that. But probably get a we'll probably get a Priest AJ match maybe right, there. I, I'm intrigued, uh, and yeah, we'll get to this this AJ Priest disaster of a finish uh, on Raw, but. Aren't you still intrigued though with Charlotte and Ronda in an I Quit match? Absolutely, I think the match will be good, and I'm curious who's going to win. So that's something that still draws my attention. I just I I want to see sooner than later Ronda get to the point where she just comes out and shits on the fans. because yes, that's what I she agree. wants to do, and that's going to be that just fits. Then everyone can boo the hell out of her. She can come out and she can actually act like she's better than everyone, and it'll feel just a little bit more real. Right. I see. I would love for her to win this title at Backlash and then do that on Monday. And then do that and say, screw you guys all. You people, yeah, you, you, you know, do the Becky Lynch. It would just be more believable because people Mm -hmm. really would get mad at at Ronda Rousey. And and the thing is, is that for as much as people dislike Ronda, you know what? I, I will say, Ronda is someone who did train very hard. She does like and respect wrestling, right? She was a rowdy Roddy Piper fan. She was a wrestling fan. She trained with Natalia and stuff. So she took it seriously. She didn't just come in and think, I'm better than you and I'm not gonna have to work at this. I think what what happened for her was she was just sort of shocked that people booed her. So you're she, saying it's not very easy, regardless if you're a world Olympian, only a few can make that transition over to professional wrestling and be really good at it on the big stage. I'm not right? talking small, independent National Guard Armory shows. And she ha- she was she's a star. She was a proven star. Well, and she pers- still gets her persona is is out of this world. One of, of the most skill. recognizable females in the world during a, a short period of time. I mean, honestly, and 100 percent agree. It's crazy that, you know, I think for her, she sort of just came in and thought, I'll work hard and they're going to really like me. I'm a big star and I'm a badass and it's going to fit. And it, when, with the stuff with Rhonda, when it works, it's awesome. Yes. Like when the storylines with her connect and they hit, damn, they're good. But when they're off, it's sort of like a, it, it's a disconnect between the fans and the story that they're telling. And I think she had a tough time with that. And so it, it is. I did too. You know, that's one of those weird things. Man, I have a tough time with Butch getting rolled up. I don't mind Xavier <laughs> winning, but it's like, why do this to this guy right away like this? I actually don't mind the way that up until this roll up, I don't even mind the way he's been presented. I actually thought they made him sort of look pretty tough in, yeah, in like a couple a situations yeah. and look like a badass. And he actually does sort of seem like he's a good pairing with Sheamus. And these yeah. like, I like to fight guys, right? It just sort of goes, but Ah, this is the kind of stuff that people hate. Like right away, he's already getting rolled up. That that doesn't make you feel good about the prospects for his future. No, and I think they think that it protects a a loss, and it really does. It's worse. It's, it makes you look stupid. The match was eight minutes and thirty two seconds, and I thought it was fairly 
entertaining. It was. It was really good. These these guys are both good in the ring, and he's always going to be good in this situation. Short TV matches, because he's a hard-hitting dude. And that's what you want him on TV for. That's what we've asked for. Him, Ricochet, uh, those type of guys. I don't mind the gimmick change. Do I love it? No. You'll grow into it. But that's what WWE does to the majority of their superstars, right? I, I, I get the wanting to fight people. Like I said, it reminds me of Little Rascal, Little Rascals. But there at the end when he's rolled up, he's he's mad at Ridge Holland, and he's mad at Sheamus, and he's wanting to fight. I think it just takes away from the work they put into the match when you have a quick roll-up, one, two, three, and you get that surprise look. Don't like it in AEW. Don't like in WWE Impact. Nope. I don't like it anywhere. Now, there are a few occasions, you and I have talked about it, where it has worked. But it's less specific. times than more. It's specific. specific. And Outliers. It did not work here, man, at all. No. Nope. Gunther gets the win. Man, I will say. Man, he looked pe- good. And people want to crap on, you know, WWE because it's a corporation, right? It's corporate. Think about how, sure. man, I work with a bunch of different sponsors in a bunch of different places with that's what G said. And some of them, when it comes to just, like, getting paid, it's funny. Some of them. I always get paid, but some of them with the corporation, it takes so much longer because it's got to <laughs> right. go through all these channels, oh, right? And it's that. like, then it's, it's got to go through this and you got to check and balance here. And then it's this going this and there's this going this and there's this on that. But, but you, you know, you sort of feel the safest about it in the long run, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it's coming because you know, it's coming from a play. The funny thing about WWE is they do a lot of things wrong, but wow. I don't know if it was they made Or whatever the directive was This guy physically Looks fantastic Right now He dropped a ton of weight He looks like he That belly that was there before It's is gone. Just gone Yeah that it's baby gone. fat Man I tell you what And you could talk to anyone I'm not saying and, and I brought this up I think a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> Even those who are signed to the Performance center Never make it on TV or whoever, there is a strict training regimen at WWE. And a lot of it has to do with you don't get in the ring at all after until you do about four hours of warm-up, weights, calisthenics, uh, cardio. You can't even help but be losing the the weight. The presentation of him Monday night with Ludwig Kaiser was fantastic. I liked it. It just was, and I like it. And th- this, who who was the guy a couple of years ago that they brought in like this? He was ball headed. He was supposed to be this monster. Then he got in trouble on social media. Then they brought him back. Who was that guy? You remember him? Ryback. Ball headed. Who? You're not talking about Ryback, or are we talking about Tensai? No, not Ryback or Tensai. Remember this guy came in, and then he's. Lars Sullivan. Yeah. Lars Sullivan. See, somebody tried to compare him, and I immediately, immediately cut them off and said, Oh, no, this guy's so much better. Yeah. This guy's like freaking machine, dude. This guy's been a legitimate, independent. He's got a long career in this company. Oh, and he's been a guy that for years people have said, This could be a really good, or this is someone WWE needs to go get. He's an independent. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Can't you see him being a worldwide superstar when they go over to the UK? Oh my gosh. That's why they did this. They did this because one thing worth mentioning, they have announced that there is going to be a pay-per-view 
in September this year in the UK in a stadium, which is going oh, wow. to be the first time first in yeah, 30 first time. years that they've been back. I think since uh, since SummerSlam 1992 with the British Bulldog beating Dude, Bret Hart that, in the main true. event of that show, which this got is perfect it. for this guy, this right? And that's what guy. you get him built up for a big opportunity there, where you have him win an IC title or something like that, right? You have him set up. And what's nice about him is, I don't think this is someone who will, but he's big enough and tough enough to be. To be put in the ring with Roman You can throw him in the ring with Roman For a match, for a feud For a pay-per-view main event For a show, so that's what's nice Is that some of these others that If they're not quite that big of a star You can't really picture, can they be put in the ring With your top guy and look okay This guy would stand next to Roman Reigns and fit Take out Cody Rhodes right now Okay Couldn't you see him Within the next couple of months Having the Raw Championship absolutely Absolutely this guy Is that type of guy early it's not Too early for this guy right this guy is that Type of guy that you just immediately have Him you have him squash for a Few weeks let everybody get to see How what he can do and then you Meet you put him in against someone You know a Sammy Zane type yeah then I'd let him go Over Drew McIntyre I'm sorry I agree You have you beat no no you have him beat Drew just like that someone like Drew Right away it's SummerSlam or somewhere In one of these paper money in the bank Seamus Drew yes you go Along those lines you get Drew at a pay-per-view and then boom like He's on the way this could be a Guy on the mic too just got a Presence about him he does I like Him a lot we got uh, Raquel Rodriguez. Rodriguez. The former Raquel Gonzalez. I mean, it's wonky just, when they Is she gonna be a manager? When they change names here. I don't I mean, she I will say she looked great here. Like she does. She sure. looked beautiful I hear, you know, and we know she's a badass and she was being a little, you know, the Los Lotarios was flirting with her. <laughs> they asked to get a for a kiss, and then she said something like, Hell no. So I want it was weird to to bring her in and have her interact with the guys with them. I don't. Li- I, I'm worried about that. That because she's that so good that I agree ring. because you hope that they're not thinking of her as something that's comedy or goofy. But if they do have her do something like kick these guys' ass, oh, I, I'll take that. I, that's kind of cool for her. I don't love it for them, but it's not as if these guys have been presented ever like they're presented. Like a corny gimmick with the kissing Lothario stuff so they are the type of guys That would get their butts kicked by this badass Girl so if that's where they're gonna go Yeah and I may get crushed for this But like Gunther or Gunther That's Raquel is somebody You know take Charlotte take Ronda Out of the picture if they're going to go away for a while Put the rocket right on her And she goes to the Moon Put it. I, I know. Hey, I, I can look if if Roman transitioned to Raw and was going to be the Raw champion. I, you know, Guther SmackDown championship. These are the type of people, as you say, when you're hot, you're hot. Put it on them. You got to do it right away with these people I, too, right? It's I not tomorrow. So good. Now, if she wants to be like a manager, like we have with Legaz, uh, Legazmo de, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, Electra, Electra. Yeah. 
you know who gets in the ring, but I don't want her on the no. She's the ring she is a time. she's a badass, and she can be a babyface or a heel. She's big enough to where she can go stand in the ring next to Char- same thing like I just said with Gunther. Put her in the ring with Charlotte, she fits. Put her in the ring with Becky and Bianca, she fits with all of them. This is this is someone right now. Gunther and and Raquel, you got to get behind, and they can't be getting rolled up in a few weeks. Not at all. Hell, you know what? We're getting a Madcap Moss babyface turn here. Finally! And this is, <laughs> you know what? I actually am getting behind this. He could be a middle card babyface guy, and now the goofy stuff people will cheer for, right? It's just like the way you present it. He can come out and tell those stupid jokes about the heels that he's facing instead of the other way. Instead of telling the corny joke about the baby face that's awful, he'll come out and his jokes will be a little bit better now, right? They'll be a little bit funnier now. And the guy looks fantastic in the ring. The crowd sort of naturally, it was, it's been like, a, oh, this is so bad, it's good thing for him. That now I think there's some, some support. I actually like the idea of him. And it felt like with just the, these couple of, you know, oh, okay, Raquel's here now. And Gunther looked good And maybe this, you know, change for Madcap It it just felt a little fresh, right? It did feel sort of like a, a Raw after Or like a Smackdown after Mania Because it did feel like some there was some new direction For a, a few of these people Um, And as you said a while back uh, Even though he was stuck It seeming, seemed like with Drew McIntyre every week The guy's pretty darn good in the ring He is He's better than you think he is or than I and he gets he's getting better and better. The dude's physique is incredible. Yeah. He's in I'm great shape. This, I'm gonna give this a chance. I, Me I'm too. literally gonna, gonna gonna give this a chance. You're, and I he think there's is, a shot this guy is gonna be a middle of the card star. Me too. We love someone like Ricochet. But dude, this guy is the type of guy like Austin Theory, who the company you can tell is a little bit more behind them right now. And so why not put something like the IC title on him, right? Like he could do a lot with it. I think it, it would be good for him. So we'll see what they do with uh with Madcap Moss moving forward. But I'd like to see him stacked in the middle of the card here. So Drew Sammy had a match. Sammy was complaining. He said, "The next man who walked through this door, I want to match with him." And then Drew walked through, and he was like, "Oh shit, yeah." And so Sammy weaselled his way out of the match, and uh, he was about to get kicked. But he ran to the floor and hopped and then uh, ran away through the audience. So we'll probably get a little more with these two. I, and I think it works with Sammy right Yeah, now. which is fine. Yeah, which I like it too. Fine. Anything like for Drew feels a little fresh. He just needed to get away from Corbin and Madcap because that was going on for way too long. And Sammy had the Knoxville stuff going on for a long time. So right. these two guys together for a few weeks is sort of like a TV program. I'm fine with this. And maybe they have a match at the pay-per-view. 100% agree. I, I'd like to see him maybe another direction at SummerSlam, but this is fine yeah. for a Weasley heel right now, and I mm-hmm. think he's okay with it, too. Yeah, along the way for both of them, we got, um, oh, Lacey, Ez- Lacey Evans. The story First. of Lacey Evans. Yeah, a, a, a promo from her. presentation with this about her mother, uh, her being a mother. What what was your take on this package? I, I liked it. I think it's a sort of a good, like, starting over point, right? Yes. Because yes. with her, I think her when they brought her up, it was very wonky. Because remember, it, she it's kept hard. interrupting in this like Southern Belle 
type yeah. outfit and just during the matches and it didn't fit. Well, because you what's hard with her is her real life story is it's awesome. Amazing. She's a it's total amazing. baby face, right? In yes. real life, she is like the person you'd want to cheer for and root for the most. But she kind of like her mannerisms and stuff are kind of naturally heelish, you know? And it doesn't mean that she's like a bad person or mean or anything. It just means like the some of the things that she does well on TV kind of come off like heely. And that was the way they presented her. So I always thought, yeah, she comes off better as a heel, but her real life story is a baby face. And then when they tried to sort of present that real life part of it, it it came off it it wasn't really connecting that well. It sort of came off like they were forcing it. I think the time off and and if they you know this will give her a nice restart and a refresh because she, this is this is her like this is her real story so this isn't anything that is forced this is really who she is so I think I think this will be better for her and hopefully we don't have to do the you know the southerny accent stuff as much Remember I think we have the goofy little laugh like Fire Marshal Bill there at the end she was in a tag team. With someone, and she was doing this goofy little laugh. I mean, I know. If you follow her on social media, especially Instagram. They grow their own food. She lives on a farm. She, you know, she has a husband who's an MMA background. She has two kids now. What she does on her social media is amazing. And I really can't believe that WWE hasn't 100% fully tapped into this potential yet. Hopefully, we're getting that with this restart here because I, I liked it. I like her. It's just, how, why? Okay, I, I have no problem with Liv Morgan winning because I like what we like Liv. They've done a sure. good job kind of building Liv up. It's so weird though. She beats Sasha in in this match, and it's like any time that the women win the tag team championships, they just the only way they can create a feud is to have them lose. I don't get it. How, how can they not be just more creative than that? You. You, you, why does it always have to be? Oh, one of them loses in singles, or they lose, they get beat, and then we have a match. It just why? Why, why not, have I'm Sasha not, losing right now? I don't mind this. Why not have Liv beat? You can have Sasha and Naomi sitting at ringside on commentary. You can have Liv in the ring against, I don't know, Natalia, someone else on the roster that's, you know. Middle of the pack on the roster But not in the current feud That you're having Don't have them lose I hate seeing people get the, get pinned And then I know they're going to have a, a bigger match coming up moving forward Sasha and Naomi are going to defend the titles Against Rhea and Liv But I just saw Sasha lose I know that's something that they do in tags And they always have But I, it's a really lazy way of setting it up It's a downer uh, You see Liv beating Sasha on Friday night, and then two nights later, um, Naomi is defeating Liv. I, uh, I, I mean, why put one over the other? I'm with you. Put her up against Queen Zelina, you know, somebody, Nikki A.S.H. Let her have a, a, a match instead of I, these, these women, these WWE women's tag team titles are just, they're cursed. If you hold them, you're getting cursed. You know, we thought it was a good little idea. With Carmella and Zelina, they had a decent couple of weeks. We thought it was a weird pairing, and then they started losing, and then they never they never worked a match. They would be in singles. Now the belts move off. And look, Sasha, Naomi, and Rhea and Liv next Monday night on Raw, 
it's probably going to be a darn good match. But if Rhea and Liv don't win them now, it makes no sense Liv going over Sasha last Friday night on SmackDown. So they That's announced- my only point. They announced that we will have a uh, Sammy versus Drew and Jinder versus Ricochet coming up this week. And uh, the Bloodline enters the ring to close out SmackDown. They did let us know before this about Rick Boog's injury, which is uh, a bummer. So he'll be out terrible. for yeah, a little terrible. while. Uh, and he was a uh, he was super over. But as Roman Reigns and the Bloodline stands and celebrates their victory. Roman says he wants the Usos to get the uh, the other tag team titles from Raw. He wants everybody to have all the gold. And right as he says that's the plan, Nakamura interrupts. Nakamura comes out, and obviously we can maybe just suggest he's probably there because he's pissed off that his uh, his teammate got hurt by the Bloodline and by the Usos. And so this is someone who you can sort of. You can see why like why and, and maybe who they would slot in for uh, a pay-per-view here. It looks like Brock is, I think, banged up a little bit. And Brock was on TV a lot. He was actually doing a whole ton for a while, a lot more than Brock was used to. Um, so I'm not I'm not surprised. This is this is what's hard for most companies when you have like a big match or a big show, there's usually a match afterwards that's just not all that exciting or not all that interesting. I'm sure this match will be okay if we get a Roman versus Nakamura, but I don't think there's one person in the world who thinks Nakamura would have a chance of beating Roman Reigns. And that's it's hard when you have a hot champion, you want to try to continue the momentum, but you look around the roster now, really on both sides and like who even feels like they would even have a tiny chance in hell against Roman Reigns. Let me present it to you this way, Gino. Remember when WWE signed Shinsuke Nakamura to come over to this company? It was headlines. This guy is phenomenal, fantastic, five-star matches. He's had a pretty good run in WWE. It hasn't been great. Um, On paper, this should be a wrestling fan's one-of-a-kind dream. I I don't remember... Roman and Shinsuke ever being in a program. So after Friday night, why don't I feel as enthused of what I should be with a talent like Shinsuke and a hot champion talent like Roman? Why aren't I foaming at the mouth? Saying, I know. When is this match? This would have been a match that we would have said, oh, a dream match. Someone like Nakamura yeah. versus Roman, yeah. but. They just haven't done as great of a job with Nakamura. When's the last no. time he's had like a really no. good, awesome singles match? Either I don't know if it's a physical thing for him or if it's just not the way they want to present him. But it just it doesn't feel like a main event, main title match right now. And it feels like Roman's just on a different plane than in everyone else. But we'll see what continues on with Roman and Nakamura, and if that's uh, something they do on TV, or if maybe that's a match they build to WrestleMania Backlash if they they don't have. A possible other opponent opponent for Roman And maybe I mean on the Smackdown side like we said that's maybe why You have to get someone like Gunther Hot and elevated because look around It's who I mean, Drew and 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 who else is even I mean, close You've lost Cesaro you know You've lost a lot of guys Big E was over there for a while sure. but then he went to Raw He got hurt like what do you you know there's not we're, just, we're not gonna get Kofi Roman We know that No um, so yeah, there, there's not a whole lot over there right now. I, I just um, I, I'm hoping Shinsuke 
Roman delivers, we should be saying, man, this is going to be a fantastic wrestling match. But the last couple of months, year for Shinsuke in the ring is just, and it's not to his fault. It's been a corporation fault. It, It just hasn't been good. We get over to Monday Night Raw. Veer Mahan, he beat Dominic Mysterio. <laughs> I will, and uh, we'll talk about it. But they did make him look badass, at least at the very least. Like he, he did look uh, evil and dominating there. AJ Styles, Damian Priest ended it in a no contest. We got Cody Rhodes beating the Miz. We got Naomi beating Liv Morgan after Liv got the win against Sasha just <laughs> a week before, a few days before. Bianca beat Queen Zelina. RK Bro beat Alpha Academy. And the Usos got the win over the Street Profits there. So we open up Raw with a video package, and we get the Miz coming out for Miz TV. And Cody comes out. We talked a little bit about this already, but fans were very hot to see Cody. They were chanting Dusty. Miz said, "If it wasn't for Cody's family name, this would." I love this line. He said he wouldn't be just the grandson of a plumber. He'd just be a plumber. Plumber. That was pretty good. He got a lot of heat. Yeah, and then Cody, of course, would do the dusty thing and sort of like spin that like, what's wrong with being a plumber kind of a thing, right? (laughs) You know, like (laughs) you you make it seem like, so you're calling out the people that are working their ass off every day and have hard times, right? The Dusty Rhodes hard times promo. He said, uh, and then it was, it was great because I think this this had to have been done purposefully. You know, Cody said a couple of the things that Vince hates that you say, right? Wrestler. And yeah, he said, yeah. superstar. And Miz corrected him and said, superstar. Superstar. <laughs> and then he said, I want to win that belt. And he said, a belt is something that holds up your pants. This is a title. Which is another one of the, like, the Vince-isms. So if- it was great. If that wasn't really, it had to have been planned because it was just perfect. And so you've kind of got the... The guy, the Miz, who as much as he's a, a heel, he's the WWE company guy, right? The Miz yeah. is the guy that's always there. He's only had like one or two injuries, very short ones throughout. We're, we're, we're a really safe worker, doesn't hurt a lot of guys, does all the promotional stuff, radio, TV, interviews, uh, marketing, advertising, anything they need. They call the Miz. He does it five in the morning, whatever time. So they love the Miz. You know, and so it's it actually made a lot of sense. The Miz is the guy who's like, "Hey, look, you're gone. You came back. It's not the same around here. This is what it's gonna be like." He's sort of kind of towing the WWE line, and Cody just continues to speak his purpose. And he says, "You know, I have nothing, no, but respect for Seth Rollins. If he wants a rematch, we'll do that." But I like he even said, "Miz, I have respect for you and what you've done to get here. Everything that you've done." So. He's pretty good babyface. I thought the way he spoke was really good again. He comes off like a star, very smart. I mean, if you watched the old Cody Rhodes from the WWE, and then you remember him as like the guy who is sort of in the IC title level, the guy with the mask, the guy who was in Legacy, who was sort of Randy Orton's like, you know, little brother sort of character, and then Stardust at the end, you would be. If you weren't someone who was watching AEW And you had no idea what Cody was doing When he was gone You just watched WWE You're not on social media He shows back up and you go Oh wow, Cody Rhodes And if you heard him talk And you just sort of saw him I would be extremely impressed With 
his ability to cut promos, how eloquent he is. Even some people said, "Oh, I don't like he uses big words and stuff." I like that. I don't think he's trying to say to sound stupid. They come off like these are words that he w- he's actually using. It just this is a side of Cody that people probably never even knew was there. It makes you wonder why we did not get this version of Cody in AEW, especially in the beginning. It felt yeah, like you're to right. me, we, we were about to. It felt like we were about we, to at the very yeah, beginning. The crowd wanted to, to root for him because he was doing so well on the indies. It was natural. Right. It was, it didn't come it off like, like we got prickish Cody who was taking shots at WWE with, with the young bucks. And I knew that was, I know that was the cool thing to do. They had to do it to, to, I, that I, I was, just, yeah, that wasn't that necessary. Was like, yeah, and this, the this, title stuff, as soon as Rose, he took that away from himself, wanted. you and I called that from the very yes. beginning, Coop. He was done. He was buried. But this is the Cody we wanted from day one. And this yep. was the Cody that we wanted back in WWE. And as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast, um, you're going to get have that WWE moment, and you're going to have that Raw after WrestleMania moment. And here we are two weeks after Mania, and, uh, you know, you look on Raw, which I thought was a much better Raw from Cody, The Miz, Naomi Liv was okay. But the second, you know, once we get to the to the co-main and the main, but after all said and done for two weeks, Cody is, is the man on Raw right now. Yep. Um, I know we have Randy Orton and Riddle, um, you know, Lashley's back, uh, their styles. Edge is not around right now. Uh, he's doing the weird thing. But two Co- weeks after WrestleMania, Cody Rhodes is the man on this brand. He picked up a win later in the show over Miz on a very good TV solid match, match between very the solid. two of them. We got Veer with the, the big squash over Dominic, and he used the camel clutch, baby. Sheiky baby he was using. <laughs> and uh Break back, make I'm buzz. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, you bubba beach mother like <laughs> as uh Veer there uh, you know, he took forever to get here, but he's here. This is at least the let way me, let me let me let me give this promo. Let me give you this hot take. I'm more for Veer Mahan and what he's done in a couple of weeks after a year of him coming to Raw than I am of what they've done with Omas. I am 1000% in agreement with you. Okay. Here is way more competent in the ring. And this actually looked, this is what you do. You have him put out somebody and put them on a stretcher and they get stretchered out. And that Love looks it. badass. We'll talk in a minute about someone who debuted on AEW. And the problem with the guy who, who debuted at the end was that he didn't look very, you, you had a big dude who looks massive and imposing and stuff. But the the physicality that he did didn't look very menacing. He no. just it looked like he was kind of worried to hurt someone, like someone who was still new in training. Veer looked pretty good here, and maybe they just wanted to make sure he was ready to rock. They gave him plenty of time. I thought he looked decent here, and you know maybe they have him sending some guys to the sidelines for a while as they they continue to make him look stronger. AJ Damian Priest. This was wonky. This ended up in a no contest. Priest is in like a purple spotlight. The lights start going down. He's raising his arms in the air. AJ's backstage. He's like, I don't know what the hell's going on with his BS. What's going on? <laughs> I, 
And look, and I don't mind this before the match or after the Me match. Me too. But not during the match that ends. Because it ends like a, a waste. Don't let us get invested dude, in a match that you wrestle for a even, while. You go. You know, I don't think we even got an explanation to how the match officially ended. Ended. There was no DQ or there was no, con- it just says no contest. There was no okay. count out. I didn't like it. Didn't like Me either. Don't like that at Reece, all. Gino, I'm going to give it time because I like Edge. And I, I think Edge having a faction and growing it and giving it a time to resonate with us. But I can tell you this, uh, and we, we've talked about it. Not a lot of people, you know, see it on paper. They just look at Damian Priest and go, okay, he's not a spring chicken. Um he had a nice run last year on the main roster with Bad Bunny at WrestleMania. He got the U.S. title. Um, nothing really happened there. This could be the end of the line. This could be it for Damian Priest and WWE if this does not if things don't go well. Yeah, this I, is I'm just putting it out there. He's older than you think he is, too. He's, he's like not 40 years old. Yeah, he's not someone who's young who you're gonna want to. Give over chances over and over and over. Oh yeah, he's got size and charisma, and he's great in the ring. But and it felt like they were figuring it out. I remember there were those few moments where it's like, wow, Damian Priest has been protected. Really, that's what happens when guys don't lose for a long time. People start to take them seriously, and they put him. There was a moment in Raw when they put him in the ring with Lashley, and people got excited about it. It felt like it was like he fits there with these guys. Okay, Priest is maybe going to be We kept thinking about like, he, Is he on the trajectory to be a guy who could maybe win the Rumble Like this is a guy who He's kind of cool And it's hard for them to, to have baby faces that are cool And now it's I, I'm, I'm disappointed with what they've done with him recently Hopefully Edge I trust Edge Maybe Edge can help him out And, and can get him kind of set Like he did for uh, Zack Ryder Woo 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 You woo. know it He was an Edge head <laughs> Way back in the day, one of those edge heads. We um so I I know some people may not like this or think that this may it, this wasn't a good thing. I thought the fact that we saw Champa interacting with Kevin Owens loved it was a great thing because I think that means he's going to be involved with this Ezekiel KO stuff. And yeah, the Ezekiel Elias stuff may be silly, maybe not. I think it's hilarious, personally. I, I think it's funny as hell. But at least that we know early on that if Champa is going to be stacked with Kevin Owens, that's good placement for him. That's that's not running around with the twenty four seven title. I, I agree. I and look, I, I <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, but we did get a couple of funny segments with with the twenty four seven title. I thought I, I'm going to be honest with you. I like. I, I will say I liked, I liked it too. It. And I thought we probably should have had more stuff during Mania weekend. Me too. I, I didn't even see it on WWE socials. YouTube or, YouTube. or social. I thought yeah. they dropped the ball. For Me us too. to bitch about it all, you know, often and say, man, there's no place for it. Then it goes away and they give you this these two little segments with our sort of smile about it. Party. It's like, wait a minute, it's good. I, I, I I'm with you. This number one, this Ezekiel stuff is it's is, making I know me there's laugh. a lot of people that don't like like it. Uh, Elias well, KO's great up. too. KO you know? is great. He's calling people dummies, and I know people are like, what? Well, he's, he's like going crazy, dude. This is Elias. What are you talking about? Can't you see it? You can't hear it. It's Elias, man. It's him. What do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> <He's free. laughs> I am. Lo- I am looking forward to this lie detector segment. Hopefully, it doesn't last too long on Raw. 
But man, KO again is somebody that's on fire. And I, I think he does no wrong right now. And, you know, it took us three, four years for Elias to come back. And he's playing it up on social media. He's Photoshopping things. Kevin Owens going crazy. And I do like that they put Tommaso in the mix with this because I'm with you. I think they're hitting hitting with something here with KO and Tommaso, which would be one hell of a match. We have Lashley come out, cut a promo, just sort of, you know, continue along and feel like they're going to have another match, him and Omos, and maybe with MVP. There can be more to that match now. It can be a little bit better because, like you said, I just... The Omos stuff, I feel bad for Lashley I think he's working hard, but I'm not really invested in, in A lot of the stuff no. with Omos No, and I feel bad for all of them MVP We've been there, done that And like I said, I like MVP He's good on the mic, but this is just Really going nowhere for me I mean, The MVP lounge And then there's Lashley In the ring, we've seen a Mania match you know, Lashley went over, unless my mind is is failing me, and now we're probably going to see a backlash match, which I feel like Omos is probably going to go over. Um, just there's not a lot of investment here, and man, for a guy that we thought was going to be hurt for a while, who who came back quickly, I don't like Lashley's stock being involved in a storyline that no one really cares about. This guy needs. I, I'm not saying he needs to be. Uh, uh, the number one contender every month, but this guy doesn't have to be dealing with Omos. And no, he right shouldn't. This, is, this this doesn't feel like a blow off for me. This uh, this feels like Omos is going over at backlash. I know, and then we'll have. I, more. I just, I don't. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, they needed a good, um, just nice win for Bianca, and Zelina was talking about how she wanted was going to beat. Bianca and go on and win the Raw Women's Championship I'm glad that they didn't do anything Wonky here with Bianca and have her Get rolled up and lose And then Zelina is the number one contender If you want to make Zelina A person that fights for the title I, I don't even mind that Have her win a match or a couple matches b- Build her back up A few week, months ago you had her feeling pretty good After she won that Queen of the Ring tournament She was winning a lot of matches and so it wouldn't have felt weird For her to be in a situation To have a match but she had a ton against Bianca Just last year on Smackdown It was her and Carmella that were always wrestling Bianca It feels like we've seen this a bunch So I'm at least glad that We have a champion win And they don't have to immediately lose To set up their next contender No, and uh, Man, we finally get Sonya Deville, right? Yep We, we, we finally get her we, we We've been waiting it for it gonna, We thought it was going to be her and Naomi And um, You know, I, I'm for it you know, Me too. Becky's I don't mind gonna, it. Becky, yeah, Becky's going to be uh, away for a while. Um, I don't want. Here we go again. PSA: I do not want to see Sonya Deville and Bianca Belair in a ring together before their pay per view match. No, no tags. Uh, maybe no a three on one. A, no, maybe a contract signing. That's fine. I, That's I fine. I don't want to see her in a match with no. Bianca. Give me. I don't want to see Sonya, Carmella. Zelina and Dewdrop four no. on one against no. Bianca, right? Like that's and, and the kind now of thing. that you said it, we're probably going to get right because she's the commissioner and she'll set it up to yes. make it hard and try to get Bianca hurt before the match, and it'll be four on one, and Bianca will or Bianca's going to have to go through a gauntlet. A, a, a gauntlet, I wouldn't mind if if it was like a gauntlet match to get to Sonia, and then Sonia never gets in the match and runs away. Something like that. 
I'm okay with, right? Because then we see Bianca looking impressive Going through all of these, like, you know, getting nice wins over all of them But I don't want Bianca to lose in any way, shape, or form right now And I don't, like you said, no Bianca, Sonya until they have a match Because Sonya's good in the ring, she really is She and, is And I think people forget about that So now now she's got a lot more of a character And she can play the uh, the authority figure here Bianca and Sonya is where they're headed next on Raw So we got the double bachelorette party Tamina and and Dana Brooke and they uh the Los Lotharios interrupt they put the kiss cam on they're trying to kiss Tamina and Dana they go give them smooches on the cheeks then uh we get um Nikki has some male entertainment but it's actually someone who's a referee so Nikki tries to roll up Dana and steal the 24/7 title truth and and uh, Tazawa and Reggie show up because they knew something weird was going to be going on, and they're all. This is one of those things where, if this went for twenty minutes, I would hate it. But they put it on for like three minutes, five minutes max on a three-hour Raw show where you need a couple filler segments, anyways, instead of seeing the same rematches over and over. And with the twenty-four-seven stuff right now, you may not like it. But at least there are stories that are being told, right? It's not just everybody chasing everybody around. We've got these couples now. We've got this dynamic where they're sort of friends. They they put the, you know, nobody was going to fight each other for the title during the bachelorette party. So there was like a truce. <laughs> it's like there's actually some story to it. You can tell they take a few minutes trying to figure this stuff out. And so it makes us care a little bit more about it. And you know what? I actually feel like Tamina is having fun with this. Yes. You can tell. She's been someone her whole career who's had no personality. She's just been presented as Tamina. She's big. She was the daughter of Jimmy Snooker. The shadow of Snooker. Sure. That's it. That's it. She had zero personality. Now she's actually got I'm laughing at Tamina. She's making good <laughs> facial expressions with Tazawa. She's having fun. If Tazawa isn't having fun with this He's sure doing a great job And not making me believe it You know our truth loves this stuff And Dana Brooke, for her it's like I wasn't on TV Now I get to be a 24-7 champ I get to have this like Storyline relationship with Reggie We're I, I'm on TV more I've had a couple matches because of this Like everyone will laugh At 24-7 stuff and they'll say Oh this person's going to be carrying the 24-7 Around and you know what I can tell you right now, I'd rather be carrying that 24-7 title around than be on a dark <laughs> episode of YouTube. You got a good point. It just seems like all... I would. I sure would. That's just me. Absolutely. Other people may not, but that's me. <laughs> I sh- I don't mind making an ass out of myself. You run me that mouth. money? Dana Brooke's going to kiss me on the mouth a couple times? I don't mind. Sure. <laughs> right? For, and for that money? Heck no. Uh, you know what? WWE... Uh, bachelor and bachelorette parties are always fun. They just are. When you when you get more people involved like that, the old stuff, uh, running around backstage, flipping around. While it's fun the first time, the the second, third, and fourth and fifth time, it's not very creative. This this was very creative, and I think this has what's his name's uh, hands all over it. Uh, oh, spuds. What what? Uh, Drake Maverick. This yeah. this has you're right. 
you know, I think this has, <laughs> You're right. has a lot to do with these segments. And we thought these would have a chance to be fun if he was going to be directly involved. Give me more of this because I kind of missed this at WrestleMania. I'm not going to lie to you. Alpha Academy looking great. Shoosh. Shoosh. Just this really entertaining there. And uh, we got a couple back-to-back just great tag team matches. For a long time, you know, the tag team divisions will – have ups and downs and lulls. The raw tag team division Ooh, right now strong. feels really strong with just with those three teams. And you know, they had KO and Seth do a couple tag matches for a, a little while too. And even they had the Mysterios doing some tag stuff. You throw Miz and and Logan who were in there and they had a good tag match. It just feels like there have been a lot of good combinations on Raw. SmackDown hasn't had very many, but you bring the Usos over and I thought this was a a good good wrestling to end Raw. Well, you got these matches basically back to back here with RK Bro getting the win with the RKO out of nowhere. And then you got the Usos getting a win. Crowd was loving that towards the end. You know, you, you, you get freaking Montez Ford going nuts all over the Man. place. He hit that frog splash Ooh. and he like bounced himself so far over. I was like, oh, did he break some ribs there? But it just looks, it's so great, man. This dude is. He's got to get a run sometime soon And I hate saying it because I, Dawkins is cool he's, he's done a really good job He's had to repackage himself a few times And, and he's done good work with, uh, with Montez But man Montez really feels like a star Usos get the win And uh, looks like we're going to get The Usos versus The Raw Tag Team Champions RK Bro I don't, Have they announced that? They have not announced that yet Okay so maybe that's the pay-per-view match Probably going to be the pay-per-view match. Back to Montez Ford. You know, that frog splash reminds me of this old video game. I think it was Konami who made the video game. It was double dribble. And you had that that one particular moment you could dunk on someone or fast forward a few years for those who remember playing NBA Jam when you just skied over everyone and you dunked the basketball. I've been saying this for a while for, for Montez. This is a single star no offense to Angelo Dawkins, just haven't really been a big fan of his. Um, hate that Montez took the pin here. Um, we finished Raw with about 22 or 23 minutes of solid tag team wrestling matches. And I don't know if we're going to unify these tag team titles or not. If we do, we're going to start something here where probably all of these titles are going to be unified sooner or no. later. And it doesn't seem like a coincidence if that's the case And and that might be weird just for the TV With the two different networks With the two different shows and the rosters I mean, we can It, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world With the way they've shaped their rosters, right? Because it feels like in the last year How many people have they cut? How, a lot of people that were on TV A lot of people that were not on TV And a few years ago it was the opposite Where they were going and just Bringing everybody in Everybody in, let's bring them all We'll give everybody a big contract So the philosophy has shifted To where you almost wonder if this was something In the pipeline a long time ago Where we're going to shorten things up And maybe we'll go back to having Less titles or the, the major stars on both shows I don't like that as much I, do, I think it did get a little bit stale Because creatively sometimes When it's the same feuds On the same shows on Monday and on Friday It kind of gets you know, like the same things over and over. So we'll uh we'll monitor that. 
as it goes. What do, you th- what do you think about Austin Theory becoming Theory, and he's now going to get a U.S. title shot against Finn Balor on he should. He's You think he's the champion on Monday night? Absolutely. He should. Yeah. I like, if it were me, I would have had Finn and Ricochet in big matches with their titles at WrestleMania. But from what I know and what we see, they don't think very highly of Finn and of Ricochet for whatever reason. And do I agree with that? No. But if that's the case, then at least put those titles on people that you do think higher of. Because it doesn't do anything for those wrestlers to have them, and it doesn't do anything for those titles. So just put them, put it on theory, put the IC title on Madcap Moss or Sheamus. I don't know, someone at least in the middle of the card who you you like and and will you'll have go out there and not lose every single week, which is unfortunately what they do with Finn Balor. I think he's probably going to get beat and, and, you know, you have Austin Theory be the U.S. champ. And, uh, and if, maybe I didn't th- if, if I didn't think they were, they knew how if you think a guy is such a badass and a star and you're not going to release him because you're afraid of what will happen when you do, why not just get behind the guy? And I'm not saying not get behind the guy. Hey, look, he, he had a great run in NXT. You know, he went back down. It was the NXT champion. But what the, this is just disservice to him, you know, to Finn Balor, what I'm talking about. Yeah. If you're not releasing him because you're afraid what another company is going to do, then then do something about it, man. I would be shocked if he went over Theory on Monday night. We get to NXT. So this was April the 12th on Tuesday night. Cameron Grimes defended the North American Championship against Solo Sokoa, and he went to the moon and got the win. Um, But afterwards, it looks like they're setting something up. Uh, We'll get into that in a second. Von Wagner defeated Hiro. We got uh, Mandy Rose beating Dakota Kai. I will say, I didn't love the match all that much. I thought it was kind of yeah, me neither. Clunk, clunky. Yeah, me neither. It just didn't it really clunky. flow all that well. Zion Quinn defeated Draco Anthony, and then we got a long gauntlet match, which was really, really good. The Creed brothers Fantastic. were impressive as hell. They beat Legato de Fantasma. They beat Brooks and Dunn, Mamaria, Briggs and Brooks, and uh, they beat the uh, Grayson Waller and Sanga. Combo, but then they lost to Pretty Deadly, Elton Prince and Kit Wilson, so that They are your new NXT Tag Team Champions, we can go Back to the beginning and start With the NXT North American Title match, I like it Because NXT And WWE don't do it that often When they do, when we Start and we're right in the ring, I love it Because it just feels different, and we're just Boom, ready to go for a match Solo Sokoa versus Cameron Grimes. I thought the two had a really, really good match. Um, and I was I was actually su- I wouldn't have been surprised if Solo was gonna win this match, but I think they're probably gonna have I don't know if they've announced it or not. Are we gonna get Solo and Grimes as a team next week against Trick and Carmelo or something like that coming soon? Because it feels like Grimes and Carmelo are gonna have a match and maybe you know, continue along with their feud. I wouldn't be shocked if we got Solo teaming up with Grimes to help out in a, in a match against Carmelo and Trick, something like that. We haven't got it announced just yet. The only thing announced for next week are two women's matches. Um, I, I say it week in, week out. My, my favorite two hours of wrestling every week is NXT 2.0. If I had to pick every any show that I was going to watch and I couldn't watch anything else, I would watch NXT 2.0 over others. 
But this week it was bookended for me. I thought the opening and closing was fantastic, and everything in the middle was was a little eh. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the opener was fantastic. Uh, I, I kind of felt like Solo uh, maybe was going to win the title here, but it looks like we're going to set something up. Um, and it's going to be fine because all these guys, we really don't know much about Trick. We've seen him a few times. He's no Carmelo. But I'm okay with the tag match next week with these four because I know they'll tear the house down. The uh, following this, we saw the the setup for the five t- uh, team gauntlet because the NXT tag team titles are vacant. We spoke about that a little bit last week. They released one of the members of NS, uh, MSK, so they put the t- they didn't mention anything at all, which they at very all. rarely do. They're not gonna. Yeah, they're rare. On. Like they're you know, it's just boom. Here we got the titles held up. And we're going to have a, a five-team gauntlet here So we got a promo from Bivens About the Creed brothers Who I think most people figured were the team to beat And the team that would probably end up getting the job done And uh, Bivens does good I mean, I want to hear him on the mic more Yeah, He's in, oh, yeah. he's entertaining He's, like, he's great He's, he's good. a good talker He can do it on as a heel or as a baby face He's very creative, he's funny So you want to get the Creed brothers over can, a little bit more for guys like Angry Andrew. Let Malcolm Bivens talk a little bit more, right? So that <laughs> oh, way that is true. he can uh, he can help get them over a little bit more. This I'm I'm yeah. a little bit worried about Braun. You know, oh, I, I'm a little I'm bit worried. worried about Braun because he checks a lot of the boxes. He's got the look. He can talk fine. He's still young, so he's kind of finding his voice, and it's hard when you're like a baby. Like I said. The baby faces that they cut and the promos that they're supposed to cut aren't aren't ever really that exciting. But now you put him, you just had him with Champa, Ziggler, Gunther, and now he's in a, a feud with Joe Gacy. And it's weird because you haven't been making Joe Gacy feel like if you were building him up, that would be fine. But you haven't built the guy up. He's kind of shifted his character a few times. It used to be this sort of woke warrior. Now he's kind of just. Evil like Bray Wyatt ish I don't know he kidnapped Rick Steiner And the way that he delivers His promos I think are very good Like this like he does a good job Gacy but The the problem I have with him is Is the same sort of problem we start we had with Bray towards the end and it's the problem That I have with Aleister Black right now It all sounds the same Yeah everything you say Where it's like Oh, I'm evil. I'm a demon. I'm gonna bring this down. It's so like general and not specific to anything that it's like it feels like they're saying the same thing every time they talk. I kind of get, I kind of drown it out. And it's not that he's doing a bad job with it. It's the material is just so like, oh, cool. You're an, an evil dark guy, or you know, bad. It just. I I need more. I want more specifics. Cut a promo on this or that. He talked about the the Hall of Fame ring and some of the sacrifices that that uh, Rick had to make for Braun and his family. And he dropped the ring in a fire barrel, and and that pissed off Rick. We actually saw him not uh, wanting to give a an an interview later on. So I have anything to say. I'm out. He walked I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So I don't. <laughs> I don't think he came just, off all that was, great here. It was just there, there was nothing here for me to like about any of this. I look, no. I've already gotten past. Yeah, we all know that Braun should be a Steiner in his last name, but it didn't happen, so we moved on. And I, I, I the guy, look, I'm with you. He checks the boxes, but something 
several weeks ago, man, just something in NXT 2.0 in the arena went the other way and they started yeah, booing him and they were booing him and he was booed against Ziggler and he was booed against Ziggler on raw, which, you know, you kind of expect that because Ziggler's a raw guy and you know, bronze, the new guy coming up. But this is not a way to get him over with Joe Gacy, because if you're going to have Gacy uh, kidnap Steiner, we really haven't seen much from Steiner. He, Oh, he's at home resting comfortably. Well, show us how he got the ring. Did he chop off a finger? Um, what did he do? Just And then where is the Holland guy? There's just, there's just nothing there uh, for me to get heavily invested in. And I'm not going to expect a lot out of this match. Didn't we see Holland or Gacy already challenge Tommaso his second match in NXT 2.0 for the title? I, know. I remember stuff like that. And I just, I don't like this at all. I don't like it. Toxic Attraction was chilling in their lounge. I do um, like them. Yeah, I do like them, especially in the in the lounge. Although uh, I heard somebody say like, come on, I mean. Get some people serving them in the lounge, right? Yes. It's just the three of them. Like, you know, let's let's make it look a little better for them. These are uh, who's the tag team that we had serving them for a while? Then they're gone. I don't see anything oh, yeah. about those two guys. Yeah, Remember you're were, right. We thought they were going to win the Dusty Classic first. I know they're gone. I know, and then they're just been nowhere <laughs> to be found. So um, we had Kushida and Hero, and you know, Hero throughout the show was you know, getting beat down by Wagner. Von Wagner stole the jacket. I just, I, I don't mind Hero and Kushida. I actually think that there's a place for them, and and Kushida should be more than just being on this team with with Hero. But Von Wagner is another one of those guys that I just I yeah. love Robbie Stone, but I yeah I can't connect with Von Wagner as he just he bores the hell out of me. Even Stone doesn't do it for me anymore, and I love that guy. You know, remember when he was with all you know he had the, these female stables and. Then he had, you know, uh, Taya Valkyrie uh, for a couple of weeks. It just, nothing is organic there. I would like to know who the hot blonde is in these segments. I'm not seeing a lot on her. She's popping up at ringside during this Von Wagner stuff. I'm a- I- I'm interested in her, but Von Wagner as a whole, again, I pass. Hard pass, can't get into it. We, I thought this next segment was actually pretty good. Um it was Nikita Lyons backstage and she was sitting yeah, was. talking about feud with Lash Legend. And she says, you know, um, Lash, and she was giving Lash props. She said, Lash is athletic, but she talks a lot of trash. I, I think she kind of made it seem like I'm done with Lash. And she said, I have something to prove to the fans and I want to com- compete with, you know, the, at the highest levels. And she mentions Mandy Rose. And as she starts to talk about Mandy, here comes Lash just from off camera. And just nails her right in the face with a big boot. I really liked it. Says next time you want to interview someone, it should be me. So I, th- I thought this was pretty good. And I've been there again at the vi- couple weeks back. There have been a few times where I was watching some of the Lash Legend stuff, going, "Eh, I don't know, it's <laughs> not really connecting." But she's super athletic. She's improving. This little segment for what it was, I thought it was very good. And you can tell that they are understanding the re- the reception and the reaction that Nikita is getting online and through social media. I think they're understanding that they should start to present her. Just just the fact that she mentioned Mandy Rose, I like, and I think that that's you know maybe she's the one that they said, hey, we're gonna pencil her in to be someone to go win the title because she's unique, she's different, and and that would get some good buzz. She gets really great responses anytime she's on TV. I think. Uh... 
you by by you saying you know I'm getting more interested invested in Lash Legend. I think that has that says a lot about how far and how good Nikita is. Um, I think she's doing a tremendous job with how long she's been here and what she's been able to do in this short period of time. And I I think after the first match was so good, I think we deserve another one. But let's be careful. I'm going to pull the old Gino line here. Let's be careful. Let's not drag this out into a best of seven series this summer between Nikita and Lash Legend. Now, if you want to put the strap on Nikita, right? You want she wants to uh, have the title, and Lash comes. I, I'm I'm completely fine with that. But let's be real careful here and, and not just go to this and have a best out of seven series this summer on NXT with these two ladies. Mandy Rose. Gets the win over Dakota Kai Same sort of thing though You know you get the distraction yeah. stuff From Toxic Attraction um, I didn't think that the match was very good I like both of them individually For some reason it just didn't kind of click I mean I think Dakota Kai is one of the better females On any of the roster She can really do a lot Work baby face heel I don't think people realize how good she is in the ring I, I didn't like this Didn't connect for me that well no, and Dakota is a, probably another one that that needs to be on the main roster. Um, and the, here's the thing with with Mandy Rose, and it's been like this, and it, there's no surprise. She's either going to connect with someone in the ring, or she's not. There's kind of no in between. And if she does not connect with you, um, it's not going to be that very good of a match. I've seen her in multiple house shows. When she was with Sonya Deville, I've seen her have. Some really bad matches on house shows, and I've seen her and and Naomi actually have some great matches. But if she's not connecting, uh, it it doesn't make for a good match, and it, it's really a bad look on your champion when you come off a little sour and it's not as good on TV in a title match with somebody at the level of Dakota Kai. I have the same feeling with you here. Again, I just thought the middle of the show was meh, except yeah. except this next the women's. Uh, attraction that we had uh, Other than Cora uh, Needing some rehearsals I, I thought this was fantastic Natty showing up here is awesome I agree yes. I think she's going to be great She's going to do just what Ziggler did or maybe better Absolutely. And she'll be able to Be this badass like Older sister to all these girls I like the way she went in the back afterwards And says I'm putting you all on notice And you could sort of feel this coming Like you said Cora She needs some she's got She's got the things you can see why they like her and you can see the potential in her, but she does she's just young. She's still rough around the edges and and so this will be working with Natty should help her a lot. This will help her in ring a hell of a lot. I think her and Natty could have a fun feud. And what's cool about this too is it feels like now you might be able to have, you know, multiple women's feuds legitimately if you have Natty in here and she's not the champ. And then you have obviously whatever else is going on with Mandy And feels like Nikita's got stuff going So they're, I, I do think that they're starting to really show that depth in the women's division And I agree, Cora, eh, she didn't look that great here in some spots But I like this feud and where this could go with these two and with Natty down here Yeah, and they announced Natty versus Tatum Paxley She's going to destroy her next week on NXT, I, I'm okay with with Natty going over on Cora, and then them having a rematch, kind of like we did with Ziggler and Braun. Um, hey, look, if if Natty if Natty is not going to win any matches, and it seems like she hasn't won a match in forever, 
on SmackDown or Raw, uh, this is a perfect place for somebody like her. You heard the pop. You heard, I mean, it was there. A great po- promo. She started the crying thing, and I saw, man, Natty, all she does is cry, and I knew the swerve was coming. I thought she did a good job, and I think the two will, will have a pretty good match. I agree. So Natty, she's going to be a big part of NXT moving forward. We got Brooks and uh, Briggs backstage with Fallon. They're getting all hyped up. My Maria, my <laughs> well, the sun goes down. Gino. <laughs> I've been longing to see her <laughs> Every time I see these Takes guys Takes my bloom away Man it makes me laugh every time But uh And you know before... what a, a buddy of mine I was ta- I keep talking to Because I've been crapping on these two guys like they, I've been crapping on them to you They are growing on me they Me are too growing. No I, me too It helps with Fallon It, she, it helps with She makes them more likable And they've does. just started becoming more like They, they make fun of themselves Instead of taking themselves more seriously, so I like and they've that. They've gotten part. better, and that that's the thing. If you're going to be in goofy, wonky promos and not wrestle, it's going to be hard to go over. But all you had to do was start putting them in the ring and showing that they could go and get them in something meanif- meaningful. And guess what? They're likable. They're good. So we got the Zion Quinn with a uh, yeah. yeah, quick Just something don't here. Get this. I, I don't like this. Remember, Gacy was trying to recruit. Draco Anthony, who 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 was a hot prospect out of Houston, Texas, Gino, yep. uh, has the look, just hasn't been able to to really do anything. Put it all together. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, nothing, nothing much here. And I, I don't know what you do with Zion here after this. I don't know. Again, he's coming off an injury. He's got the look. Um, I just don't know what you do with him. At least he's on TV, but I don't like him here with Draco Anthony. We then finished up with the gauntlet And we got the Creed brothers kicking things off They beat Legado del Fantasma Which was Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza Then they beat Briggs and Jensen Then they beat Grayson Waller and Senga And then they end up losing in the last match To pretty deadly Elton Prince and Kit Wilson So let me say this in two separate things Two separate things I think that the Creed brothers are freaking awesome. I think they should have won this. I think they should be the ones that have the tag team championships. I do like Pretty Deadly as a team. I like them. I don't know if I like them right now being the tag team champions, but they are funny. They're there's like (laughs) this, and somebody said the other day, I can't remember where, there's like this fashion police. Thing to them oh yeah but yeah. but they're yeah. But but like those guys They can turn it on in the ring and go Like they're good workers they're not Just goofy gimmicks so I, They're funny it, Like I like them and I Don't mind the idea of them as a Major <laughs> tag team I just thought it was very Strange that you bring them right in and immediately You put the titles on them I mean that's what You got to do if you want to put someone over And maybe we're just going to have the Creed brothers continue to chase But I mean I'm all in on the Creed brothers I love these dudes I think they were They were out there for 40 freaking minutes And these guys are young And they have not They don't have a ton of reps In a couple years thinking about what these dudes could do They are so incredible And uh, I love these guys man I I just I can't wait till they I hope that we just get to see them Week in week out as a big part of the show And then Inevitably they'll get you know they'll get these titles At some point but I, I was pretty surprised they didn't Just put them on them here okay I'm with you I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet Um I the the Gauntlet match was fantastic I, I thought this was as solid As solid could be 
And uh, again, talking to another buddy of mine during this match, he's like, yeah, man, it's, it's pretty obvious. You know, here comes Grayson and Grayson takes off the sling. And I said, you know, they're not going to win this because, you know, first and foremost, I thought Duke Hudson and Dexter were going to be involved in this. Okay. I'm glad you but, mentioned that. Cause we're going to get a tag team there with those we're two getting guys. The tag team there. So I thought they were involved. So I was still kind of expecting them. Um, not until pretty deadly when, once they come out and they said it, you know, Wade Barrett said it, you know, this is the final team, but my buddy was like, man, they're, they're going to finally win the titles. They're running the gauntlet. And I'm like, man, I really like this pretty deadly. They remind me, and this is old school, um, Adrian street. I don't know if people remember him. He was in the eighties, early nineties from the UK, he was dressed like he looked like a, a, the sixth member of KISS meets Dolph Ziggler meets the Fantastics. I just like this gimmick. And I said, what happens if they go over? Yeah. And wouldn't you, <laughs> lo and behold, they went over. And I just thought one thing the Creed brothers are probably send, sitting there saying today, Gino, can you take me? me I, I just heard It's like they look, they look at Bivens and go, it's our sacrifice. My sacrifice. When you are with me. Adrian Street, what a great pull there. I was thinking more like a Adrian Adonis, right? Adorable. Uh, hey, he, he, look, a, Adrian Adonis there too. I like this look and this. I, you know, I just thought it was time to pay the Creed brothers off. But I agree. Look, we we've said this all show. If you're gonna come in with a debut like Gunthar, uh, Raquel, put a uh, rocket on them. Uh, put the rocket on them, and you. Hey, God bless uh, NXT 2.0. They put the rocket on them. We're going to put the rocket on over to AEW And uh, uh, just to kind of mention What happened on Rampage last week Brian Danielson defeated Trent Beretta Swerve Strickland defeated QT Marshall We had Red Velvet defeating Willow Nightingale In a women's qualifying match For the Owen Hart tournament And Moxley beat Wheeler Yuta In a match at the end That was one of those kind of bloody matches for Yuta He's now had matches against both Brian Danielson and Moxley And then they had to kind of respect After with William Regal shaking his hand So it looks like they're kind of Getting ready to Bring him in as part of their group And one thing that they Do seem to be doing is They're trying to stack uh, Rampage A little bit more because those ratings were down in the low, low 400,000s. They were getting really bad. So by you know promoting more on Rampage and having some of the bigger stars wrestle over there, it at least will feel like a little bit more of a big deal and sort of must watch because it you, you kind of were getting this like, oh, well, here are some people that are always on Rampage. And, you know, it's like Starks and uh, Keith Lee, and we're going to put Swerve over there, and we're going to put some of these others over there. Um, but now when you get We're going to get a world title this weekend On Rampage uh, on Friday So I think if it works or not And if it only happens for a few weeks They had to try to do something Chad Because that show was not doing very well No um, there, There's been a lot of talk about ratings And I, I know they're thrilled And probably on paper Happy with everything uh, Over the last couple of years You know they started the company There's going to be a lot of downs lot more downs than ups when you start a professional wrestling company uh in this day and age um 
So you've got to try different things. And then when you're a bragger and you get on social media and say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you've got to back it up. And numbers don't lie. It's like putting something on YouTube. You're not going to get, you can't falsify numbers. You can't buy viewers. You can't do this. Um, and it was showing that that third hour was a bust. And over the last month, they have made a conscious effort to try to get that show better. Um, and it's kind of, they go into it knowing it's taped. And I think that probably hurts them. It now, puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah, it does. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to have to look it up here in a second. This rampage on Friday. I think this one's live. live. I think this one's it live. Should be live. And yep. you have a pretty interesting card, as you mentioned. Hangman and Cole in a Texas death match. It's it's it's, it's not for the for those who uh, who don't like blood. You have the the Blackpool Combat Club, which you mentioned is is Moxley and Danielson against the Gun Club, who they've said are like 25 and 0, 26 and 0. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. I thought this was odd. The Owen Hart. Foundation tournament qualifier match Ruby Soho against Robin Renegade. No one really knows who Robin Renegade is. She's a student of Thunder Rosa's on uh, here in San Antonio, but they are trying to make an effort uh, to do better. And we said it last week, they're trying to change things up on the format, the formatting of the show, getting a heavy dose of people who have been on USA Network and Fox over mm-hmm. the last five or six years. Yep, we're not getting, and it didn't feel like we're getting as much trying to be shoved in to the two hours. They're letting right. some of those top stories breathe a little bit more. We opened up with Punk versus Penta, and there was a, a spot where I don't know if he really got hurt or if he was selling it. He did. Punk's just doing really good work right now. He's he found he's finding his groove. You know, we were very critical of him at the beginning. He seems so much more comfortable in the ring. Right now and his voice has been good And the, the the couple of feuds that he was in That had a little purpose had just definitely Shot him up and it feels like they're grooming him To be the next champion Because right now I mean you watch this show And he feels like the uncrowned World champion it doesn't feel like it's Adam Page It feels like Punk is the no, most important right. Person on the show So um, not to jump ahead I, I oh, assume please. Adam Cole uh, Does not win this title On Friday night uh, and that's I, and that's I, sort of dangerous because, you know, punk punk's gonna win. Punk is right? your next in line. Punk right? punk's gonna, gonna win, right? But right. but you're right. That's the thing is that you put him in the ring with Adam Page, and I don't know what that's gonna do for Adam Page, because people are not gonna be cheering for Page. They're gonna be cheering for Punk. If and they we don't we've never seen AEW do this because they're a newer company. But WWE has done this a lot through the years with your transitional champion, right? Iron Sheik. Didn't he beat Backlund sure. and then lost it a few weeks later to Hogan? You know, it wasn't That's like he, ha- he didn't have it all that long. We see this happen sometimes where you don't want the baby face to beat another baby face or a heel to beat a heel. So you just you throw someone in there. Could Adam Cole win it so that way they could do this? We got a title change on Rampage, you know, to try to make you think you got a good point. To try to make you think you need to tune in now to watch this show because they t- they had a world title change there, and then if a month from now you're going to go to Punk anyways, would it be better to have Punk beat an actual heel, um, or someone that you don't? I don't know if it would be good for Paige to be in there because we we said the same thing with Brian Danielson and they turned Brian Danielson heel for that sort of for that sh- you know feud. He was the heel. 
They're not going to have Punk presented like the heel After he's been a baby face right now And I don't think they should He's doing a great job like this So yeah I don't I wouldn't be shocked if Tony did it TK trying to get a little uh, A little pop a rating And trying to get some buzz this week I and would. I'd take it off Hangman. Because me too. I think it's been. I think it's been a letdown. Me too. Because uh, I don't. And I'm I don't think. Saying, I'm, I would I'm do not it. Saying Adam Cole deserves it. I'm not knocking Adam Cole because he has not had a very good start here. I don't but think so either. But if you want to reset yeah. some things and have Punk your world champion here over that's the next couple of months, this is how you do it. I agree. I think that's what you should do. And uh, Punk got the win against Penta. I was pretty surprised here. We had a shocker, as, as, as you would expect. I mean. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus Red Dragon Very good tag match These guys are really good Their, you know, their tag work together And their tandem offense and stuff These guys all know each other as teams Really, really well Very good work But Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy hit Thoracic Express To get the win I was pretty shocked I thought that Red Dragon was going to get the win here O'Reilly attacks afterwards with the steel chair and uh, and then FTR comes out Because this was another one where it felt like Okay you have the heels win And then maybe you just have FTR beat them Because they've been uh, Just like we're saying in the world title picture Jurassic Express They're the unfortunately they're the hangman page Right now sure. They have good matches Every time you put them out there Look at hangman page world title matches They've been good The Brian Danielson stuff was good The Kenny Omega one was good the stuff that he's done, the Cole match wasn't bad or anything. It's just he's not over. It's the same thing with Jurassic Express. Right now, it feels like FTR is the number one tag team in your company. They're the tag team over the last month that you've told a story with. You've turned them babyface. You had them win the Ring of Honor stuff. They've got the AAA stuff. I think, I think they're the team that needs to be your tag team champions. So I'm a little surprised they're going to have them beat Jungle Express, but it's got to. They got to right. You got to do it now with them. They're hot. They're yeah, over. But because we thought it was Red Dragon and Red Dragon attacking, and, and then FTR coming out and raising their Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Um, I I don't like when we have multiple company titles on one person or tag because it just kind of like. Waters down it dilutes them your product your right? title it, it, it makes your title Omega. feel a little bit less important I understand why you gave the ROH tag team titles to FTR but guess what we don't we don't even have an ROH right now we, we don't it's not on weekly there, there, it, it's not eventually it will be somewhere but I would assume that FTR is going to have to go over because they are the hottest tag team in, in, in AEW and that's not Jungle Jungle Express's fault because they've been in these silly backstage segments for it seems like two months now. And every other Friday they would get a match and it would be on a rampage that was taped with low ratings. So they really didn't have a chance to breathe nope. with these titles. Zero oh, chance. Jungle Boy should have been a star with a title. Jungle Boy was in a main event match one on one against Kenny Omega for the title. He had a world title match against and Kenny Omega. And it was really good. And he's one of those guys they talk about as the pillars But yeah It's been a little disappointing for them with the belts But again great match great match But they just don't feel like they're that important They feel like they're going to come out and wrestle a good match But it's more about the story that was Going on with Red Dragon or the story That's going on with the Bucks or the story that's going on Now with FTR so It's it's sort of like what we were Saying with with WWE With 
the with Ricochet and with with Finn. It's not as if Jurassic Express is losing all the time like those guys are, but they're they're they all feel like teams or people with a belt with a title that's sort of an afterthought. That those those championships should be for the 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 best, the top of your divisions, and they're they're not right now in both WWE and in AEW. And I did like the Captain Sean Dean versus MJF stuff. So. We Wardlow's had, been the hero out of all this. Man, Wardlow right. looks like a million bucks. He there's security trying to keep him out of the arena, but he busts through. He makes his way down to the ring. And so what ends up happening is MJF tries to run away from him, and the ref starts to count out MJF. And he grabs the mic and he tells the referee, Whatever they're paying you, I will triple it. And and the refs, Price Remsburg, like stops. He thinks about it for a second and he says, Screw you and he just keeps counting To 10 and then they count him out So MJF gets another loss Here but it doesn't Obviously it's unimportant In the grand scheme of things because he's just getting count out, Counted out but it's great For like a Weasley heel And Wardlow Looks like a star I, The only thing I don't love about this is I mean I legitimately thought That that MJF with what he was doing Could have been the world champ Sure sure and now it does he like always everybody can't be the world champ right so he's going to be slotted down a little bit but when him and wardlow go at it whenever that eventually happens the place is going to go freaking nuts and, and it just it's got to be a one off it cannot be a series of matches with these two either right wardlow oh, no. needs wardlow needs to be ascended to the top of this company after this in I'm fine if Wardlow has to do a couple things like MJ always MJF has always done in order to get that. He's got to face Spears, and maybe he's got to face FTR, and then FTR is like, we don't want to face you, and they just like walk out. You know, so, you know, there should be a MJF's always had like the trials that you have to do to win in order to face him. That's fine, but when he faces MJF, he should beat the crap out of him. I mean, it could be a back and forth match, but he should get the distinctive win over him. And then be shotgunned up And right now You don't, you can't recreate this With Wardlow No, it, Whatever you thought no. you wanted to do If you've had it planned for 6 months from now Or 8 months from now or 2 years from now You're not going to be able to get him as hot Then as he is right now So right now you've got to run with it you got to let him win And you got to let him stand tall over MJF Quick little promo from Darby He just tells El Idolo Andrade We're going to put this th- a nail in this whole thing Coffin match so. I like that we're gonna put the nail in this whole thing <laughs> yeah. so That made me laugh a little bit And uh, I'm sure we're the match that next Wednesday Yeah so the that'll be good gotcha. Next week we uh, got the Malachi Black Promo Oh and, boy And here's the thing like the promo Is well done It's creepy it's well produced It looks good I'm sure he has a big hand In this kind of stuff The The way that he Talks the presentation the way His cadence is it's all very good If he were being cast To play a creepy Guy in a movie you know like this role In a movie I think he'd be Very good at it the problem is What the hell is it like what Is he saying you know like that's the Problem like what what is the purpose What is he saying I want I want to Hear him say he can Be creepy and have all this fine But all I really want here to hear him Say is I want to win the world title. Well, That's here we all. are. I thought this guy was in a faction. And then, like he said, the guys aren't around me. 
now because I want you to be scared or be looking like waiting for them, which cool that comes off kind of creepy, okay. but what was the point of having a faction and bringing in Brody King, right? Uh, or no, excuse me, not Brody King, Brody King, though. yes, and yeah. Brody King and Buddy Murphy, Buddy. both. Who, where have they been? I thought we were supposed to be when they came in, it was like Brody King, this guy's gonna be awesome, these dudes are gonna be a badass team, they're gonna be presented like that, but. We see like a little vignette or a match here and there, but there's no forward momentum. And the reason why, Chad, is because there's too many people many. they're trying to please on this roster. And they do it opposite than what the WWE would do. WWE would just hire people and then they just sit them in catering for a long time. <laughs> but AEW, and genuinely, they try. They think, I think the problem is, they think they can do it. But it's not possible You can't have this many people And book them all Strong, correctly And make them all feel like they're important parts Of your roster, you just can't It doesn't, there's not enough time There's not enough room, it's never going to work And so They have the right intentions They really want everyone to look as strong As possible, they very rarely have Squash matches, they have their Big time champions go five, eight minutes with people who aren't even on TV a lot of the time. But it's just too many people you're trying to keep happy because someone like Alistair Black, when he came right in, we were like, whoa, this was good. The stuff he was doing with Cody, he looked like a star. We said, man, he's being presented like a big deal. And then, boom, he's just out of sight, out of mind. Keith Lee got pinned yeah, right after this. On this show again. Hey, look, I, I, I mean, no offense. Malachi Black should not be in. Look, if you want to put Malachi Black versus. Fuego de, de Sol Somewhere you've got to beat somebody Right you can't be the world champion every week That's what I try to tell myself Okay we can't have Malachi Black beating Adam Hangman Page every week But there's got to be somebody better On that roster for him to work a match With than Fuego del Sol That's not a dynamite match I don't even think that's a rampage match No offense that's a house Show match that's a curtain jerker right There I'm with you there are just so many, and look, we're getting another major announcement next week. If this isn't about ROH and about some streaming plat- platform, uh, and this is, and instead, this is another we've, we're signing Cesaro or somebody else to this caliber. Gino, I read a stat I think from uh, Raj Geary, and it talks about, you know, and I talked about this last week with AEW about this company trying to grow. I read a stat that he tweeted earlier today and he kind of got it mixed up and he had to delete it and reword it and people jumped on him and said, oh, it's negative. But anyway, Dynamite is down 20% in total viewers while 18 to 19 rating is down 16% over like 12 to 14 months. They're not growing. No, and, and remember the a lot of the metrics that we look at and we compare and when people are like, well, look, their numbers are... Those were shows against NXT, directly against NXT. Right, right. And so when NXT moved, it was supposed to be bigger for both of them, and it really wasn't for either of them. <laughs> that was the, that was the problem. And for AEW, it felt like a big win, right? Okay, sure. NXT is going to move from Wednesday to Tuesday. Now AEW's got Wednesday all to themselves. This is the night that they sort of planted themselves in. They made the other company move. Sort of so that we wouldn't have to go against each other And it hasn't And then also think about The the 12 or 14 months ago Think about the roster You had then 
Compared to the roster you have now Right now You've got Punk and Brian Danielson That's my point Not to bring up ratings My point with Malachi Black There's no way And if this is what we're going to get This is what we're going to get But with all this talent Black, Samoa Joe Who we'll talk about about in just a second Keith Lee who they said We can't believe WWE released them Um you know, uh, CM Punk, Danielson, Mons, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby Rojo is the change. Buddy Murphy, we cannot believe Christian. Big, I mean, we think about Christian was on there. Big Show, Mark Henry, dude, both, I, I just, both come yeah, over. Big Show, Mark uh, Rusev, you know, just, two hours is not enough. And look, yeah, there were people saying because I saw the rating for AEW earlier. It was like nine seventy seven. Well, the NBA had playoffs last night. Well. Look guys, there comes a point in time where That was a play-in game Between the 9 and the 10 teams The first game was a 30 or 40 point defeat I know, those are the 9 and the 10 teams That are like the worst teams You got 4 months You got like 4 You got 2 months of NBA playoffs coming up And baseball coming up So is this the ceiling for AEW And, And they could be happy so going back to my point with the Malachi Blacks of the world, I just think you're wasting time putting him with Fuego del Sol. I just don't look, and their their Monday and Tuesday uh, YouTube numbers aren't very good. I don't know. They are changing. You're 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 in the midst of seeing their product, the way they're changing things, sir. We haven't seen Orange Cassidy. He's gone. Um, I, I'm looking at next week's matches, dude. How about Thunder Rosa, who won the AEW women's title in a steel cage on March, March 16th? You know how many minutes she has been on Dynamite or national TV, including Rampage, since then? Three minutes and 14 seconds. And it was funny. You cannot, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. She People would have crapped on, wasn't the cake stuff with Tony Storm and Charlotte? Sure. The stuff that people got upset about, like, oh my gosh, Tony Storm with cake <laughs> segment, and we've got the cake stuff right we here. Stuff Although again, I yeah. will say, I will say, if if you don't follow Nyla Rose on social media, she, you got to check her out. She okay. is hilarious, and it's starting to come into her promos and stuff a little bit more. She kind of pops up places, and she's like. Shut up, bitch! You know, and she just kind of runs <laughs> and she's just like have this cake, bitch. Like she'll she'll have these really funny kind of dorky lines, and you can tell that she's having fun with it. So for all those out there that don't check out Nyla Rose on social media, she's actually got some personality and she's pretty funny. But I don't, I mean, this doesn't like Jade feels right now as we oh well. So we got Chris Jericho, Garcia, and Hager uh, beating Kingston and. Santana and Ortiz And as they came out The intro The guy uh, uh, The one guy who was in 2.0 before He does the intro for them He says The Jericho Appreciation Society The worldwide leader in sports and entertainment For the last five weeks (laughs) He says it just You know because WWE would say For 30 years The the worldwide leader in sports and entertainment And he said The Jericho Appreciation Society for five weeks, the worldwide leader in sports and entertainment. It was just loud. It just made me chuckle. <laughs> I love the guy and the way he like overpronounces and enunciates everything. Just so you know, you know, he really tries to to lead into the accent. Um, they picked up a win in a six man tag. I mean, this is just a 
we're gonna keep going with this. They it was a beatdown after. I'm sure we'll sure. have a big sort of send off at some point. And then uh, MJF was with Mark Sterling, and uh, then we this this was really weird. So MJF gets to pick someone to fight Wardlow, kind of like what I was saying before, and you pick the butcher. Like we this is a guy who has <sighs> TV. We never see him. This is someone who we're supposed to believe. Here's the thing. I'm supposed to believe that you believe MJF that this guy is going to beat Wardlow. Really? <laughs> that's, that, that's my point. Really? My you point seem too. like you're yeah. a smart character. You know, you genuinely think that this guy is going to go in there and get the job done against Wardlow. Come on, man. <laughs> right? We got to come on, man. From Gino. Come on. That's to say, just don't treat me stupid on any of my wrestling TV as uh, Marina Shafir. Picks up a win against Sky Blue And we had Jade Cargill with the Batty section out there And they're kind of playing into the fact that Jade's Not really taking Marina very seriously So that's something That they're building up Have they said when that match is going to be yet or no? No, the match was so. not good either That's No, it's not It was sloppy and I told you I, I'm nervous I, li- I, I love Marina She is a wonderful human being I like both of them about- yeah, I'm worried about this match. Me it's too. It's not Friday night. It's not Saturday. And it's not next Wednesday. So if that tells you anything. Maybe you know, they can get a chance to work ready. together a little they're bit. Not ready. Yeah. yeah, maybe they can go and run through this match a little bit at their training centers and just make sure they have a good chemistry. Because I agree with you. They're Neither of these women are seasoned enough in the ring to carry the other. So they got to make sure that they, they have a good plan. Of attack for this match Whenever it is we uh, So Hook is actually going to wrestle On Dynamite next week for the first time He's going to get a big pop um, yes. But like where the hell has he been I don't know We This guy's Apparently been over for a few months He was the top shirt that dethroned CM Punk's <laughs> shirt And then he's just nowhere Like Apparently what? he's had segments on Mondays and Tuesdays but again I mean I don't know if many people Are watching it I, I just and- I, and I, I don't, don't know who he's working, so hopefully it's it, it's somewhat of a decent match. But they've got one, two, three, four, five matches announced for next Wednesday with another Tony Khan huge announcement. And you got a coffin match that's probably going to go for a while. The Owen Hart Foundation match with Jungle Boy and O'Reilly probably will get some time. Britt yep. Baker's finally coming back. It, it's been a month since we've seen her. Uh, Wardlow Butcher, and we're getting hooked. So hopefully yep. Hook gets some time. Hook, hook, hook. We got a big response. Or uh, Dan Housen tried to put a curse on him. <laughs> hook just like throws the medicine ball at him, which I thought that was okay. Um, we got a huge response for Ricky Starks, but before that, we just got a little uh, backstage from Ethan, uh, Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky, and Dan Lambert. And Dan Lambert uh, got a promo. They're going to defend the title against Sammy at Battle of the Belts too. So Ricky Starks from New Orleans Huge response here for him It was pretty cool to see that And I will say I like this match quite a bit I thought they they worked their asses off And I do like the combination Of Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland together They don't need to be a tag team But I just like them as sort of friends Who could position together in spots like this I was pretty surprised though That you end up having Okay first off Hobbs was the one that Ends up 
getting the win You know, okay, Taz did grab his foot So they can play into that, that Taz sure. helped him But it seemed weird because I felt like if you're going to have anybody get the win here Have it be Ricky Starks that the crowd was really Hometown. into right? right, hometown guy, let him get the pin Because the crowd was all over him This feels weird because here. they the made the Federation Right, they made a big That's the problem when you You're a promoter You're going to promote So when you have a new acquisition And you're excited about them You can say we have someone here That we're really excited about Or someone new is going to join the roster But when you say things like This is going to be one of the biggest announcements of all time This is going to change the landscape of professional wrestling This is going to shift the focus of everything And then we've seen Keith Lee In matches on TV on Wednesday I think twice And now we're seeing him lose It was a good match And it's not And Powerhouse Hobbs is someone And Starks are someone who I like a lot too And I think You know They've been kind of floundering around And they don't get a whole lot of opportunities So it's not as if They're not deserving of it But Keith Lee right now Doesn't feel like important Or a big deal At all He just feels like Another guy In the middle of the AEW roster uh, I, I, I wish I wish I could say uh, I wish I could say something different. Now you have the people. Well, he's on TV every week. He's in meaningful matches. Uh, I will buy that for a week or two. Wait, but what, but right now, if you had to slot Keith Lee, honestly, where we were just talking about everyone that's sure. been going on with Rampage and with Dynamite, him and him and Swerve are losing in a tag team match to Starks and Hobbs, who aren't. Champions, they're not slotted no. high up on the card. Well, at I all. think Starks has this the FTR, yeah, the that FTW, does not which mean anything, right? It, what is that? It doesn't. So no. So what? I, they're not anywhere near wrestling for the world title. We can already no. see the guys who they've got sort of slotted in there, and then think about the tag team championships. It's not as if they're close to that. We could think of five or six tag teams that would be That's in true. line. Closer to them. Think about the the North uh, the um, uh, the TV title. You know the the TNT TBS title. Who we're talking about? It's going to be Sammy and Alidolo and Darby's in that mix too. It's not as if he's anywhere near that conversation. This guy isn't close to being towards the top of any of the divisions right now. He's right smack in the middle. And you know, I don't know if it's because of. I don't know what the reason is, right? Do they think that it's that's not health? We, look, if he, if you're in bad health, you're not working matches. You're right? not working so short matches. You're what not is the, the reason why they didn't put him towards the top, which everybody thought that they sh- that somebody should? And I'm not, I'm not, defending, no, I think you're onto something. I'm not defending WWE at all, right? Because I would have, I looked at Keith Lee, you looked at Keith Lee, and he was a guy that we were like, why isn't this guy? The they had him come Especially in and beat right away, right? Right, Especially the NXT run. NXT. The way that you they, and I both our, our hey look our our promos we cut you know on our t-shirts on that's what G said this week in wrestling podcast podcast t-shirts is is uh, strike while the iron's hot you got to put the rocket on them yeah that's what you do that's what you do to make people you can't drag them along because a year from now Keith Lee it may not even be an AEW on AEW. You, what you 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 could a, you accidentally fall into people like Hook, right? Right? You yes. there there end yes. up being people Brian Dan, Daniel Bryan because that's organic. It's right? exactly right. It's organic. So there end up being people always that the crowd just sort of gets behind that you you never even really 
pictured that you and expected, then, right? Yeah, and then when that happens, then you can go with them. But when you bring someone in and you have the plan for them to be a big part, or you're telling people they're important, you what you're saying has to match what you're doing. You can't tell us these people are big deals, they're important, they're game changers, and then we see them once every two or three weeks on TV, and then they lose. And and it's not like, and it's funny because Tony, I'm not. Like I couldn't do it myself with this roster. No. You have too many no. people on the roster. You have too many people that you keep bringing in, and you have too many people towards the top of the card that are like, I don't want to make them look weak. I don't want to make them look bad. You end, you start end up doing doing like this fifty fifty booking, and it's it's different than WWE because they're not like winning and losing to the same people, but they'll lose to someone that's important. Then they'll win fifteen matches that are off TV that we don't see them. So what does what does it matter? Yeah. If the, those wins don't don't matter at all, as uh, yeah, this bothered me a little bit. Not the match at all. These guys are great, and not sure. even no not even the match. not even who they lost to. I'm fine with Hobbs and Starks being people that you want to elevate, but just keep Lee and Swerve, two people you brought in. Swerve looked like a million bucks when they brought him in on that pay per view, and he was in the suit, and they were talking yeah. about him. And you think about where he was with Hit Row not long ago, and now it's like you're losing, you're getting pinned. Coming up Friday, we've got Hangman versus Adam Cole. We've got the Blackpool Combat Club versus the Gun Club. And we got Ruby Soho versus Robin Renegade. Then on Saturday, we've got Thunder Rosa versus Nyla Rose. It's Battle of the Belts 2. We've got Scorpio Sky versus Sammy Guevara. And we got the Ring of Honor World title. Jonathan Gresham <laughs> versus Dalton Castle. Hey, bring out the boys. I used to man, love they were, the boys. Yeah, the Dalton boys. with the boys with the peacock, man. With I love Dalton feathers. a few and years they, back, man. I love that guy. And, uh, and speaking, speaking of Ring of Honor, were you surprised that the Ring of Honor television championship was your main event on Dynamite? Yes and no because the people uh, that Joe. were in it. Yeah, I mean, with Samoa okay. Joe, it doesn't surprise me because Samoa Joe won. He's a pretty big star. I think Samoa Joe in the main event of your TV wrestling program is always, okay. is always a good call. And two, Samoa Joe has the Ring of Honor tie-in. So it at least makes sense because he's been a Ring of Honor guy. He was like the longest reigning Ring of Honor world champ or one of them. And he had great runs there. And this match was fun and it was good. They had the Ring of Honor uh, announcer come in and, cruise, uh, and yeah. set it all up. And... Um, Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dot were in ringside And we had his Kazi Ninari You know intro and people Love Suzuki he's an older veteran From New Japan who's the last couple Years done a lot more over here In America and he's been really Good at indies and he he knows Now that people really are into him and he has Fun with it and this match was cool It was a lot of chops it was a lot of fun And I it's entertaining For me I understand why people like it But I will say it's not really my Style of match, you know, just the smack hit, 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 hit. Like they were just chopping each other for a while. But I do like Joe, and I am glad to see Joe getting some opportunities. I felt really bad about the way things ended for him with WWE and NXT because, man, I think about a few years ago, Joe beat Roman Reigns, I think. All right. Yeah. And then Joe was in a spot against Brock Lesnar where he had this great match against Brock. And it was like, I think there was this match with Joe and Brock and Braun. And Roman maybe like the four of them I'm, I'm remembering or something along those lines That was so cool and and every time Joe would start to get some steam He would get hurt every time He would yeah, start to yeah. to have a little bit of It was like oh, okay this is going to be good for Joe And then he'd get hurt because he cuts great Promos I, I believe him To me he feels 
right now, at least with Joe, who they've brought in in a few weeks, this is what they're supposed to be doing with the people they with bring everyone, in. Everyone, what yes. they did with Joe for now, the first two or three weeks, can, but not, most not everyone, yeah, can like Malachi Black, right? But yep. not everyone, like a Buddy Murphy, is going to be in a main event of Dynamite. But they don't feel as big as Joe. And do you find it any suspicion or odd that? He won the Ring of Honor title, and next week we have a big announcement. Are is he going to be that guy of Ring of Honor? Can you afford to just put him over at ROH and not AEW or both? I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't want. It's kind of. It's just going to get a little wonky because I, this is going to make it hard for Tony with yeah. a whole other company and all this other stuff to deal with. I don't. I didn't mind the match. I thought it was fun. Thought it was fine. Post match, we get. Uh, the attack from Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal They are kind of taunting him yeah, they, and said they had a surprise So this is what I I think that Joe winning for your main event Is fine Like that's, that's a fine way to get off the air and, and to finish But he teased that they might have run over He said that if this match goes long They are able to stay a few minutes longer That the, the company the, the network gave him the opportunity to do that And so what we end up getting is We get Santum, the lights go out. That's another problem. So now the lights go out. They're probably thinking, I don't know, Cesaro, Cesaro, Bray Wyatt, right? There's people that you're thinking, and unfortunately for this guy, Santum Singh, it's not him. (laughs) Like nobody's (laughs) like, oh my, that's gonna be Santum Singh. And then when he does come out, nobody knows who he is, and so that's fine. If that's the case, if he comes out and nobody knows who he is, you better have this guy do some badass shit. So that way he looks like an <laughs> evil dude. Just kind of like what they did with, with Veer. Like at least Veer's get Dominic's getting stretchered out, right? So you go, oh wow, that guy, like he put Dominic Mysterio on a stretcher, you know, that you, you at least you, you think it. Here it was like he's doing the claw thing. He threw <laughs> Samoa Joe into the steps and it was like I know he's big and and but it was like so gentle. He just sort of like yeah. pushed pushed him. It wasn't he didn't there was nothing and and I know the guy's really green. I think he was in NXT back in 2017. And then Yeah, I think I, he I think he was drafted into in the NBA. 2015. Like the first, he was drafted yeah, the first India player to be drafted into the NBA. So you could sort of see the way that he moves from like the way that he walks around, he's athletic. You like cuz he's if you've played basketball, you have to have decent footwork, right? Like you can't be That's just true. A, so his footwork isn't bad. The problem is that the what he would do, like with his motions when he would move his arms and stuff, it was like the great Collie type thing, you know. It's it just doesn't seem like it's a big dude that just comes down on you, but it, there's nothing I mean Man, he's an I'm old gonna... school territory guy, right? This guy yeah. would have been great in the late 80s because you yes. see him a few times. He's a heel yeah. to bring in to face Hogan, and then you send him to the different territory. I don't. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, and look, I'm going to end it on a hot take here. I'm not talking about women or men who get signed to WWE and they send them to the Performance Center or no, they, they sent to NXT, then they get released, you know, like Taya Valkyrie. I'm not talking about people like her. So hear me out. If WWE signs you to a development deal with usually no previous wrestling experience and they see something in you that they think they can turn you into a WWE superstar, but they don't and you're released 
with all of the resources that they have for that Gina, right because at that performance center with the money and the coaches and all of the promo classes and everything they have if you are there it's one of two things if you're there and you don't make it are there some people that are a little bit unlucky or for whatever reason they get dealt a bad hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. sure. And I think those are people that are more likely already established wrestlers, right? People that were on the indies that are and small. That's different. That that's different. different. That's different than have a yeah, this guy no. didn't have a doesn't have a professional the wrestling. People background. they pick off the street though to try to develop into wrestlers. And they if, can't if if you come in there and you've got all the best facilities, all the best coaching, all the best training, and you don't make it work there. You're probably not going to make it work or there's you probably aren't you probably don't really want it or there. I mean, every situation there's, I'm sure, one or two that falls through the cracks. But I, Big E, Roman, these are all sure, like a lot sure. of their projects, people they brought in. Heck, even people like Lash. John Cena. John Cena, Cena last legend, you know, Brock Lesnar, Gable Stevenson's the next one we'll see. You know, Chad Gable. You know, like a lot of them that were wrestlers or that had that were other athletes that they had to teach. This is where the camera is. This is the promo. This is yes. this. This is that. As a uh, we finish up, and there's a lot happening with AEW over the next few weeks. You're gonna hear about it all right here on this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. You'll always hear about WWE. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, everything going on in the world of wrestling. My man, Koopa Loop, thank you so much. We covered a lot of ground today, buddy, and I uh, always love checking in with you. This was a fun one. Have a, a great rest of your weekend, and uh, looking forward to SmackDown. We'll see. SmackDown continues to roll, like we said. I thought they had a really good week. Of all the shows that we talked about, I felt pretty pleased with SmackDown, I think, the most. What a show, Gino, right? Heading into a holiday weekend. I hope you have a fantastic Easter. And hopefully the bunny, who was a part of, well, who was the bunny? And we always tried to figure out who the bunny was in WWE. Oh. With Adam. uh, uh, Oh, Adam Rose. It was Adam Rose. Hopefully you you don't get treated like the bunny always got treated with with Adam Rose and the Rosebuds. The Rosebuds. So we got the (laughs) have a a great Easter, Gino. We'll talk next week. We got the bunny. We got bad bunny. And we've got uh, (laughs) the other bunny from AEW. Lots of bunnies. That is true. Look at you. Uh, all over the place. Koopa Loop, happy Easter, my friend. God Bye, bless everybody. everyone out there. Thanks again for tuning in to this segment. And uh, don't go anywhere, folks. We got a lot more on this episode. Great stuff. A lot, lot we covered this week with Koopa Loop. And uh, we're going to head on over and talk some Starcade 1. Before we do, we're going to talk a little bit about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What She Said podcast. Now her website is at cindycarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A, Com. She can help you out with anything you need in the world of real estate, buying, selling, leasing. If you're just looking for home improvement, she'll connect you with the right type of vendors, you know, gardeners, landscapers, painters, people that she's worked with and used in her own homes and has experience with. If you need help with a loan, she'll connect you with the right type of lenders who can connect you and get you pre-approved and make that process so much easier for you. Maybe you just want to find out how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. And if you're not in the San Gabriel Valley or uh, you're not in North San Diego County, that's where she focuses in her areas. She can still help you wherever you are. If you just don't know someone locally and maybe you've had some problems in the world of real estate, you're just having trouble 
Contact Cindy. She'll put you in touch with someone that she knows and she trusts. I've known her for over a decade. She is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. She's going to make your life a lot easier. Check out CindyCarava.com. Time for the old wrestling rewatch. Now, I will say, if for some reason this sounds like it's a little... If we mention anything throughout, we recorded it a few weeks ago. So that's why I've actually been sitting on this for a while because every time it's it's a little bit longer and I didn't want to put it on just kind of by itself. I was going to put a few things around with it. So I've just been waiting and we've got the old wrestling rewatch, Starcade, the first ever Starcade, Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali join me. So again, yeah, like throughout maybe we mentioned with WrestleMania coming up or something like that if that's the reason why we recorded it a little before WrestleMania a few weeks back. But it is your normal deep dive into the old wrestling rewatch Starcade, the first ever Starcade. This was WrestleMania before WrestleMania. This was built all around Ric Flair, Harley Race in the main event. You got Ricky Steamboat, you got Dusty Rhodes there, you've got Rowdy Roddy Piper and Greg the Hammer Valentine in the dog collar match. So much good stuff at Starcade 1. Oh, yeah. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> we head from WrestleMania 1 to the first ever Starcade, and this was a really good call on Andrew's part for us to get a, a great perspective of two of the all-time biggest shows in wrestling history back-to-back, and they were very close to each other as far as the, the time period. This show was actually a little earlier than WrestleMania, which is something that Vince McMahon would rather you not know <laughs> with the way that they, they retell history a lot of times when you look at the uh, documentaries and stuff. I think ever since they acquired WCW after it was all said and done, maybe they, they let up on that a little bit. But this was the real first big show here. We would see some shows down in, you know, big shows in wrestling wasn't a new thing, but this was one of the real, real big ones. And you could see a lot of influence in this show on WrestleMania, but but a very major difference in that this was a style of wrestling that we're, they were going to treat it a lot more like an actual sport. They were going to take it a little more serious, whereas Vince with the WWF at the time was more into the glitz and the glamour, the celebrity involvement, and things being a little bit showy. It, DZ, it's not as if um, NWA, though, wasn't into some showiness. This this with the uh, the Starcade and the Ric Flair and the Flair for the gold, There, this was a, a good build, and they had a lot of storyline here, too. So I thought this was a really fun show, really well done. A lot of the matches on the show are good, especially graded at, at the curve. You know, for the time, and we got to see some really cool faces early on in their careers. Yeah, no question. You got uh, Roddy Piper later on. You got Steamboat, uh, Randy Orton's dad, Bob Orton Jr. is in there as well. I mean, there's a certain great Kabuki. There's and obviously the main event being Flair and, and Harley Race in the steel cage. A uh, lot of star power for the time. There's not a lot of production value as you would expect. No. Um, I don't know. I don't remember what the original broadcast looked like. I'm sure that was some kind of introduction to the right. Program. We just begin in the middle this of a just, match. Yeah. This just starts right up with the assassins <laughs> uh, in the ring. And yeah, I, I don't really recall uh, what went on before. The one thing though, that, uh, that I will say is that it, it's interesting as we get in, as we'll get into the first match um, with the assassins, one of the assassins, assassin number two, is of course Hercules, um, which uh, is is a great tidbit 
uh, Raymond Fernandez, who was uh, 28 years old at the time. <laughs> the other assassin, though, is Joseph Hamilton, who is uh, already 45 years old at the point of this uh, of this show. And I swear to you, when the image of the, the show begins and you look at the two assassins that are next, next to each other, you obviously know which one is Hercules. But the one that's Jody Hamilton, the thought that I had in my mind when I saw him was the actor Josh Mostel as the role of Principal Max and Billy Madison when he dressed up as the wrestler. <laughs> I swear to God, it was a spitting image. Was from... it the blob? Was it the evil blob? Yeah, yep, the just... blob. Yes. There was blackmail material on him. Yeah. Yep. It, it, I swear to you from a the facial point with the hair coming out the back and the body type and probably right around the same age at the time, I, I just saw that. I went, oh my God, it's Principal Max from Billy Madison. Well, Don't tell I, me I, my business, Devil Woman. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't unsee that. Um, I don't know how I'm going to follow and, that up? And Andrew, um, it's kind of like the, uh, the the first match from for WWF on WrestleMania was the Executioner, right? Yeah. Was me in, in one. So you sort of got the the mask, sort of same thing here. I got to say though, Andrew, besides the first match, which isn't, it's not very good in ring. The rest of the show is very solid. Like, there aren't really downer matches. I mean, the Abdullah-Carlos Cologne is just a train wreck. Like, they're just stabbing each other in the forehead. Yeah, we're going to go into depth on that because there, I've, there's something there that absolutely needs to be addressed, and I'm going to save it. But to your point, this show flies by. It's paced it very well. The matches that aren't necessarily great, for the most part, are at least fast-paced. And the crowd is red hot for mm-hmm. all of this. Yep. I mean, even the opening match with two masked guys nobody cares about and Rufus R. Jones and Bugsy McGraw, the crowd's going crazy for absolutely every single thing the baby faces do. And that makes the wrestlers' jobs very, very easy. And on top of that, you get some really fun matches. We're going to talk a lot about the Ric Flair-Harley Race cage match, which ages well. We're going to talk about the tag match with Bob Orton and Dick Slater going up against Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood, which I had a lot of fun with. You've obviously got the dog collar match between Piper and Valentine. The Briscoes, my God, Jerry Briscoe, not as a stooge. That takes a little bit of getting used to here. I I mean, it's it's a good show. I wouldn't necessarily call it a great show, but for its time, as the first pay-per-view, when it's very clear that NWA and Jim Crockett are still trying to figure things out a little bit, this was pretty darn good. It's It was better than I was remembering it being in ring. Just thinking about it. I thought there were a couple highs, but everybody works hard. You know, and I think that's the thing you get on, even on WrestleMania 1, whereas the the, rin, the in-ring work isn't as good as this. And, and it was just different. This company wanted Better in ring work than what the WWF wanted They were at the time they weren't really asking You for the same thing but you could just Tell that everybody understood The uh, the importance of the show This was a big deal for them And this was yeah th- This was something that not A lot of them had had the opportunity to be On this type of big show that was going to get The type of uh, eyeballs On it that Starcade was so And we should also mention this is the First ever closed circuit Wrestling show yeah, this is this is the advent of pay-per-view. This is the first time that wrestling fans could go to a movie theater 
or a local gymnasium or a local arena, pay an entry fee and go and watch this show on closed circuit. And mm -hmm. like you said, Vince McMahon doesn't want you to talk about it. But before you could do that at WrestleMania one and WrestleMania two, there was Starcade. I think what I was reading a little bit and listening a little bit about it. So I think they sort of kind of lucked into um, an idea because back when they would do the uh, the the circuits, you know, they would run the house show circuits like WWE does now. Uh, they would do, you know, you run your local uh, house shows, but for them, they would go from territory to territory, and a lot of the times they would they would have that same main event match or a similar card that they would have in each location. So that way, the people in each city, Greensboro or Charlotte, they would get to see the same thing. They wouldn't have to travel to Charlotte or they wouldn't have to travel to Greensboro. They'd be, but what I think I was reading. There was one big match with Steamboat and Youngblood that they promoted only in Greensboro. And they were able to get a lot of people to pick up the coverage of it. And they realized that people would drive from all over. They they had like five or 6,000 extra people. They couldn't even sell as many tickets as they had. So they realized, wow, we could actually do a show in one place, really promote it. People will drive all over. We can still have a huge show, and we don't have to do the same thing all over the place once people see it. You know, we can change things up a little bit. And um, and that kind of led to the idea, I think, for Starcade here. And this is a cool show. It really is. Um, Not, as Darren was saying, it's 1983, so production value is not great, and the production value on the WCW NWA side was never quite as good as WWF. But just from the look of the way they captured the wrestling, it's actually very comparable, and maybe even like brighter than WrestleMania One is, which still sort of looks like the MSG house show kind of dark. They they didn't really know exactly how they wanted to light it yet in WWF. They they still have a pretty good look at the ring, but a lot of the production stuff is just uh you know we get a different look with Tony Schiavone who's really young here just coming off yeah, of minor I league wonder, baseball. I, yeah, I wonder if his parents had to write him a note to get him out of school on this <laughs> right? day. My he God, he looks fourteen years old. So young, and he had not been. It's funny because from what I was you know looking into the show, he hadn't been doing a whole lot before this. You could tell Gordon Soley doesn't even know his name. He butchers his name when he throws it to him because I don't think they'd even met. It was like someone who was coming in to help out and do interviews. And he spends a lot of time in, in the dressing rooms, you know, with the baby faces, talking to all of them. The one thing they do a fantastic job with this show is they make that main event match feel like a huge deal. And it can get annoying sometimes, DZ, we, when we see WWE do this nowadays where they really harp on a big match or they'll – They'll interview people throughout the night and ask them, what's your opinion on this match? But once the match begins, it does it does do a great job of like the building it up when everyone's got an opinion, when everybody talks about it, when everyone's got, oh, Flair's going to win, this is why. Oh, I don't like Harley Race. And you really feel by the time that bell rings after everything like it's a big deal. Yeah, they do a good job of that. I mean, you know, like like we said, we have to take the production value for the era that it is. But. You do get the big fight feel. You do get that this is a huge match, that there are massive implications within the landscape of professional wrestling. Um, you know, I love the spot with, uh, you know, it looks like Flair and Piper are, are talking strategy behind Shivani when he's uh, doing his first hit in, in, the, uh, in the locker room. It looks like 
it looks like Flair and Piper are, are literally sitting there like talking about different things that he could do. And Piper at one point is like reaching up and almost looking like, hey, if you grab onto the cage here and you do this or whatever, Steamboat shows up and they're all talking and like wishing Flair good luck. Like it, it almost looks like, you know, boxers backstage, you know, getting ready pre-fight before the main event. It, it's really well done for the time. And, and and if you were a wrestling fan in 1983, you definitely bought that, you know, uh, full-fledged that this was, you know, a legitimate fight that had mm-hmm. massive, massive implications. Andrew, there was a lot of uh, build leading to this show as Ric Flair was in storyline. Ric Flair had a serious injury um, from a plane crash. And then in storyline... They had put a bounty on him. Harley Race had a twenty-five thousand dollar bounty on anyone that could that could put him out of business, uh, put him out of the business. And Ric Flair suffered a broken neck. He came back with the big neck breaks on on one episode of the the television, and everybody went nuts. He came back. He was swinging weapons around, going crazy, and then he took the neck brace off and he cut this really impassioned promo. And so there was great build leading up, but this version of Ric Flair is not the Ric Flair we would know a little bit later on. He was babyface Ric Flair, and he wasn't as um, cocky, wheeling, dealing out there. You could see the little little flashes of the guy he would become and the character he was molding, but that complete nature boy Ric Flair woo character wasn't really there yet. No, no, it was not, and. It's a culture shock if you see Ric Flair on the marquee and you click on this show and you listen to some of the promos and you're like, who's this guy? This guy is subdued. Mm-hmm. He's coherent. Rick's he's respectful. Not dropping, he's not dropping elbows on articles of clothing. Um, but <laughs> this is not that kind of Ric Flair. And that's how you know how good the angle was. This angle and this match drew an insane amount of money despite Ric Flair not being at his peak gimmick-wise. That tells you something about the booking here. I mean, you had Ric Flair coming back for the title. You had Harley Race, who was a ready-made star, and a guy that WWF tried to poach leading up to Starcade. Much has been made about Vince McMahon meeting with Harley in October or November of that year and trying to get him to jump ship with the NWA title still in his possession. We'll go into more depth about that later. It's a fascinating story. And yeah, it seems like they're bashing you over the head with main event stuff a little bit, but there's also a progression in these segments. Specifically, you see Harley Race get madder and madder and madder every time he comes on camera. And that's what you want to see in a heel. You want to see somebody getting worked up and amped up because look, it's the main event of the first pay-per-view ever. And if you're not amped up for it, who wants to see the match? So there was a lot of good in that angle, including a lot of things we saw on this show. Andrew, going back to what you said earlier, are you insinuating that, 14 years prior to not to, to freaking out over the idea of Bret Hart walking into a WCW ring with the <laughs> WWF championship that Vince McMahon himself tried to bring the NWA title <laughs> onto WWF <Really>? television. <laughs> no, you know, 
All, all I'm saying is this is the same guy that calls talent raids acquisitions when he makes them. Yet yep. when WCW made it to him, it was a raid. I'm just saying there were rules that didn't necessarily apply to Vinnie Mac. Yeah, we don't by, get. By to the go, way, go who had 15 minutes and 37 seconds for a Bret Hart reference on Starcade '83? Yeah, Overbetters, right. collect. I was going to say earlier and earlier each and every week we'll get Bret in any way we can shoehorn him on uh, on the old wrestling rewatch. So yeah, this is uh, this is fun, and the the word that I c- kind of kept coming to mind for me that I wrote down in a lot of spots was real. Feels real. Feels authentic. That's the way they want it presented, and it's. Different from WWF and it's like It's like anything it's which What taste do you prefer Right and there's not really A wrong or a right answer the wrestling Here is a little bit better in ring Maybe a little bit you know Grittier but then then the other Flip side you go up north and it's just a little More glitz and glamour it's a little more Showy it feels more like Something you'd see in Hollywood or or Something you'd see in, in the movies So yeah complete difference And we will dive in to Starcade on November 4th, November 24th, 1983. This was on Thanksgiving night. And as Taryn mentioned, something must have been cut because, I mean, we, there's no video package, no intro, no Starcade, no anything. We just open right in the middle of the ring. <laughs> and, and it's the, uh, it's the assassins here versus Rufus R. Jones and Bugsy McGraw. And I mean, this is a comedy match. Honestly, these two guys, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're goofing around. Um, Gordon Soli forgets Bugsy's name for a minute at the beginning. And uh, they're, they're like, it's like a three stooges kind of thing. They're super simple stuff, but we get like a windmill, some bad looking punches, swinging them around. Bugsy and Rufus are dancing around all over the place. You know, like they're trying to do the JYD sort of like you hit a punch and then you're, you know, you're dancing in between real over the top baby face stuff, even a little dusty, like kind of just overdoing it. And the crowd's into it. We get the chicken dance at one point. There's a <laughs> twirl. There's a twirl that, uh, um, solely makes you makes me laugh because he's got this real dry. This is still when Soli's kind of got it a little bit. He's a little later in his career, but we don't get to talk about Soli very much in, in a lot of our shows. But you can see he's he he drops some really fun, funny like one liners and he's got some some cool verbiage. He keeps saying this is a new arena in professional wrestling. It's not a new era. And even when he calls everything a suplexes, he calls them the suplays, you know, and, and um so, play city. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool <laughs> just to get a little different, um, uh, some different uh, verbiage, and just hearing some of the, one of the all-time greats calling the matches. We get Rufus who gets that babyface build up, and uh, he tags in Bugsy, and then we uh, we end up getting a roll up though for a, a three count. It it wasn't a very great match. The assassins end up winning this thing. They kind of sneak it in here. And immediately after the match We cut right back to the commentators Backstage so I think it's one of those Things DZ where We saw this at Wrestlemania 1-2 They're I think Maybe worried about timing just sort Of like this is new for them they haven't done A lot of big shows like this Being live being on TV with all these different moving parts And moving pieces so you're gonna see A lot of little kind of glitches here and there Throughout in, in these early years of these big shows 
For sure. And one of the things that, that I took away, and like you said, there's not really a whole lot to talk about in the match. And if you watch the match, you'll see why. Like Gino said, it, it's more of a of a variety hour uh, sitcom type wrestling match with over the top dramatization of punches and flailing about than it is a, a really a wrestling match. Um, I this is actually fact- something you probably would have seen up north more. Which yes. is funny because then the rest of the show is a lot more serious with their yes. wrestling, but the presentation here is a lot more like what you would have seen with like the J, like I said, the JYD or someone you know, kind of goofing around a little bit more in the ring. Yeah, and I, I mean the one thing that that again that caught my attention, and it's always hard to keep track of which uh, assassin it is, but you know that like we said, that is Hercules Hernandez, who is the second assassin. Um, I think at this point he's a couple of years removed from from being out of the Air Force. Uh, he's back in from Japan where he wrestled for maybe about a year or so. And um, this is where he got to start with with Jim Crockett before he went to Mid-South and then eventually finding his way to the WWF uh, in about a couple of years from this point. So that's an interesting tidbit. Um, but, yeah, like you said, the one thing that that I also noticed uh, comparing this time period to now, the difference in the match order where an event like this today, your first match, while it's not usually your main event, I say usually because, of course, we could think about, you know, a Brock Seth Rollins situation at a WrestleMania where, yeah, it's not your main event, but it's certainly not a match that you would ever think is, is going to go out first. Um, but to that point, the scheduling of the matches is more of a ramp up from start to finish. It's not it's not a mm-hmm. big, big shot in the arm start. Like, here's a match to really get you on fire, bring you down a little bit, build you back up, bring you down a little bit, and then ultimately build you back up for the, you know, the big climax at the Mm -hmm. end. This is a slow ramp up from probably your least advertised, you know, worst wrestling match going up through the card on a steady climb to the main event. And I just found it interesting, the different way that they book these things back in the 80s or the early 80s mm-hmm. anyway, compared to now because nowadays a lot of times andrew they don't um like the the if you're not in the main event the opener is a lot is like the second biggest match or one that they put on knowing they're going to get a really big pop but you were hitting on it this crowd was going to go crazy for really anything here and they were they were amped pretty much from start to finish that's for sure i mean this match is slow it's six minutes it feels longer and it is by no means good I mean, when the finish of the match is the out-of-shape assassin replacing the in-shape assassin doing the switch and getting the roll-up <laughs> for the pin and the referee not seeing a damn thing, it's a tough sell. Having said that, it was energetic. It was fairly fast-paced. You could see the baby faces were having a lot of fun, and the heels were working hard. You know, as openers go, I've seen worse It's certainly nothing you'd ever want to go out of your way to see, but the crowd was into it. Crowd was amped. You know, I've seen far worse. And if you're going to start with that sort of progression that Darren was mentioning, you know, is it a horrible thing that the opener wasn't all that good? No, no, no. We got a couple of botch spots here and there, but this wasn't supposed to be anything spectacular. And then Darren was right. The build on these shows were a little bit different. We get to the commentators, Bob Cottle and Gordon Soli. I thought it was really weird. Why wouldn't they spell it like Flair's last name yeah, it, with a flair for the gold? Yeah. <laughs> just spell it. A, they got a flair for the gold. F-L-A-R-E. Just spell it flair. 
I thought it was so, I, it kept on. I kept seeing it. I was like, what? This is weird. Uh, anyway, Soli looking sharp with that like brown kind of velvet. Um, Coddle, for as much as I thought Soli is kind of interesting and, and kind of gives you fun little quips, Coddle just is like nothing. Like he's one of those guys like he's he talks, but he's like doesn't say anything. Like very, very little of importance gets gets said here by Coddle. Um, and we talk to Tony. We uh, we actually they briefly talk a little bit about the main event. They say that Dusty's gonna challenge the winner a year later. That was another thing that was weird. Why not have Dusty on this show in a match against someone, have him beat somebody, and then you there have had him to be, be a reason, right? That's yeah, because he pops up a couple times. I mean, was he hurt? Was there something? Was it planned on someone else and they dropped out? But that was sort of the one thing that was weird. Why not have him? Because the couple times he pops up, it's like, yeah, okay, we could have gotten a better use out of Dusty. I think um, if if there was a reason. Nonetheless, we will then check in with Tony Schiavone, and Tony is back in the dressing room. Flair. Piper they're sitting down and he's going to be Back in the dressing room all throughout the Evening with these different interviews We see other wrestlers walking Around kind of in the in the back Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood Charlie Brown wanders through And then uh, This is where DZ is kind of talking about how Piper and Flair They're um, they're having a, a Discussion uh, about Stuff happening it's just kind of cool you, you know this feels like what would be happening Backstage on uh, during the during the show, these guys are sort of getting ready, kind of ramping their energy up before their matches. We see the good guys coming in and out before and after their matches. I I sort of like this unique look. It it's just a different feel from what we would get um, in a lot of WWF at the time, and it leads us to our next match: Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin versus Gary Hart, uh, with Gary Hart versus Scott McGee and Johnny Weaver. Kevin uh, Sullivan, huh? Young Kevin Sullivan, yeah. really good shape here, and they, you know, this is he did a lot of the like sat- satanic sort of gimmicks and like the cult stuff. They're not really kind of mentioning a lot of that in here. We just get a little back and forth to start. We get McGee trying to use some of his speed, and then in comes Lewin. We have. Uh, uh, Sullivan's kind of grabbing the ropes as uh, as Weaver's doing the little uh, little crisscross back and forth. <laughs> Soli says that Sullivan might be a druid. Um, Lewin tags in after literally one second, though. I mean, these quick tags that they've got going on are just nuts between Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin. Like, I know quick tags, but like one guy will have just got in one move and then bolt the next tag. It's like. They're getting more tired tagging in and out. It's like defeating the whole purpose of the quick I tag. saw the same thing, and that had to be a rip, at least right? of some sort. I know. It was like, what the hell are they doing here? Um, I'm sure they were popping a couple guys in the back at this point. Um, we after, I mean, basic tag formula here. It's not like, that's one of the things, too. It didn't go on for too long. These guys worked pretty hard. It, it went less than six minutes, about 6.45, or it went less than seven minutes, I think about 6.45 or so. We get uh, the running bulldog, and we get the kind of lo- looks like they're kind of going, uh, you know, they grab they grab his arm, and they're doing a little ring around the rosy. We get a ref distraction bump, and then a, a knee drop off the top on uh, Weaver's arm, so the heels are, are doing a really great job like you would get in the, you know, the real basic heel formula, working over the bad guys, kind of doing, the, uh, working over the good guy, cheating, and uh, distracting the ref here. We 
get a foreign object now and Gary Hart gives it to I think Sullivan and then Lewin and, and they're jabbing it into McGee's head. So here comes Angelo Mosco to make the save. He gets stabbed <laughs> just for coming out there. And so I mean post match there is just blood all over and the match was not bad. They these guys worked hard but it it was just a schmo- sort of schmozzy at the end, and those quick tags were something that was super noticeable. Again, not not terrible at all, but it was sort of like continuing to set up the uh, the angle moving forward. And afterwards, you've got – I mean the crowd's going really nuts, and it did a, gr- did a really good job of making the heels look real menacing and, and evil here. But, you know, a little bit better than uh, – definitely, I mean, a lot better than the first match, DZ, but this was – Nothing that was supposed to be definitive here. You could tell they had an angle and a storyline they wanted to keep going. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the way the match ends, um, you know, you talked about what went on in the match. I, I thought McGee looked looked pretty good at times, looked like he had some ability. I, I don't really remember a lot about these guys as wrestlers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, the end of the match with what goes on with the heels. But the, the one thing I want to point out um, that that was hard to watch it's probably the most deliberate and bad blade job I've ever seen in my life. Um, where brutal he he's getting, you know, he, uh, McGee is getting pounded with this spike in the head and Sullivan is holding him up with his hands up around McGee's forehead. And McGee, he, he's literally holding it on his forehead, the blade McGee falls. And you literally just watch Sullivan rip this razor blade across his forehead just right there right on camera just full-fledged in front of you where razor blade across the entire forehead it was like hard to watch like when i saw it i literally said out loud oh (laughs) you know you didn't expect to see that um it gets real bloody really quickly um you know obviously it does the job the crowd wants to see these guys murdered um, but yeah, it, I would say the last couple of minutes of this, the, the, I mean, I've seen some graphic stuff or whatever, but that was pretty bad to watch. <laughs> so that was bad. I would argue there's one in the next match that's worse, but yeah. I hear you now. This match is pretty fun for a couple of different reasons. One, Mark Lewin was one of three members of his family, all brothers, and they all became professional wrestlers. One of his brothers was a guy named Ted Lewin who wound up as his main hustle being a writer and illustrator of children's books. This is an incredible story. And he actually wrote a pretty darn entertaining autobiography about being a teenage professional wrestler to try to pay his way through college. If you haven't found that book, you should. It's a pretty darn cool read. I remember it being a pretty easy read at the time too, when I got it. Uh, But Mark Lewin, was a guy who would go around the world as this psycho and his big gimmick was having a third eye in between his, you know, in between his eyes. He was this occult figure. And you can see some of that in the way that he carries himself in the ring. It's why he's aligned with Kevin Sullivan. They're both, you know, satanic psychos or whatnot. And they get a win over baby faces here. And look, is the match great? No, but it's fast paced and these guys Mm -hmm. are working hard. You yep. can't ask for too much more than that. Now, no. and it, it Mc- leads to an angle, and it's not that it long. Does. Yeah, and McGee winds up bleeding a gusher, and we will talk a little bit more about this later. 
Angelo Mosca runs in for the save. He's supposed to be refing a match later on in the evening, and they stab him in the arm. <laughs> now, just gets I, I just t- talk about things you would not see 39 years later. I mean, you see this on a television show 39 years later, you're calling the cops. But uh, that just goes to show you how much uh, time changes and uh, things change with it. Yeah, th- this was um, for about 30 minutes or so, we get a lot of blood. As uh, we get the next match that comes up in a minute But before we do we meet up with the Estes family uh, First it's Coddle and Soli And they're this is One of the things that I loved about Soli He would just be like Just oh, disgusted by the heels Oh my god I can't believe them You know he just talks down on the heels Every time they would do something He was just celibate and lewd Can't believe what they did um, We check out the ringside interview Barbara Clary and she she introduces us to the Estes family. They said they came 180 miles to watch the show. One of the recaps that I was reading through, I made a note because it's it funny. They said it's like a really southern family. They sound like Boomhauer when he when he talks from from King of the Hill. Kind of you kind of get that. Rick, all of the stereotypes that you would think about is sort of what you get with this family, who's just like really pumped up to watch some wrestling here. Uh, thick accents. The youngest son is all jacked up. The mom is screaming. And um, it's just an excitement all over the place, which is fun. It makes you smile and laugh that people are really this pumped and this excited for uh, a big wrestling show. And we get Tony Schiavone, who is now with Greg Valentine and the Briscoe brothers. So he's in the heel locker room here. And he talks to Harley Race. And now Race says that... um, he would never want to be in Greens. Tony said, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving. I'm sure it's Greensboro is probably the last place you want to be. <laughs> Harley Ray says, uh, on any given day, Greensboro is the last place I want to be. <laughs> he says, uh, he cuts this awesome promo. He said he's talking to all the guys in the locker room on how to beat Flair. He said he knows Flair's shortcomings and he will exploit them. And it was good. Like, oh, Harley Race was just, he was like, one of the words I kept seeing pop up when people describe him, which is a great word, sinister. You can just kind of feel it when he talks. It gives you, like, if you see a lot of early Jake the Snake stuff. You see Triple H, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Triple H took all of Harley Race's promo mannerisms and used them in a lot of his promos, especially when he was on top in the mid-2000s. Like, that's where he got the shtick from. And they reused a couple of Harley storylines. And the best thing about Harley was he wasn't playing a character. Nope. He wasn't trying to go over the top. He was being organic. And wrestling is at its best when it is simple and people are being versions of themselves. Yeah, DZ, we only caught the last stages of, of uh, Harley Race where he was doing the King gimmick over in WWF. But at that yeah. point, he was he just didn't have a whole lot left in the tank. He did have a really... Yeah, it was an interesting feud. It was like a house show run with Hogan that they, you know, they said that didn't it didn't kind of uh, uh, sell tickets and it, they didn't get as much money as they would have hoped. But they had a pretty good match, Hogan and Harley Race, on a Saturday night's main event where there's a table spot in WWF at the time, which was nuts. And I think this was one of the spots that actually ended up um, really hurting Harley down the down the stretch. But we didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of him. And he wasn't, I mean, he was good in the ring, but it wasn't for him necessarily that he was the most fantastic worker of everyone. It was the package, good in the ring, 
As Andrew said, he wasn't playing a character. He'd cut these promos where he would you would just believe what he said, and he felt like a tough guy. No, he did. He 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 absolutely did. Um, the the thing that's tough with me. So anything with Harley Race um, that I go back and watch, um, I, I I never saw Harley really um, as I was watching live. It would be like it would be like uh, for me if you didn't watch a show when it was you know running its seasons on TV and you decided to start watching it three four years down the line and and now you kind of like watch it you know on HBO Max or you know Netflix or whatever but you never watched it when it was in in prime time on on network television um Harley Race is kind of one of those guys for me um because he his prime was before I started watching wrestling you could even argue that his prime is before this I mean at this point you know Harley Race is already 40 years old um he's been around forever he debuted in 1960 I think this is kind of the passing of the torch moment yes. For him, yes, you know, is. kind of passing it to Flair and Flair and Dusty kind of sort of take the mantle for the next era, you know, as as the guys. Yep. So so for me, like you said, the Harley race I remember is the Harley race against the junkyard dog at WrestleMania three. I don't have memories of Harley race as a, you know, a prime NWA player, which, of course, he was uh, and an AWA player, but but a primetime player for a very long time. Uh, and, and that's because it happened before I was born. So anything that I go back and watch, I'm watching uh, on a rerun. So for me, whenever I go back and watch these things, it kind of just fills the gaps and fills the holes in his career. But like you said, he comes off as a badass. He comes off as a guy that I don't want to meet, you know, walking down a dark alley. Mm -hmm. Uh, he comes off as a guy that's just angry, doesn't care, uh, and will do whatever it takes to win and to beat you. And at the time, that is Wrestling Heel 101. And on top of all of that, yeah, just really quick, the guy was one of the most respected people in the entire industry for everything that he did as far as acting like a champion, both in the ring and outside of that, both in working with anybody that any territory threw at him and in what he did when they got out there. Bret Hart in his book tells a story of how Harley traveled through the night to get to a gig in Canada where he was supposed to defend the title and he was supposed to defend it against Brett. And he looks at Brett and he goes, tell me we're not going an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And Brett goes, it's whatever you want, Harley. And they went 10 minutes and it was fine. And it was one of those things where Harley never forgot that. And there was some, it it, might have been when Stu died when Harley was having really bad back problems. And look, if you want to know why Harley race had back problems, his finisher was a flying headbutt off the top rope between him, dynamite kid and Voldemort. Can we safely say that using the flying headbutt off the top rope is a really bad idea. Now, Daniel Bryan was doing it for a while too. Yep. But Brett called this out. Because Harley Race traveled through the night on a horrible back to get to Stu Hart's funeral. Classy, classy dude, and a really tough guy. We then get to our next match. Carlos Colon versus Abdullah the Okay, Butcher. I've been waiting for this. This will be fun. Abby, this match goes only 4 minutes and 30 seconds, and it is an absolute 
train wreck demolition derby. Gordon Soli lets us know that they banned this match in Puerto Rico. So these two guys good for Puerto Rico mainland (laughs) to settle their score. The refs can't even get them apart to start. We right away, immediately, Abdullah goes right into his pants looking for something. And I, I mean, he's looking for an actual foreign point of order. Point of order. This is what I. This is what I wanted to talk about. Before the match, pants looking for something. Before the match, yeah, there we go. Yeah, before can't find it. I'm I'm gonna try to bring us out of the out of the dregs (laughs) of of podcasting here. But before the match, the referee does a check for foreign objects. He checks Carlos Colon. He checks Abdullah the Butcher. Bell rings. Ten seconds in, Abdullah the Butcher goes into his pants. What's the referee doing? (laughs) And you know what? That might be only the second most negligent thing by an NWA employee all night. And we'll get to number one in the very next promo that we take a look at. But I'm watching this, and I'm going, okay, he's looking. Well, it's Abdullah the Butcher, so you know we're getting a foreign object somewhere. Bell rings. They go into the corner. Up oh, there it is. Yep. Yep. So so Abby goes up on the ropes with a springboard headbutt off the first rope. But that was Abby off the bottom rope there with a little uh, a little leap. Um, I mean, immediately, Cologne is just gushing blood all over his face. Abby's just gashing at his face with what, the, the shiv. Whatever the shiv that he's got And um, The fingers are taped So that's supposed to make the clawing Even worse They're fighting into the corner Abby's biting him And then Cologne actually grabs The foreign object And he uses it on Abby The ref just doesn't know what to do Uh, Cologne's just punching and, And gashing Abby's cut All over Now he starts Gosh, in this day and age, the blood and stuff, he's biting the cut, Cologne is, of, of Abdullah, with the blood coming all over the place. And, I mean, he's digging at Ab- Abdullah's mouth. We get actually get a, a leg drop and an elbow drop for two. Then the ref gets nailed by an elbow. The crowd is just screaming nuts with the, the, the sight of blood all over the place. And the ref is out. We actually get a figure four in here, but then uh, a guy comes down. We don't really know who it is at the beginning and nails Carlos Colon. It's actually the future WWF Spanish announcer, Hugo Savinovich. And that's <laughs> Abdullah, the butcher's manager. And uh, the ref comes back to life uh, just in time to count the three to give Abby the win. I mean, this was four minutes and 30 seconds of just an absolute Train wreck brawl there might have been Three or four wrestling moves in the Entire match but one thing You'll notice that they did on the Show DZ and this was one Thing that I will give WCW credit for Even later into the Eric Bischoff Era they did have A lot of pay-per-views that did Feel kind of Variety show-ish in We're going to have a different style of match For you know a, a couple Different styles of matches this was a I mean a blood bath You had the goofy kind of comedy match at the beginning And then a lot more of the matches on the card Were serious but they gave you a couple Different things at least and the crowd 
was really into this It's kind of cringy with the blood all over the place In a couple of these matches when you kind of look back And you think about these two guys And, and you know what happened later in life And, and poor Abdullah But um, they're, these guys are working It's intense And yeah Puerto Rico banned this thing As Andrew said good for them I mean He's repeatedly stabbing Abdullah in the head with whatever just, this thing is. It's like just, a knife, a, sti- a sieve. It's just a st- going right at his face. And and the the spot where he like kind of fish hooks him with this shiv and then starts biting the cut on the top of his head. It's just oh my god! Like, but see for me, this is where things like we talked about you and I and and, and Andrew we, sometimes on Twitter and via text. We talk about like these deathmatch things that go on now where I think we're all of similar agreements that it's not wrestling. No, this isn't really my style. It's never yeah. been. And this I is, blood this is in not, the, this, in the, yeah. the uh, Brett, uh, yeah, Brett Hart, another mention, right? In there the Brett go. Austin Two. match. In in the matches that are Three, even even actually we had one earlier and we had the Harley race. The Harley style. race oh, yeah. one, you're right. So Three. even in the Piper Valentine, which gets a little too much, but that was a feud that needed blood in that match. It's a dog collar match. It's the end of this long-standing feud uh, where you just sort of use it three, four times throughout the night. And in a match like this, when the whole point of the match is the blood, that's right. that's just not for me. And I think this is part of the reason why I was never in Abdullah the Butcher guy, um, because. Without this and without the blood, is he actually a professional wrestler? You know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I admittedly never watched Abdullah the Butcher matches from, you know, the 1970s. And I have no idea, you know, what his uh, peak of, you know, at wrestling and athletic prowess look like. I, I really have no clue. But all I remember with Abdullah the Butcher is this whether it be in Puerto Rico or here or wherever, it was just these ridiculous blood matches where somebody got ripped open because of a, a, a fork or a, a knife or whatever it was that they used. And even to this day, this stuff is just not for me. But, I mean, it, you 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 could literally, from the scars in Abdullah's head, you could literally take, like, playing cards and stick them in the divots in his head. Yeah. Like, that's how bad it it, it is. And it's it's rough. But yeah, this, this is like this, this is not, the, this is not the my bad, cup of thing. Yeah. yeah, this is kind of Andrew. This is dark side of the ring sort of stuff. You know, this is kind of that bad side of the wrestling where you see these guys that travel along the roads, and then a- Abby, who was in big shows on big, you know, on big for big companies, different spots here and there, but he didn't have the you know like later in life with all of the issues that he had. It's sort of a sad story, and you kind of see this match, and it's like it's, there's parts of it that are hard to watch. Yeah, uh, and Darren, you are not alone in feeling that way about Abdullah the Butcher. There's a story about superstar Billy Graham, who at one time requested him be, himself to be removed from the WWE Hall of Fame. And this is the exact quote that I've just pulled up. It is a shameless organization to induct a bloodthirsty animal such as Abdullah the Butcher into their worthless and embarrassing Hall of Fame, and I want the name of superstar Billy Graham to be no part of it. Ouch! Wow. Like, yeah. Now, to be fair, superstar Billy Graham is known for making very large statements. Yeah, he's not perfect either. 
No, no, not at all whatsoever. And for as much as he talked about steroids being a problem in professional <laughs> wrestling, yeah. pot, meat, kettle. Um, now, as far as Abdullah the Butcher goes, he was never my cup of tea either. And it's just a case where, look, I don't mind hardcore wrestling, but when did it become a problem for someone to just knock somebody in the mouth really, really hard? I know. I'm simple, and I don't need Abdullah the Butcher stabbing somebody with a fork or a shiv, or in the case of this match, blading himself not once, but twice in full view of the camera. Like he missed the first time and needed to go back for more. Um, that was, uh, that was uncomfortable. And look, I'm not admonishing people who like this stuff. It's a different strokes for different folks kind of thing. I can't go so far as to say he's not a wrestler, but he's certainly not a wrestler that I'd ever go out of my way to watch. No, no. And, um, yeah, definitely a different style. This, this is. There are promotions right now that are built around. Them. I mean, AEW does a lot of this. Not quite this bad, but but not far away. And it just uh, again, they're getting a little. GCW. They're getting a little carried away. Yeah, they yeah. are. And it yeah, just doesn't yeah. do it for me, especially on on TV when you're trying to grow your product on like a national TV cable where you want to get legitimate advertisers and stuff. So yeah, not not my style. Yeah. Um, here's a question before we go too much further. Yeah. Without Abdullah the Butcher, do we have Nick Gage? No, we probably don't. Probably not. You know. Well, then heck with Abdullah the Butcher. Right. Yeah. If I, I just if, if I never see a pizza cutter on a professional wrestling too. show again, it will be too soon. No, thank and, you. Even the other day with the girls, you know, they had a really good they had that lights out match, Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker last year. And then they kind of tried the match the other day. You could tell they were working really hard. Crowd was into it. They were trying to recreate some of what they had last year. And then they get they get the thumbtacks in the mix, and it's just a little. It gets like you're just doing it for the sake of doing the blood. That it's all about the blood and the shock value than it is more about telling the story and the in ring work. And yeah, the the next moment, the next portion of this is so funny to me. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna like this This is so funny So first off We go backstage to Angelo uh, Tony Schiavone with Angelo Mosca Who had just got stabbed Not long earlier And first up He cuts this incredible promo It's like he's It was audition- fun I like this It's promo. like he's auditioning for like a Like a, a huge role In like an Academy Award You know monologue You know and he's just talk Going through What's happening And McGee, see, I saw the blood and it reminded me of what happened to my own son. And I would be out there to referee the tag title match, even if I only had one arm. And it brings a tear to my eye. It got my Latin blood in an uproar. And he's going on this serious, impassioned promo while right next to him. Guy's like dead. The guy just shot dead in the head. Yeah, where's the where's the medical staff? Where's the trainer? Where's the paramedic? My God, this guy is comatose. What the hell are you doing? I was like, is this guy okay? What is happening? And Moscow's just going nuts, and he's going about this promo, and he's cutting it, and it's just, and just I can't get my eyes off this guy who's just out cold on the couch, like. And, and, <laughs> you, need, you need the Michael Cole yelling of someone's got to check on him. <laughs> it was 
It was just yeah, and 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 that's the thing. Like the the referee missing Abdullah the Butcher's foreign object was the second biggest failure by an NWA employee. This was number one with a bullet. And poor Scott McGee is at about 0. 0.9 just on bleeding. the Muda scale and <laughs> is just bleeding this gusher. And he's out freaking cold. My <laughs> God. But the thing is, like, that cutaway totally overshadowed a really cool promo it was good. by a guy it was. whose work... I'm not overly familiar with. I am not familiar with Angela Mosca. I have no idea. I have not seen a match of his. Nothing. I've seen that promo. It's a really, really good promo. It and was. then they cut away, and this guy is freaking dead. It's just, it was, <laughs> it was really funny. At the end, he says, "Blood is thicker than water." And he says Flair has the attitude and the aptitude, and he thinks Flair is going to win the match. But uh, this this made me laugh. That was one of my favorite things on the show. As we check back in with Barbara ringside with some female fans who, woo, they think Ric Flair will win. And this next match, this was really cool. You've got Bob Orton Jr., and Dick Slater versus Mark Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel. One of my favorite things about this show was seeing Bob Orton Jr., seeing Rowdy Piper, Greg Valentine, and Ricky Steamboat as guys that were on Starcade 1 and WrestleMania 1. Just, uh, you know, less than two years later. And this was a good match. Yeah. These guys worked hard all throughout the match at a really fast pace. This thing went almost 15 minutes. And in a tag match, they're going to be a little bit longer because you're going to have the ins and outs, the back and forth. You've got the... Um, uh, you get a big pop for these guys. I mean, th- this was Wahoo McDaniel, who was a former football player from the Jets and the Dolphins, they mentioned. And this was, you know, Randy Orton's dad, for those of you who know Randy Orton nowadays. And you see a lot of the things that Randy Orton does, that his dad does. The one thing where he drops the guy across the railing on the neck kind of reminded me. And you just see little things here and there. And Bob is in. Good shape here I, I really I was surprised how much I like this match We They had some graphics at the beginning which were sort of funny Because they're like still Photos but the guys are kind of moving Around a little bit they're just This is hilarious graph Like each year with technology Right now it takes huge leaps You know from 83 to 84 to 85 To 86 and you see it by Graphics on a lot of these shows that we watch How they get better and better um, through the Years and we get the in-ring announcements, and then then you get Dusty coming in, who's a special guest, but the microphone kind of cuts in and out, and we don't even see Dusty at this point. It was like this whole thing they were trying to do with Dusty kind of got botched. We do check in with Dusty a little bit later on, and uh, when this match begins, Soli has one of the great lines that would have been like a JR or Gorilla line. He says that Dick Slater would fight a buzzsaw and give him the first two rounds, which I just love. Cool, like thinking about that and the image of it was was fun. As uh, we get Wahoo and Slater that begin, Wahoo's got the advantage first, and uh, he then Slater gets thrown into the corner. So the heels kind of take talk about it, they uh, game plan, regroup. They come back in and uh, a little back and forth between Slater and Youngblood, and then Slater gets thrown over the top rope. He complains he should be a DQ, but they say no because he didn't get thrown over to the the floor. A little back and forth Then Orton makes a tag The ref doesn't notice it So 
he makes the he the ref doesn't notice it. He makes them tag again, and the Slater gets control. They get thrown to the outside. We get a backbreaker across the guardrail. So there's that Randy Orton spot that was cool, and now. Um, real good heel work here with Slate, uh, Slater and Orton um, working on Mark for a while, and uh, we get the uh, collision in the middle of the ring. Then we get the uh, the House of Fire. Wahoo comes in, and this crowd goes absolutely nuts for the hot tag chops. We get the double noggin knocker and uh, a couple near falls here. And um, Orton comes in with a punch, and then we get the uh, heels double teaming again, but. The uh, the heels, you know, always in the double team move. They end up hitting each other, and the and the baby faces now have the advantage again. So they're outside of the ring, and Wahoo pulls Slater out, and so they're fighting outside of the ring. And we get Orton hitting Youngblood with a superplex and a three count there, just before Wahoo can come in and break up the pin. And then afterwards, we get more of a beatdown. And they you know the heels look really, really good as the officials come in and, and, and drive them away here. But I thought they for 15 minutes, this thing wasn't slow. It was very good tag formula. Um Orton was the one that stood out to me here just because sort of like what you were saying, DZ, I didn't get the chance to see a whole lot of Bob Orton stuff. And anything that I do see of Bob Orton, it's in the early stages of the WWF. A lot of that he's kind of playing the gimmick stuff. He's not in the ring having 15 minute matches like this a whole heck of a lot. And so even when I do see him, it's kind of on the look back. I was very impressed here. And you, you know, as you being a Randy Orton fan, I'm sure you caught a couple of those things. You're like, oh, that's where he got it from. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of what you were saying about Bob Orton, I mean, he also had a broken arm for five years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, only five. Of- I thought it was longer <laughs> than that. <laughs> um. Yeah, even even with with the facial expressions, at times you would see that that Bob Orton had like this kind of crooked, sinister smile, uh, and the expression on his face just really reminds you of Randy. But yeah, I mean, you you can see a lot of the different movements. You can see a lot of uh, just the little intricacies of what he does in the ring. At times, you could say, "Oh, I've seen that with Randy," and you know, it's not blatantly obvious, but if you watched it enough. You could pick up on the little things, and it's really and it's really cool to see, you know, it it move from one generation to the other. But uh, like you said, it, it's a it's a real solid match. You know, I would have it somewhere in like the three and a quarter star neighborhood, maybe three mm-hmm. and a half. Yeah, uh, I think the the moving around outside, mixing things up a little bit, the uh, the good tags, the good heel work, the teamwork in the ring. Um, you know, I, it's just it's just for the for its time and its era. Uh, it's just an all-around very solid tag team match. Um, I, I think Bob Orton hits about seven running knees to the back at different points of the match. But uh, yeah, I mean, they they obviously have to fill some time. They're out there for, I would say, it's probably about a good fifteen minutes or so. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a great deal, and uh, it, it was nice to watch uh, a match with Bob Orton, probably still at, I would say, at this point in, in the prime of his career. Yeah. Uh, so real quick, I did do a little bit of research and the reason that Dusty Rhodes wasn't necessarily on the card, apparently he was doing sort of road, road agent stuff backstage most of the night. He hmm. was the guy that was in charge of helping people put their okay. matches together. I mean, he came up sure with the name Stargate. Yeah. So that's, it's not surprising that that was what he was doing if he wasn't necessarily wrestling. 
on the show. Could they have used him better on the show? Yes. Could they have made sure that technology was working at multiple times when they tried to get him on camera? Yes. But that's the reason. So cool. We've got that sorted out. I like this match a lot. There's a lot of tag team formula stuff that's going on here. Mm -hmm. Mark Youngblood gets the crap kicked out of him early. And look, if you're trotting out Bob Orton and Dick Slater at that point, you know they're not going to be going light. You know that it's going to be a pretty tough evening for whoever's in the ring. So Mark Youngblood's the guy that's got to take all the bumps because Wahoo McDaniel at this point is probably, what, 45, 50 years old, there thereabouts. He's not a young guy. So Youngblood's bouncing around. He gets the hot tag into Wahoo, and the crowd goes absolutely crazy. None of this is overly complicated stuff. It's not like Dick Slater and Bob Orton are busting out Canadian destroyers on people, as entertaining as that sounds. But everything makes sense. Everything works. Everything is logical. From a technical standpoint, this is an incredibly sharp match. I have it at three and a half stars. I did bump it up to three and a half, just grading on a little bit of a curve. Yeah, I agree. Psychology-wise, it's really good. And after the match, you get the beatdown where Wahoo gets his arm broken or whatever the situation is. It sets up more stuff. This delivered. I enjoyed this thoroughly. We go back to Tony Schiavone, who's sitting on a couch with Flair, Ricky Steamboat, and Jay Youngblood. Kind of real quiet, subdued stuff from these guys. They talk about uh, Harley Race's comments earlier, and that Ric Flair says that he hopes that Harley Race is ready for the match of a lifetime. Real, you know, real subdued. Ric Flair, serious. As Andrew said, it kind of gives you that this is serious. He's not uh, wheeling and dealing and laughing and joking. This is, you know, these guys almost put him out. Forever they came after him and now he's going to Take this from Harley race and This is about the title but more than the title And we get Some comments from steamboat and from jay Jay's kind of wrapping up his wrists And it's just real basic stuff We get ricky who a little more Excited and he said they're going to win the tag team titles Later And uh, as Andrew mentioned when we checked in with Dusty again there were more mic issues Barbara's with dusty so they tried To get him in the ring before and it was for whatever reason they didn't even show him And the mic cut out and now they tried to talk to him Again and Soli mentions there are some technical difficulties And says that Dusty's going to challenge The winner of the main event so they set this thing up A year in advance Dusty will already be Challenging the winner of this main event next Year a whole year later And we uh, We then get ready for Our next match on the card it's Charlie Brown versus the great Kabuki now it's the title versus the mask. Uh, this is the TV title here. Great Kabuki is the champ. He's got Gary Hart as the heel manager. Charlie Brown from out of town is actually Jimmy Valiant under the mask. He had just uh he had had to leave the territory after a loser leaves town match, so he came back under a mask here, which is a gimmick that we've seen done in many different you know companies. Well, let me tell you something some about brother. Mr. America, brother, brother, brother. So. Uh, fun to see there And right off the bat the f- Outside they start fighting And the ref is just doesn't know What to do This match isn't bad It's just kind of sloppy And I think what was weird is that Kabuki is the heel But you kind of get Valiant Sort of doing a lot of heelish stuff too um, Crotching Kabuki on the ring post So now they're just sort of treating this like a DQ Um at the moment, at that moment, um, the the solely comment that I loved right after he got hit, he got hit uh, with a low blow. 
He says Kabuki has a whole new set of problems now, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you you can you know, in, a, in a few of the um, recaps I was reading and stuff about this show, I, I'm always curious to see what other people say and some of their notes. And people were kept referencing. You can see a lot of Jr. influence and solely, you know, just some of that kind of sarcastic, kind of dry humor. And we uh, get some more work down low from Charlie Brown here. As uh, Gary Hart kind of keeps distracting to trying to get interfere in the match, and the crowd is going nuts and really playing along. And every time he gets close, they're going crazy. Kabuki with the uh, the work to the eyes, he keeps trying to lock in the claw, and Charlie Brown's fighting out of it a few times. He starts dancing while he's uh, got the claw. He's trying to fight out of it, but Kabuki keeps going right back to the claw again. Claw off the top rope. Referee checks the arms. And uh, Soli says that Brown has kept it erect <laughs> And, and uh, then we get the, the baby face trying to work back here Charlie Brown But you get a big chop from Kabuki And Kabuki tries to rip off the mask But Charlie Brown fights back And uh, we get a big uh, drop kick into the corner um, He actually he tries to go for the drop kick into the corner He misses, hits himself in the head And then we get the elbow from Charlie Brown And the pin for three Heel manager Gary Hart furious And it wasn't like it was bad DZ It was just a little bit kind of wonky A little bit goofy, maybe backwards It was fun enough It went ten and a half minutes uh, The ring work wasn't anything comparable To the match prior to this it was this is another one that maybe seemed a little bit more like a WWE or WWF thing that you might have seen up there with the mask gimmick. And, um, you know, it almost felt like a no DQ match. The ref wasn't really sure what to do when these guys kept, you know, working outside. So not not horrible, but not my favorite match on the show either. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's a little definitely a little gimmicky and you got some stuff going on. Kabuki, you see in the beginning of the match, he shoots that that green mist out of his mouth. He's actually the first. A wrestler to ever do that uh, That's something that still goes on today You see Asuka does it from time to time uh, As a part of her character work Kabuki actually did If you remember Had an appearance in WWF In 1994 In the Rumble right Where he randomly entered the Royal Rumble And before entering the Royal Rumble He randomly was a part of the onslaught Of The Undertaker in the casket match yeah, To help right. Yokozuna put him in the casket That's uh, true so for whatever reason you can try to determine why he would be involved in that, somebody who had never stepped foot in a WWF ring uh, clearly had an agenda with The Undertaker that night. But uh, <laughs> the less we can think about that match, the better for everyone's sake. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, um, you know, to go back and see him in this spot. Um, you know, I, I've seen him in a few times in a couple of different couple of different areas. I love how Gary Hart puts his foot on the ropes at one point while he's holding the foot and he's like showing the referee, Hey, look, the foot's on the ropes as I'm holding it here, <laughs> like clearly indicating he put it there, uh, but seems to be fine. Yeah. It's uh this is a little bit of a wonky gimmicky match. The wrestling is not offensive and it's certainly not great. It's not one of the high points uh, of the night, but uh, it didn't necessarily uh, offend me by any stretch. And, uh, I thought it was uh, probably the earliest that I've ever seen a match of uh, of great Kabuki as well. So after a couple of minutes there, you know what I need? I need a rest hold. Can someone hit a chin lock <laughs> so we can all catch our breath and move on? Yeah. <laughs> I want to like the great Kabuki so much more than I do because 
every aspect of this gimmick was so far ahead of its time with the mist and the presentation. So much of that stuff worked so well for so long in so many territories. And then the bell rang. Yeah. And when the bell rang, it was not a pretty picture. And it Which is weird because, you know, more, you kind of yeah. you sort of expect from a lot of times that the ring work in Japan and the tradition that they have over there and in, in, in a lot of the, you know, the Asian countries and all of that, the ring work is incredible. But he right. was just never like all that fantastic in ring, especially when you compare it to the guy that came along five or six years later, the great Muda, Muda. Yeah. who did have the ring work along with the presentation and wound up being one of the biggest stars in the history of Japan. Now, as far as this match goes, it's just, I, I never get into it. So many rest holds Kabuki hits a flying chop or two. He winds up missing a charge and the pin comes out of absolutely nowhere after Kabuki gets 75% of the offense in the match. But, and I say this, but the crowd was exploding they for were. Charlie Brown from out yeah. of town. Gary Hart throws this epic temper tantrum in the ring after the match. This wasn't for me, but just judging by the crowd, by God, it worked. And again, we're, you know, we're five matches into the show and we've got a lot of different style matches. Yeah. We've got the train wreck, you know, uh, Abdullah Cologne match that wasn't for us. This is more, this one and the opener were a little more comedy matches. Then you've got the real good tag match that's like an excellent in ring work stuff. You got the Sullivan tag match, which was a good tag match, but more about the angle. So everything a little bit different here. It didn't feel like anything was. Oh, we just saw that. It was all sort of unique. And we uh, now get back to another really... Uh, first, we get uh, Dude Walker, <laughs> radio host. They ask him about Flair. And just real quick, he said, uh, everyone's behind Flair. And Flair wants to win. And then they talk about the caller match coming up between Piper and Valentine. And we get some of the buildup for this before we head backstage with Tony, he is with Harley Race, Bob Orton Jr., and Dick Slater. I like this a lot. This was really good, too. They mention how Orton and Slater got the $25,000 bounty to take out Ric Flair. They did their job. They got money, but Flair came back. Um, they then talk about Wahoo McDaniel, how he was the one that, one of the people who helped Flair, but Race is going to beat him anyways. And uh, now Slater talks about Race and how Crockett made it a cage match so he and Orton couldn't get involved. And then Race talks about how he was watching Flair earlier, listening to his comments, and he said that Orton and Slater know the weaknesses, and your injured neck, I'm going to target it. Good stuff. Just real. Oh, throughout the night, you keep checking in with Harley, and it was to build up to this match, to make this match feel huge, and it, and it ended up feeling really, really huge. There was one thing about the main event when we get there that just bothered the hell out of me, and I'm sure we'll all probably have a similar complaint, but the the lead to it and the buildup was very, very good, and we then check back in with Barbara. Now we get to do Dusty again. So now, finally, I think third time's a, a charm here. Dusty says that Dusty's, like, partying, He's celebrating. He says he gets the winner of Flair Race, and he says that Race is known all over the world for staminas and and drive and drive and guts. And he talks about how Flair has the hometown advantage. 
And he says he can beat either man And he thinks that the folk hero race Will win So finally we get a chance to check in with Dust And that comes after a, a cool little backstage uh, Promo again from the heels As we get to a match guys That is referenced quite a bit This dog collar match We saw a dog collar match in AEW recently And like we were saying You know the blood for me Isn't it's not my favorite Most of the time I'm not going to be picking out A real bloody match to go back and watch But this match was good And the, and it made sense when you've got this Feud that felt like a blood feud And Piper Again kind of interesting to see Piper and Flair two guys that we think Of the as great heels In the babyface roles here And we, we know We pick up this match both guys are already in the ring They're attached with the dog collar and the long chain uh, Greg Valentine, the man with the bionic, the bionic elbow, and Gordon Soli kind of talks and thanks Piper and mentions him being the uh, the favorite who he wants to win. And they talk, they they really build up how dangerous this match is. Piper's got the real injury, uh, the inner ear injury that Valentine's going to focus on, and he's going to continue to attack. And at the beginning, it's sort of like trying to get the advantage. It's almost like they're playing tug of war. And then they start using the chain as a weapon Trying to nail each other with it it Kind of feeling out process We get a really cool moment Where I I think it was Gordon Solis says that they are locked In mortal combat I thought that was so cool Like Mortal Mm. combat and well, just like with the chain, when you yank him, get over here, get over here. I, it's so funny. I actually do that to Milo. He laughs when I was like, get over here, and he always smiles and picks up when I do that voice. So funny that you uh, you mentioned the uh, the Sub Zero there. And I mean, these guys are just brawling fr- from the get go. Piper hits him in the throat with the chain, and then he's you know crotching him with it. Then Greg, the, the hammer, just goes right after Piper, Piper's ear Kind of wraps it around his eyes And he pulls it back, kind of raking over his eyes Then he's going over the ear even more Just targeting it, wraps the chain around his head Then he wraps it, uh, Piper wraps it around Valentine's mouth And it's like he, it's like a, I saw it like a bit for a horse's mouth <laughs> It's like we're horse racing people It's like he's got the bit in here And he Throws him into the corner These guys are just going nuts Using the chain as weapons all over the place um, Piper's beating Valentine Blood everywhere Now they're outside the ring Now Valentine gains control Again he attacks the ear Piper's ears bleeding Beating from the head and the, the back of the neck And his back Piper Piper's like starts to stumble around Like he lost his equilibrium like he's acting like a guy who can't even stand up straight He doesn't know what's going on And he's playing it great He's just throwing these delirious punches And, and wildly swinging And then he, every time he tries to get a comeback It's like he's he's loopy He can't do it And finally he gets the chain And he's just whipping on Valentine Clotheslines with the chain And then a, he wraps it around his fist And he does a fist drop For a couple uh, real near falls um, Soli keeps calling the su- suplex suplex, and then after the Piper suplex, there's like a double ten count where both men are down in the ring, and they get get back up little by little, and we just get some back and forth punches. They're just going one after the other, forearm shots. Then Greg the Hammer locks in a sleeper. Uh, Piper was is able to break it up by hitting him with the fist. Uh, and the chain wrapped around it, right in like right in the chest, 
And then Greg goes for an elbow drop But Rowdy, uh, Rowdy Roddy catches him with the chain And then just whips him Like beats on him Then he ties him up with the chain And he pins him for three This was brutal, this was creative This was ingenious the way they used this chain at the time I mean you're really limited in a dog collar match We saw with the Punk MJF stuff recently they, These are two good workers And the match was good But the problem with matches like this And sometimes the the um, you know the last man standing Where you have to have the 10 count Is it can be slow in between This felt like a brawl I mean these guys were great And again DZ it was cool to see We got to see some, some Greg the Hammer Valentine Have Solid matches and his in-ring work Was always very good even late in his Career it's never as if Greg The hammer was bad in ring he didn't really have Much of a character but here Where you see him as this evil heel Like attacking the ear of Roddy it's it's cool to see This side of him and you you can Understand why he was a a big Deal and someone who was up towards the top of The card a lot of the time in the early To you know throughout the 80s and even earlier On so I had I know probably only watched this match once or twice through, and maybe a long time ago, and maybe not even all the way through that I could remember. And again, it's not exactly my style, but I much prefer this than just like the bloody war that we saw earlier because this thing had some purpose and some story to it. Oh yeah, exactly. You said the word; it tells a story. It's it's not you know any dog collar match is not going to be a wrestling match. It's going to be an all out brawl, which is what this is. With occasional wrestling moves But you're very limited like you said Obviously in what you can do But these guys told a story The blood fits what what the story was They beat the hell out of each other Uh, It's one of the most Talked about matches in the history of the NWA and you could certainly understand Why Uh, I had a note The same as you where At this time it's really Weird to see Piper as such a baby face because You know, and Flair too. But if you remember, like Piper from the late 70s into times in the early 80s was an over-the-top heel. Like he was like, you know, MJF insulting type. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was, he he was, you know, really hated quite a bit. Um, So it's kind of weird to see him in this spot. I I think the brawl is excellent. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quibble too much about this. I, I know he wrapped him up with the chain to get the pin, and it is 1983, and I have to remember that. Uh, I would have liked the finish to have been a little bit more brutal to finish the story. You know, he 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 falls off the second turnbuckle. Piper whips him like five times and just kind of wraps the chain around his legs and and pins him. I would have loved uh I would have loved it if he would have I know he's the baby face, so he's not gonna probably choke him out with the chain. Especially when, you know, Valentine does it after the match. I thought there just could have been a little bit more brutality into how he finishes off Valentine to get the win. That's my only real negative note here. I thought everything else was was very well done. And I thought the ferociousness of Valentine after the match, the spot where he's choking uh, Roddy, uh, you know, off the uh, off the ropes on the apron with the chain was fantastic. Uh, I, I I would give it. You know, probably in the neighborhood of four and a quarter stars, given uh, the limitations of the of the dog collar stipulation. So we're going to get through to this match, and then we need to take a five minute detour into something that has just come across Twitter that I think is going to merit everybody's attention. So just we'll we'll get through this match, and then I'm going to get us into a quick detour. But so 
I had this match at four stars. It is not elegant. It is by no means a technical wrestling classic. This is a fight, and it has that big fight atmosphere, and it doesn't need anything over the top in order to have it. You have this dog collar, the chain. They use the chain as effectively as I think anyone in wrestling history has ever used a weapon. And it's so, so good when even the buildup to a simple suplex means something. And that's the way this match was structured. It was very kicky punchy. And look, when you have a dog collar chain match, by and large, it's going to be kicky punchy. That's the nature of the match. But the way it was laid out, the psychology was so, so well done. If you want to say this is Roddy Piper's best match, I'm not going to fight you on it. I personally prefer his match with Brett at WrestleMania 8. Another Brett mentioned. But I thought it was really cool, especially the finish, because you're wondering, you know, with the chain this long, do they really want to be whipping each other into the ropes? But then you see the finish where Piper uses the chain to drag Valentine down and then wrap him up and pin him is genius stuff. I added it four stars. Now, um, we need to, we need to take a deviation here. Think of this. Well, as the, only like thing, a, the only thing they was going to say is they didn't. And it was, was kind of referenced before too. They didn't realize that this wasn't for the title. Right. <laughs> so solely actually mentions it. And it was like, Oh, Something we have about new- Piper and big matches, not being for titles. Right. Uh, yeah. Guy's got a problem there. I know. So he references it and he says, Oh no, you're, I've actually been corrected. It's not, it's not for the for the title, and then uh, WCW and NWA did that a lot. I know, yeah, I know, because they tried, and and what towards the later on, people could under could could sniff what they were doing too, right? You're trying to, you don't say it, but you it's implied that it's a title match, and then afterwards, it's a really easy, cheap way to to you know to do what you want and to to have you know continue the babyface chase, but it's it's really wonky when you sort of. You know, it's uh, um, false advertising, really, in yeah. in in a way. Um, so that was, yeah. you know, one of my gripes towards the end. But yeah, not nothing crazy. We get some of the, uh, um, you know, the big celebration. Piper's friends and the baby faces come out, and um, so cool story at the end. Andrew, take us to where you want to go. All right. So look, I I made a promise that I would not do this unless the story was either significant or really freaking weird. This is the latter. Um, so a tweet has just come over from, from earlier today. Um, you gentlemen, I assume, are familiar with the television phenomenon Judge Steve Harvey. I saw it. Yep. Yes. Um, this is perfect for what so. we're talking for, about, too. For, it's very for those, for those that have not seen the show, it is what you would expect. The fa- Family Feud host apparently at some point went to law school got his law degree, clerked for a judge, worked his way up the legal system to where he now has a television show where he is a judge and is settling disputes. One such dispute involves plaintiff Jim Morrison, better known as J.J. Dillon, suing (laughs) one Kevin Sullivan for a $7,500 boat loan. <laughs> for 7500 bucks, too. It's not 75000 like, just... it's It sounds like a Mad Lib. This actually happened! 
And the the tweet that our buddy uh, Chad Cooper shared in the in the uh, chat that we're looking, it says JJ Dillon is suing the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan on Judge Steve Harvey for a boat loan JJ helped him out with. There's only one way to settle this: dog collar cage match. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, uh, I mean, you can't write this stuff. You no, make this stuff up. I heard that um, all of next week's episodes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. All feature the uh, same defendant uh, by the name of Swift Hitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not touching that one with a 10 foot ball. <laughs> oh, I was going to, that's the, that's the sort of the podcast for another day. Um, <laughs> uh, so we get to what well, back to Barbara, right? Coddle uh, tells us we're going to go back to Barbara, uh, but then we end up getting Tony. So Tony's with Flair and with Wahoo, um, who's got the ice pack. Uh, they talk about what Harley Race just said. So it's like they keep cutting a little promos and they check in with the opposite guy. Okay, did you hear what Harley Race said next? And then Flair kind of responds to what he said. Um, and uh, we get Flair talking about Orton and Slater. And he said he expects Race to bring everything. And he thanks Wahoo for helping him with the rehab. And there's one moment where he says the title will come back to Charlotte Flair. And I said, what? Oh, my gosh. Made me chuckle there. And uh, we now we get to Barbara, who has, she's with Don Carnoodle. And she talks about how Carnoodle used to be the tag team champ with Sergeant Slaughter. And they uh, she asked for some comments about the upcoming match. He says both teams are great, wishes them luck. And uh, then he says he's friends with Flair, and he wants to see Flair win the main event. So, again, you know, I've said this three or four times. This was a cool opportunity for me to get a chance to see the Briscoes, who I very rarely saw. And we know Jerry Briscoe as the stooge. This guy was running around in thongs and bikinis and diapers and lipstick on and making a complete ass out of himself for Vince in the Attitude Era. And when you hear him and and Pat Patterson talk about the time that they spent doing that, they loved it. Because these guys were so serious as wrestlers. That they never really had that character stuff Even someone like William Regal Who came up as a brawler And real serious Regal loved the stuff that he got to do with Tajiri And loved the uh, the Commissioner stuff And, and I think it's, it's really fun To get an opportunity to see these guys Who most people that are listening to this Probably know as the Stooges uh, Or J- Jerry Briscoe As one of the Stooges This is the tag team title match Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood versus the Briscoe brothers who are the champs and then Angelo Mosca's out there to ref his arms all bandaged up and bloody and uh we get the intros here and Jack Briscoe or Jerry is just standing on the turnbuckle when they announce it just standing right up on the top turnbuckle it's pretty impressive it's just okay and he we get things started right off the bat it's Jack and it's Ricky Steamboat and then Jack Kind of doing some heel poses um, After a little back and forth Steamboat going for a, a chop And Jerry hits sort of like A, a stun gun um, Dropping Ricky across the top Ropes there We get a couple key lock uh, to the arm And then Ricky Powers out with Jerry on the shoulders And sort of drops him down Jerry Briscoe sells Like he sold For Vince when he was a stooge He's just Overdoing it crazy Like somebody said flopping around like a fish Which I think was a very good description Of what he was doing 
uh, we get the tags in for new uh, new guys coming in, and first up, it's Jack sort of getting the advantage. Uh, we get a double shoulder tackle here, and then a knee to the back. That's what they did really well. The the Briscoes, the knees, and Darren was mentioning it too. You got a lot of those from Orton. These guys knew how to give you the knee to the back, kind of dig it in the running knees stuff a lot. Um, the heels are sort of getting into it with the ref with Angelo. So then they're able to kind of get in and out. Uh, here comes Steamboat with a flying, uh, flying fist, and then some chops. Then we get some really good, really cool, um. Double team stuff from the baby faces Where you get one One moment where like Ricky's kind of picking up Jay and then he kicks Jerry Then he whips Jay into the ropes and he presses him On Jerry for a three count like Tag team stuff that you didn't see like, You think about the rockers kind of When you're looking at, at what they were doing here and, and some of the stuff that they would end up doing a few years later And um, Then we get the whip The press slam and the one And the two and the three baby faces Get the win but immediately after the Briscoes attack, they get the heat back. They take out Angelo. They put Steamboat in the figure four. I love how uh, Jerry has the figure four locked in. And then Jack Briscoe does a splash off the top rope. But then Mosca catches him out of the air. They fall over. It's like this crazy haywire brawl at the end. And the folks are just going nuts. Crowd absolutely beside themselves here. And this is another one, DZ, where these tag matches on the show really impressed me. We we showed a Ricky Steamboat match that was two almost two years later at WrestleMania one, and it was way slower paced, a lot different than this. This was sort of the Ricky Steamboat I was expecting at that match, and I thought all of this was was a lot of fun. At the end, it gets a little schmozzy with everything, but the crowd is so into this and nuts, and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I mean, Steamboat just looks tremendous here. Uh, he's in unbelievable shape. Um, if a guy that looked like the Briscoes ever came up to you and challenged you to a fight, you would laugh right in their face. You'd think you could be yeah. this schmo? Yeah, the fact that these guys were such convincing heels as tag team champions, I mean, they look like they weigh 160 pounds with not a single muscle on them. Yep. Um, but they're in there selling like crazy, like they said, flopping around like a fish. Um, and it is a highly entertaining match. There is a great spot with Steamboat where Briscoe, one of the Briscoes, I forget which one it is, has him in some kind of a hold. I think it's like maybe a reverse hammer lock or something like that. And this was uh, something that we didn't see a whole lot of. You see it now quite a bit especially when someone gets put in an arm bar and things like that. Steamboat begins to slowly stand up with the one arm and lift Briscoe up off the ground and turns it into some kind of an inverted modified suplex over the top of his head. That was something you did not see a lot of in 1983 and was a move that I would say was ahead of its time. It was extremely well done. Uh, and it was part of what made Steamboat so good uh, in the early to mid and even going into the late 1980s. Um, so, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it got schmozzy at the end, but the heels uh, in nearly every match seemed to do that on this particular night. And then I got confused because they put the credits up. <laughs> I know that was. And yeah. I was saying, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't we got a main event to go here? Yeah, I got yeah. a main event to go. What happened here? But, uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, for me at the time, this is a four star tag match. Yeah, I mean, this was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there were a couple of spots in here that stood out. You mentioned one of them, but the other one that I loved, not because it was this big, huge, elaborate thing, but because it was real. Jerry bridged a suplex, now, just a standard German suplex with the bridge. Steamboat gets two. Jerry doesn't let the waist lock go. He makes Ricky Steamboat fight out of it. Why doesn't anyone else do that? Right. That is such a brilliant genius spot. That's sort of a rest hold, but not really. It's a risk control. Still, yeah, yeah, you're still using wrestling strategy, and you can do so in such a way where the fight to get out of it winds up getting the crowd involved. Maybe you do the string of German suplexes or whatever. There's a bunch of different things you can do. I just thought that was so creative, and it's something that four decades later, I wish more people would wind up doing. It was a really cool spot in a really cool match, and the only thing that dampens it a little bit is that you know not long after this, Jay Youngblood winds up dying. He went on a tour yeah. of Australia and I don't know if this is the worst way to die, but it's at least in like the top 10 or 20. He came down with pancreatitis. That turned into sepsis. That turned into kidney failure. <sighs> and then he had a series of heart attacks and he died. Oh, my God. Horrible. 30 years old. My God. Um, and the guy, like we saw here, had a the future was so bright for him. He had He had the look. The only thing with him is he couldn't really cut a promo, but you could teach guys to do that. Like the fundamentals and the skills and the basics and the look, they were there. And, and, and he, he was perfectly but, yeah. slotted as a tag team guy, too. Exactly. He would have been a he, great uh, tag team guy for years to come. I mean, he more he held up his own end of the bargain in a tag team with one of the greatest technical wrestlers in the history of the industry. What more do you want? So as Darren mentioned, we get the credits. They they show the the list of the credits, producers, the directors, um, but they say that it's because the main event's coming up. They need some time to build the cage. See, I even I like that. They're gonna we're gonna have a little intermission. We got to build. It's the real. Cage, it's authentic. Right? They just they don't try to hide it from us. And now while they're building the cage, we got Tony backstage with everyone. We have uh, first it's Flair. Now Flair's getting ready for his match. He's he's in the robe and he's he's walking around a little more nervous. And uh, some of the baby faces are celebrating the new TV champion, Charlie Brown, as he cuts a promo all about Jimmy Valiant. I wonder why, huh? And then uh, Piper comes in. Man, he cuts a good promo. He's a little bloody, and he's just so intense here. He says, is that all you got, Valentine? You got it all you got? You were my, you, you, I still got another ear, Valentine. <laughs> Next, I'm coming to take the U.S. title from you. And... uh we we get the tag team champs, Youngblood and Steamboat, and at this point they were this was their fifth time as the tag team champs, and now they're more excited. This was a little better promo than than we got earlier um, from Youngblood, Steamboat. Yeah, you know they're still finding their voice. It's not as if Steamboat was ever going to be a fantastic promo, but he he was always in the along the lines um, with kind of with a hey, how about for like the sixth or seventh time with Brett, where it was you just sort of it was it was kind of real the promos that he cut. You weren't ever going to really like until Brett, like later into the 97 stuff, he was a little bit better as the heel. But the early on baby face, it was just this is what I'm doing, point blank, real simple, and boom. But you believed him. And so they're doing everything they can to try to uh, 
stall some time here while the cage is getting built. We check back in with Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley, and Cottle gives a congrats to the new tag team champs. And he says that uh, the Briscoes probably have a rematch coming up. They, you know, talk about Piper a little bit. And then Barbara checks in again with Dusty, who's hanging with some Dusty's just drunk here, right? Like <laughs> he he sounds like he's he's having a great time and he's got a couple ladies here with them. And he's just talking about the main event. He says, no matter what, the winner faces him. And he says, if I get any prettier standing in the middle of this, I'm a man of steel. And he says he's got a prediction for the main event, but oh, I'm not gonna tell you, Daddy. Like he's just laughing, and he seems like he's he might have had one or two at this point. Um, so yeah, DZ, we just get you know the the celebration, and I did like that throughout the night that we got to check in, and even even after the match, that's what's so funny about looking at the timing of this show on the network. If you're watching it on the WWE Network on Peacock, where like after. The Steamboat Youngblood match There's like an hour of the show still left But just one match Because we get you know a little bit of the the Build before the interviews And everything and then after the match Finishes there's another 15 Minutes or so of some post Match interviews and everything so The formula and the format Of this show was definitely A little different than shows that we would see In the coming years where You know we're used to Match ends you get a couple minutes of Hogan must pose And then that's it We don't get all this stuff afterwards So right. definitely different But I do think it makes The the main event match feel even that much bigger Like you kind of were referencing Sort of like a boxing match It kind of feels that way It does And I thought something that was very interesting So th- this is the first one of these Pay-per-view type closed circuit uh, shows And, and remember uh, When we say pay-per-view this was not a show that you can order off of your cable provider in 1983. If you wanted to watch this, you had to go to a venue that was offering you an admission mm-hmm. ticket to watch this on closed circuit, like a movie theater or a local gym and things like that. Yep. Um, the thing that was interesting to me is that this match is not necessarily a match of um, the longstanding champion versus the hot new up and comer. These are two guys that for about two and a half years have been kind of bouncing this title back and forth quite a bit. Yeah. The first couple reigns for flair, I think they just didn't really stick. Right. 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 And that was kind of the problem is that they maybe gave him the belt before he was really ready for it. And then they had to kind of give it back to race. And then at, at the point, the NWA wasn't all that sold on flair until about this time. So yeah, you're right. It was, it wasn't as if this is like a brand new guy. He'd been around, but they been were sort around. of framing it like he was the new up and comer, which is a little bit inauthentic. It is, but it goes to show you, and and this is where it was leading me to to the point. And I'm glad you 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 said it the way you said it. We always get on Vince for if it didn't happen on TV, it didn't happen, and this is not necessarily to that extent, but being the first of its kind. It's a great point. Yeah, the first time that this is a closed circuit, they can sell you Ric Flair here as, as this new young up and comer alternative to the guy that's been back and forth with this title or seemingly holding on to this title for large portions of the last decade without really recognizing the fact that Flair at this point 
has had the title five times already. So, you know, it, it's amazing to think of it that way because they sell it so well. But this is really probably the very first example of if you haven't seen it on television, it it's didn't not happen. true. It didn't, it didn't happen. happen. Flair is a five-time champion, and he's eventually going to be recognized as the nine-time, 10-time, 12-time, 16-time champion. But for the purposes of this show, and you would have you, no clue. You would have no, unless you went to a house show somewhere, you know, in the Carolinas or, you know, in, in the Midwest or in Georgia, they're selling you on, come see this new vibrant young up and coming star that's going to take on the, uh, you know, the, the mainstay of the heels in mm -hmm. Harley race and come root them on and never mentioning the fact that he's been feuding with this guy on and off for the better part of two years and has held the title himself five times already. Yeah, different time. I mean, especially when you had all of these different territories and different people coming in and out and going different places. I mean, Dusty was here coming up from Florida. He was the mainstay in championship wrestling from Florida. And he went up to Crockett and wound up doing all of that business with Flair that ultimately wound up making a lot of people a lot of money. And when you have that many people involved and that many territories involved, it ultimately led to the reason why Vince McMahon succeeded in taking out most of the NWA. Everyone agreed that they hated Vince, but beyond yeah. that, nobody else could agree on what to order for <laughs> lunch at a Waffle House, right? Yeah. And when you get to that point, where there are so many people in the room trying to lobby for individual people. I mean, Kansas City had their own person. Crockett had Flair. Florida had Dusty. And those meetings got very, very contentious. I mean, my goodness, six months after this, David Von Erich would pass away. He was being groomed as the next big NWA yeah. World Heavyweight Champion. They wind up giving the belt to Kerry and taking it off of Kerry a couple weeks later because the perception was he was unreliable and impaired at times. That was the NWA in a nutshell. There were a lot, and I mean a lot, of cooks in the mm -hmm. kitchen. And when you have that kind of setup, those things will happen. So we uh, get to the main event. We get that big fight feel all night. Um, and it's Tom Miller and the picture. It's a little wonky, but then he talks about James Tiny Weeks, who's here to sing the national anthem. And it's that sort of a country version as he gets set for the cage match. It's Starcade. And we get the lights going out, we get the disco ball, we get the laser, and we get the uh the Rick Flair, we get the uh the space odyssey, the the theme here. Flair waits the entire song plays, and then he comes out and you get smoke filling, you get a big light, and Rick comes out from a cool visual. See, this is something that Vince I thought I think would love. Watching this. Vince would have been like, okay, this is the kind of thing I want to lean into. He likes this part of the presentation of it. You have a police escort to the ring. Fans reaching out, touch, just want to get a, a, a tap on Flair. And he gets into the cage. Here comes Harley with no music. Real slow pace walking down to the ring. The crowd just booing him. And you could tell he's loving this moment. 
this crowd, everyone watching, he's just really relishing. It kind of reminds me a little bit of of race at this moment. Now, race can go a lot more, but just sort of watching him looking around at the crowd, it reminds me of what Bobby Heenan and Vince would kind of say about how Andre was in WrestleMania three when he was kind of he was being led out on the ring, the little mini ring, kind of looking around and people are throwing stuff at him, and Andre just knows I did my job. I did a great job when this crowd is going nuts as Harley Race is walking down to the ring. He knows he did his job. He sold this match, and it's he is the heel. And they're getting ready to uh, to put over the new babyface here in Ric Flair, and we get Gene Kaniski as the special guest ref. And honestly, the guy ruins the match for me. I got to be honest. Like he, I, I understand the presence of him here as a former world champ, and you want a real tough guy in this match, so nothing. Goofy goes on but he Goes way overboard In what he's trying to do as being this Like great referee I mean he gets in It's it's like almost a triple threat match At times I was gonna say he gets in the way A lot how he so Keeps pulling race off And there's no flow like every Time it seems like there's a little bit of a flow He breaks it up again uh, We get the bell ringing And we get you know, they're trying to wrestle each other early on And Kanitsky, boom, clean break every time And this is a cage You know, it, it, like That's not the kind of thing you're supposed to be doing In a cage match, it's supposed to be more of the Brawl, final, you know Ending of a feud Especially with the storyline, with Flair With the neck, he's trying to get You know, his revenge here And it was just It it bothered me, it took me out of this match A lot, to be honest, and, and He's just so slow with the pin counts Which is fine, like they they say he's deliberate And it's consistent, he's consistently slow But he has to check the shoulders Every time And then just a one, and then a two And, you know Race is hitting knees into the back Of Flair's head And then, you know Gene pulls off Harley Race A couple times Race hits a pile driver But doesn't cover and then uh, he starts slamming Rick's head into the cage real slow And then Gene gets angry about this um, And him and uh, Kanitsky and uh, and Race keep getting into it We do get some of these really cool overhead camera shots uh, Race with a, a nice neck breaker early on too um, We get Gene sort of just yelling and screaming at points As Race continues headbutt Ram in the face against the cage Now Gene and Harley Race are shoving each other Says Flair is just selling all over the place he, he locks into figure four But the figure four gets reversed And Now Flair is Looking for the ropes They're kind of twirling back and forth And you could tell Race is getting tired He's kind of uh, uh, Grunting And he throws Flair against the cage Flair kind of gets stuck in between the ropes And then Harley Race is trying to step on his throat But Kaniski comes and pulls him away By the hair like lifts him up And We get uh, Like a flare suplex A little back and forth And then Flair pushes Harley Race into Gene he goes to the top rope And Ric Flair hits a cross Body off the top rope What I cannot believe this Um, Harley Race Kind of falls over and then We get the pin for uh, the one, for the two, for the three And Harley Race can't believe it The baby faces come in Ricky Steamboat, Angelo Mosca They all lift up Ric Flair And he gets announced as the new champ 
his uh, wife Beth comes in, big hug and a kiss, and then uh, you know Steamboat puts the belt on Flair. We get the big celebration afterwards. Some of the uh, ring attendants they're wiping the blood off of Rick's face and uh, off of his wife's face too. He's like bleeding onto her, and they're sort of wiping it off. And we get Ric Flair saying right now, "This is the greatest night of my life," <laughs> which is one of my favorite Flair lines that he has. He's had a lot of great moments in his life, huh, DZ? I hey, you know, Tony like, Schiavone has said there was a lot of greatest nights in the history of our sport. So you know, there must yep. have been something in the water in North Carolina. Uh, it's you know, it, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Bob Baffert horses. You know, horse of a lifetime, greatest of all week. time. Stevens yeah. was one that used to say that all the time. I think too about horses he rode uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Look, I agree with you about Sinitsky. Uh, uh, excuse me, Kaninsky. It, dro- it drove me. Uh, it drove me crazy. Um, the the one spot in the corner where he literally grabs race from behind and is preventing him from going after Flair, who's just standing in the corner, and he literally just holds race for Flair to just stand up and punch him. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. You know it was it was just it was just dumb. And and listen, I'm not gonna sit here and say that the match is not good because it is. Um I don't I don't put this into the upper echelon of all time matches. Um, I think it's a very good match. I think race is a little bit past his best. I think the referee constantly interfering does take something away from it. I do think it takes a while for the match to get going when it does pick up. I do think it is extremely strong for me. It is a four to four and a quarter star match. Yep. I don't put it in the five star match territory. I understand the significance of the match. I understand that it checks the boxes it needs to check. I understand it puts the baby face over. I understand the, uh, you know, you get that WrestleMania 10-esque moment where, you know, everyone is coming out of the, uh, out of the everywhere to come and, uh, you know, support and cheer on the new baby face champion. And I understand the historical significance of it. The crowd loves it, but it's just, it's for me, it's a four, four and a quarter star match. I understand Flair has said at times in interviews, it's the most important match of his career. I get it. I do. Um, but it's not, for me, it's not a five star match. It's a match that's, it's, it's extremely good. I just, I just don't put it into that list of like greatest matches of all time. I line up with Darren a lot. I have it at four and a half. I can't go lower than that, especially since, again, this is 1983 and we're grading on a Mm -hmm. little bit of a curve. So I put it at four and a half. Gene Kaniski's referee job is one of the worst uh, refereeing jobs, not just in wrestling, but in the history of refereeing jobs. Of sports. (laughs) Yes. And in researching the stuff, there's stories that come up where he was at a position and they did a spot where everybody could hear each other in the ring and race apparently looked right at Kaniski and said, some things will never change. You're still a clumsy son of a bitch. (laughs) Um, That made me laugh really, really hard. The first time I read it. Now this match almost did not happen. And if Harley race was not Harley race, this match may not have happened. Starcade may not have happened. So Story time, folks. Uh, As we mentioned earlier in the show, Vince McMahon tried to lure Harley Race to jump ship 
over to WWF. He promised a long run at the top of the card with Hulk Hogan. Now, what that would have entailed in 1984, who knows? Because there's no way that he was going to job Hulk Hogan to Harley Race. It just wasn't going to happen. But Vince made that offer. They met at a restaurant. And according to Ric Flair's book, there was a time where they both needed to go to the bathroom. So they go to the bathroom and they wash up. They look in the mirror and Harley asks Vince, what do you see when you look in that mirror? And Vince goes, uh, I, I don't know. And Harley Race says, I see my reflection. That was him saying no, that he couldn't yeah. live with himself if he had bailed on Crockett, yeah. bailed on Ric Flair, and bailed on the principle of mm-hmm. putting over the next guy. Yep. And that's all the character reference you need for Harley race and the guy that he was because he was not going to allow himself to not do business. Now, according to flair, there was a possibility that Crockett heard about that and sweetened Harley races payday accordingly. And you know what, if that happened, good for Harley, but he did what the company and what the next guy needed him to do. And I can't say the same thing for a lot of people that we've talked about mm-hmm. on this old wrestling rewatch, You're right? Because if somebody's throwing that kind of money in your face to go and work for the other guys, it might be tempting. Mm-hmm. Harley never considered it. This match was, it was excellent. It got flair into that guy status permanently. It did everything it needed to do. It might not be a five-star match 40 years later, it's still really, really good. Goes about 24 minutes. <laughs> right after the match, Bob Cottle says, uh, Starcade in 83. What an event, fans. It happened, and it happened right here, and it was a real happening and a real event. It was a happening. <laughs> it was a happening. happening. <laughs> what an event. It happened, and it happened right here, and it was a real happening and a real event. <laughs> I, the, year, like, the year of my birth, ladies I, and gentlemen. Uh, there we go. An important year for the old wrestling rewatch as uh, Ric Flair heads back. More interviews from Tony. Flair is celebrating. He's thanking Steamboat and Youngblood. He thanks Crockett. Uh, Steamboat comes in and they celebrate. And he says, I owe you one, Ricky. And uh, and dust, they're pouring champagne onto Flair's. He's just bleeding. I was like, ah, oh, that probably stings. Like he's just, mm. he's cut all over and they're just. Dumping champagne on his head And then Dusty comes in And they set up, you know, next year He says, congratulations, but, you know, I'm next I got you next year And they're not sure if Harley Race Is going to give an interview, they talk about it uh, Coddle and Soli And, and Soli says, yeah, I think I think Harley Race will I, I know Harley Race, he's going he's gonna to give one And man, this was I thought this was cool, really cool Harley Race is sort of sad But he's not, you know, in, in a heel way He's not really this is almost a babyface kind of. It's not a turn, but he's honest. He's giving Flair credit. He calls Flair the uh, ultimate Flair, but he says, "I've done this seven times before. Nothing's going to stop me for doing it the eighth time." Um, I have an image of Flair running through my mind. He says, uh, "This night was arranged for Flair," 
And he said he won't hide He's going to hound Flair like he's never been hounded before He's going to live through hell until he beats him again So again it wasn't like a baby face moment But he gave him respect And then he told him he's going to keep coming after him again Um, And there was some wonky Kind of technical The sound wasn't all that great But it was good I like this post match Getting a chance to talk to the wrestlers And then we see Flair and Steamboat and Youngblood again They're all holding their belts and they're all celebrating It's a dream for the three of them to be champs together The kind of the top baby faces in the company here And Flair thanks Steamboat These two guys are going to have epic battles in the years that come And we uh, we say goodbye to Bob Cottle and to Sol Lee And one thing was kind of cool is before it happened at WrestleMania Before they called it the granddaddy of them all Gordon Soli compared Starcade to the World Series and to the Super Bowl. And uh and then we got some highlights of the show. So DZ, it's hard not to want to compare this thing to WrestleMania one, just kind of for what they were and, and the start of it. And they're very different shows, but they're super important from a significant standpoint. And it's really cool with WrestleMania coming up. We're recording this a week and a half. Or so before Wrestlemania And so getting a, a chance to look at what Wrestlemania was like, what Starcade Was like, the big show for the One of the other really big companies uh, Wrestling companies, it, it was fun I can't remember watching this show that Many times, so a lot of this stuff Felt pretty fresh or felt like stuff Where even if I was watching it, maybe it was Something in the background, I wasn't really kind of paying attention As much as I was now and Picking up on some things and a lot of the in-ring work was pretty good A couple matches were wonky But overall I was pretty entertained by the show From top to bottom I, I completely agree with you And I think one of the fascinating things about this Is that from a historical standpoint NWA has a basically a year and a half head start On WWF here uh, When it comes to having this super show In a closed circuit environment At the time I think, and granted, obviously, you know, I was a, a baby, but uh, from what I read and from my understanding of the history, at the time, Ric Flair is pretty comparable to what Hulk Hogan is. Um, they're not they're not that far apart in terms yep. of um, how they're viewed by the wrestling fans. Now, I think if you can point to one thing. Uh, aside from obviously WWF absorbing a ton of the territories and picking up a lot of talent and all that, um, you can argue that the the difference between WWF and NWA at the time is that WWF had New York and had Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and you know because if you look at the quality of WrestleMania one from a production standpoint. And a whole lot better than this. No, you no. know it's 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 very very similar. And now it's two years, like you said. That that's a, like a year and a half later. They had yep. this as a template to yep. use, even to create their show. Yep. And rest, I think when WrestleMania one comes, they had they had had that. Was it the Wrestling Classic? They they did one sort of test run show before yeah. WrestleMania that wasn't the WrestleMania show, just to maybe kind of work out some of the bells and whistles and stuff, but. This um, this is good. Like for 1983, it's pretty it good. Is. I was expecting it to be wor- like worse and maybe not hold up as well. Like we said, we're yep. grading things on a curve, but yeah, pretty solid. But I think I think Andrew, in in addition to what I was saying with with, Mad- with Madison Square Garden in New York, I think the other difference is uh, outside of the wrestlers, 
Vince got very smart and he went out and he got himself star power. Uh, it, obviously, he had attractions like Hogan and he had attractions like Andre the Giant. And he ended up having Piper and Steamboat who all jumped ship and were with WWF in 85. But he also went out and got, you know, people like Muhammad Ali and uh, Liberace and, uh, you know, all, all of those people that uh, Cindy Lauper, all those people who came mm -hmm. out who were stars at the time and took part in it. It gave him a leg up because from 83 to 85, the two companies are similar. They both put on these massive closed circuit productions. And while NWA is a competitor and WCW is a competitor, by the time we get to 1987, uh, it's it's really no longer close. And I think I think when you just look at it, they had two similar products. And I think McMahon just had a leg up with New York and he was smarter in what he surrounded his wrestlers with. McMahon also had Hogan. And I know neither of you want to hear that, but it's true. No, it is. Yeah, it is. No, it is. And it, and it was a, another small difference. Like this was sort of the baby face time. But for a lot of time, as Flair flips and becomes a heel, the NWA and WCW is more of the heel territory. And yeah. uh, WWF with, with Hogan was a lot of time the baby face territory, which was just a little bit different in that. So, Andrew, you picked this show. What what were some of your uh, your kind of final thoughts watching this back again? Sure. I mean, we picked WrestleMania one. There was really only one other place that we could go. Uh, and that was seeing what the NWA had done with the very first pay-per-view about a year and a half earlier. And ultimately a lot of this show aged reasonably well. I knew the main event was going to be great. I remembered the tag matches being good, but this is a show that's going to be 40 years old next year. And a lot of the stuff that they were doing on this mm -hmm. show, it's stuff they're still doing today. It's just yeah. taking advantage of better technology and the knowledge of having done it before. And this is a lot of fun. The show is 257 on Peacock. So that time is a little bit deceptive because there's a lot of stuff that happens after the main event. And, and, and before in the, the background post, stuff. And yeah. yeah. And if you don't want to watch the end of it, it's, it's a two and a half hour thing. The wrestling isn't bad. The stuff that, you know, you might not necessarily be interested in is at least energetic. It's a good show and it's a fun watch. And for the first stab at a pay-per-view, it's, it connects. It's a good show. Yeah. I was, I was pleasantly surprised on the watch back with Starcade one flair for the gold back in 1983. So we are recording this. Like I said, about a week, uh, week and a half before WrestleMania. So next, the uh, the next um, time we meet up, Darren and Andrew are going to join me, and we're going to link up with Chad Cooper. We're going to do a, a full WrestleMania roundtable. We're going to preview all the matches and uh, and dive into the uh, the two night spectacle this year for WrestleMania. And then following that, DZ, we'll give you time to figure out which selection you want because we have a couple oh, weeks before. I have one. I have, have one. Yeah, yeah, tell us where I we're going. One. Cool. Let's let let's let's see if you can if you can. Uh, yes, it's not. I'm not going to call it a hidden gem, but because of the title of the pay per view, it doesn't get brought up often with some of the marquee pay per views in wrestling history. But it, it is an excellent show uh, that people realize when they go back and watch it. Uh, it includes Diamond Dallas Page, it includes a match between, at the time, Stephen Regal, who, of course, William Regal, and Brian Pillman. 
It's got the Nasty Boys taking on Cactus Jack and Max Payne in a Chicago street fight. Oh, it's that show. It's Steve Austin and the Great Muda. It's Sting and Rick Rude. Okay. It's Vader and the Big Boss Man and Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat in a uh, WCW World Heavyweight Championship match. Love it. It is Spring Stampede 1994. Nice. Cool. Cool. It is is a show that... um, for some reason, people just don't talk about it a lot. But when you go back and you read about it and you listen to some of what wrestling historians talk about in terms of all-time pay-per-views, this one comes up with the people that really know what they're talking about. And it is from, I mean, there's a couple of things that in there that are a little wonky like any other show. But for the most part, this is an excellent show that I think is probably, for my money, a top 10 pay-per-view of all time. Looking forward to it. Spring Stampede 94. Next time we reconvene on the old wrestling rewatch. Um, Darren, it was a fun episode. Big thanks again to Andrew and Darren for helping out with the old wrestling rewatch. You hear Chad Cooper with us each and every week on This Week in Wrestling. We had some horses that we liked at Keeneland and at Santa Anita. Hopefully we were able to uh, steer you in the right direction. And if you want a big NBA playoff preview, we'll have that for you just following this uh, a day after on Friday. That'll be released. We'll go through all of the playoff series matchups with Eric. And then we'll have Dave Handelin, the radio statistician from the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's going to talk about that really cool experience the other night. They won the play-in game. They came back late. And now they've secured a series with the Memphis Grizzlies in that 2-7 matchup. So we'll talk a lot of NBA on the next episode. We'll probably throw in a couple uh, plays for some horse racing stuff for Sunday. Also, so if you want some extra horse racing stuff, check out that show and all NBA there. Good luck all weekend long, folks. We'll be back in uh, just a little bit with our NBA show.